Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Yeah, yeah, yo. Uh, what is up, Gypsy Gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. Uh, got to be creeping up on a hundred of these bad boys. Um, yeah, everything is going good. Uh, I think if you listen to this, you'll know, uh, we haven't been putting out as many that I would like to, but it's just with the studios being built and all the stuff we've got going on behind the scenes, uh, and sort of made the scheduling a bit harder than it normally is. Um, but yeah, we did have time to schedule in today's guest, uh, who has flown all the way from America once again to jump on the podcast. Um, he's here for a little bit more than that. He's doing his, uh, Moto E development schools and camps. Um, so you should sort of look into that as well. Once you, uh, once you look into Rob a little bit more, uh, if you follow the podcast, uh, and if you listen to, uh, the first episode that we put out this year, I'm pretty sure it was, um, we had Rob on, uh, Coach Rob Beams. He's a human performance specialist, uh, an amazingly interesting guy who is like an encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to the human body. Uh, I have been doing a lot of training lately uh, with my jiu-jitsu stuff. There might be some people that get a little bit annoyed with it. To be honest, I kind of get a little bit annoyed with it as well. Um but yeah, so I've got like tons of questions about just stuff that I'm sort of experiencing and going through for the first time. Um, there's some really cool stuff in there. Um, we talk about adrenal fatigue. So that's something that I've been a little bit interested in. There's so, sort of some sim, uh, some symptoms of that include like a low sex drive. You don't feel like you're recovering as much. You're not sleeping as good. Uh, and then you're getting like sweats and stuff at night. So um, I brought that up with Rob. It's something that a lot of people go through, a lot of athletes go through. Um, so we talked a lot about that. We talked a lot about stretching. We talked a lot about nutrition. We talked a lot about hydration. Um, so yeah, I think like my mentality of this was like, I just want to ask some of the stuff that I have been going through. And in turn, I just hope that relates to, uh, people that listen to the podcast that are doing some training of their own or they want to get into training. Um, and yeah, I guess my experience is like I kind of had some specific detailed questioning to go with it. Uh, we also talked a, a lot of moto, which was really cool. Uh, Rob used to train guys like Adam Cincerello, Ryan Dungey. Um, he's yeah, he's one of the elite of the elite uh, when it comes to working with top tier motocross and supercross athletes. Um, so we talked a lot about 
just the season this year, a lot about Cincerello, who's someone Rob worked with in the past. Uh, and also a lot about this whole doping thing that's come out recently with Christian Craig, and then obviously that affected Brock Tickle. Um, so yeah, this was a, a awesome podcast. It's a really long one. We just sat down and got into it, so almost four hours. So um, yeah, split it up, listen to it however you want, but there's a lot of content in here. Um, and if you're a person that trains a lot as well, like myself, uh, it's probably worth going through with a notepad and just writing down some different stuff um, that we do talk about. I just want to say a big thank you to our show sponsors. Um, because this has been a longer intro, I'm not going to go too crazy in depth. Um, but if you listen to the show, you know that we're supported by the legends at Boost Mobile. Uh, go to boostmobile.com.au. You will be able to look at their award-winning prepaid data plans, uh, online there. I have been switched over for over a year now, uh, with Boost. They've been on board about that long as well. Uh, and then the guys at Nobby Underwear, you can join the nomination for 20 bucks a month. You get a fresh pair of duds every month. They're the best underwear that I've ever worn, hands down, not just saying that. Um, and a, hundreds of the Gypsy Gang have uh, taken me up uh, on saying they're the best undies in Australia, and they agree. So, uh, And just also want to say a big shout out to the guys at MX Store. Um, this is a heavily moto-related podcast. Um, so if you're coming here... Uh, because of Rob's involvement in the motocross industry, then you should also be heading to mxstore.com.au. They have like the largest um, range of aftermarket accessories in Australia. Uh, Super easy to use. Their customer service team is second to none. Um, The guys get it. They just, they flat get it and they care. Uh, And that's the kind of people that you want to be dealing with when you're handing over your hard-earned cash. All right, that's enough from me. Thank you very much to everybody for listening and enjoy another epic episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast with Coach Rob Beams. All right, we are back in uh, the studio today with Coach Rob. Rob Beams, uh, they've flown all the way over from America again, so uh, we're very excited. I was just saying before that uh, your podcast was the last time we did it. I think it was like October or November. Actually, we were here first of January, believe it or not. Oh, really? Yeah, first of January, smoking hot over here. Yeah, right. Ooh, okay. It so was, it was tough. Yeah, so it was that. Oh, all right. So that, that makes sense that we we're talking about Burley. Yep. Because I thought it was October. No, for some reason. No, we got okay. together January, and you were you were really you know super pumped to be on this side. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, uh, like, so we're obviously down here now, and like, That's beautiful. It, it was cool. Great job. We, yeah, we were talking about like, oh, we'll be in the new spot. Yep. So, but um, yeah, your podcast was like super well received. I appreciate uh, that, which was really cool. Like, uh, it, it's it's funny. Like, I mean, I never know which one of these will do like really well, which ones will do so so. Sure. And I mean, they're all good in mm-hmm. the content but some and i don't know some people they just seem to really do well and, and yours was one of those so i was like well, i appreciate it yeah it was it was a nice surprise because uh you've got so much knowledge that you know we can sort of tap into well and, i appreciate it and in in all fairness to yourself what i enjoyed about the podcast is and i even put this you know when i did my social media thanking you for letting us come on is you went down places no one's ever gone before mm. and i like it because it it's one of the situations, how am I supposed to broadcast what I know, who I know? And it's not mm. about name dropping. I mean, my goodness, you've been in more inner circle loops than probably any of the viewers would ever know about. But that's not your platform to walk around as yeah. me, me, me. But when I, when I go into some level of depth, I want people to understand. And I say this to all of my clients. I want you to understand, especially our young writers, when I give you this example... This is real world. This is what the guys are dealing with right now. Yeah. So if it's something that we see... Uh, a mechanical, uh, AC, 
yeah. throwing away, you know, Vegas. Uh, that inside of, I, I call it the athletic poise. How many cameras, when I was working with AC at Loretta's, for example, uh, there was a situation where he was supposed to clean house on everything. Gate drops, super mini class, two bike links out, he's gapped. Everyone on the side is just looking around going, what's going on? AC just races like there's no tomorrow. Races his heart out. Comes off the track very politely. Cameras everywhere. Everyone's waiting for him to throw his helmet, his goggles, have a meltdown. And what was so cool about it was there was a situation, and there's it's public knowledge, Stock Motor was putting a super mini bike. Oh. But he I didn't, didn't know, know it. That. And he raced his tail off and did everything he could to get there. But the bottom line was everybody's waiting for AC to have a meltdown. Yeah. And so I refer to that as athletic poise. You know, what happens to you when things go wrong? And then to watch the exact same thing manifest itself at Vegas. Yeah. Because it wasn't a bonehead movie. Didn't override the bike, hit a kicker, went sideways, just like you said on the podcast. You know, bars, those triple clamps, they're yeah. rubber. Yeah. They bent and unfortunately it was unrideable. Didn't quit. Rode to the finish. You can imagine what's going through his head those last three laps. Yeah. Knowing dude. it's done. Then like... It's no secret how much I love Adam. Absolutely. And like, I I could imagine if I was in his position, I would have not pulled off because I just wouldn't have wanted to go and face the pits and face, right. like, Adam's the kind of guy, like, he wouldn't have been disappointed for himself. Yep. He would have been so upset for Alan. Absolutely. He would have been so exactly. upset for Mitch. Exactly. He would have been so upset for Bones. Like, all of those people yep. that have put so much effort into him, like, he rode in my like in my head he rode those laps with that bike unrideable mm-hmm. just to process and Absolutely. have a bit of time to himself yep safest Bef- place quietest place he was gonna exactly. be exactly and sure. that's the only time he would have had any peace that's right to like deal with it without outside influence yeah and that to me is what that looked like but um you and know. that but that's what i think is so cool is if you if people really listen to your show and really grab these nuggets that you present it's not about name dropping it's about I can sit and discuss athletic poise on any podcast on my own show in the whole nine yards. But when you can say, okay, here's what it is. And AC goes out and exemplifies it. And then I'm working with a parent who's got a young rider. And I always say this, it's not what happens to you. It's how you handle it. Yeah. AC had every reason at the super mini class at Loretta's to go AWOL. Didn't show character. I'm not saying he wasn't upset when he got in his motorhome. I'm not yeah. saying there wasn't a level of disappointment. But of it's course. when the cameras are on. It's when it, cause it That's is right. your job at that, at that. That's you know. exactly right. But to be able to take the insight that you have, be able to bring it to, Hey, this happened this last Saturday. Mm. To me, that's the priceless component of it. I always say it when we're talking with clients, even like when we're here in Australia doing a couple workshops, you know, when we do these camps and clinics, I always say, when I share these ideas with you, they're nothing but theories to you until you experience you them, them the and then once you experience them, you have that aha moment, yeah. and then you go, oh, this is what he was talking about. I refer to it as blind faith. Yeah. I'm asking you to maintain proper hydration, uh, maintain flexibility, deal with some trigger point issues, and if you do that, you will reduce your risk of injury. Then you have a fourth gear wide open get off, you yard dart down, and you jump back up and you get back on the bike. I can tell you that that helped, but until you felt that yeah. fourth gear wide open tap yard dart, and you run back to your bike, and you go, ah, yeah. I didn't tear this, I didn't tear that because I was flexible. Now they have a little bit more confidence in it. And it doesn't matter who the viewers are that are watching or listening. When I get a chance to work with you or anybody else, I have to earn your respect. If you want to go on the website, you want to see who I worked with, yeah, great. If that floats yeah, your boat, yeah, that's yeah. cool. If that gives us credibility in your eyes, that's cool. Yeah. If you care about the degrees, 
that's cool. I don't know what your it is. Yeah. All I want you to recognize is no matter where you're at, once you help me understand where you want to go, and this is the part that I usually get a lot of uh, friction from, the first thing I'm going to do with any person I work with is find your frustrations. Yeah. And the only way to find those frustrations is identify weakness. And you know how most guys are. Don't tell me I'm weak at anything. I will throat punch you. Yeah, yeah. So when you look at where you're at now and where you want to be, the only thing that's keeping you there are these frustrations and these hurdles. So we have to expose those, identify them, and then put a strategy to eliminate them. Yeah. Nobody likes that. So if that's why I say I have to earn your respect. I can tell you about nutrition, but the idea is I need you to be prepared so you understand, because and I've, you've heard me say this before, I think the physiology world treats everybody like a mushroom. Yeah. Keep them in the dark, cover them in a bunch of shit, and don't, and just always keep that carrot just far, far enough ahead of them so there's always a dependency on me. I vehemently hate that. I want you to understand before it happens, I want you to understand this is what is going to happen. Here's what is the catalyst to making it happen. But when it happens, you're confident and you go up a level. Yeah. We eliminate a frustration. We identify a few more. We go after, where will we be six months from now? Two years from now? We tar- started today with AC. See him go from a super mini to now leading the points, showing a lot of athletic poise. I mean, when he first, you know, when Mitch plucked him out and took him up to that, that pro class, my phone was ringing off the hook. How do you think AC is going to do? And my, and it's, it's public knowledge. I was very vocal about it. My only concern for him was the first time he got injured Mm. because he never, and we talked about this in the last show, he had the only bone he'd ever broken was his coccyx bone when he looped out. And the only, the only healing process for that is to lay on your belly and let your butt heal because literally your sit bone has been broken. But my only concern for him is the mental resiliency of coming back from a significant injury. And Lord knows those first two years, my gosh, slammed the wall. Oh my gosh. So I'm not saying I had any fruition or insight. That was my only concern for him because he he'd already been in the limelight. You've been around him enough to know. I don't like when people call him baby Jesus because I think he earned everything that Mm. he had. His dad was very systematic on dedication. You know, he really treated it the right way. I always love what Mitch says. Mitch says, and you know Mitch very well. I always love Mitch says, behind every successful champion is a pain in the ass dad. Yeah. Look at it. Villopoto, AC. I mean, and, and I love Alan C. I love Alan C. I mean, I, I, I try to keep in touch with him on a regular basis, you know. And it's true. When you have somebody like an Alan that looks at it, and, and some of the listeners may not like this, but they understand it's a business. Your yeah. son's not a business. The sport is a business. And when you're given an opportunity and, and the way that Mitch has invested in him, and, and most people think of Mitch's investments as monetary, they don't realize how much of a, a the mental side It's like Mitch a mentorship, is. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You're really tight with Dino. And what does Dino say about Mitch? It's about the head game. If you if uh, you listen to the, the new podcast you know, with Josh Hansen, what's he say about Mitch? Mitch is hard. He's gnarly is the mm. way that Josh refers to it. But when you get a few of those parents that understand that we're going to treat this like a business, not that the child is a disposable entity, mm. but rather th- this business has only got so many parameters you, and you need to learn to work with them. Yeah. When you try to fight them, and, and you and I could sit here and come down with 30 people that thought they could buck the system, and now they're... Nico Izzy, J-Lo, Austin Stroop. Exactly, man, yeah. Yeah, just goes on. And just those Josh three you list right there. Think about the amount of talent in those three cats insane dude ridiculous like and make Dungey look like a fucking squid exactly and you bring <laughs> and that straight in, up talent absolutely and bring that up to today's day and age 
what would history look like? But they thought they could buck the system. And I know some of those guys you mentioned had some mentors and some people that were wise counsel that kind of led them astray. Yeah. And, and dude, like we talked about this, I don't know. Um, I can't remember who it was that maybe it was just with Mick. Um, but we were talking about, I don't think people understand like the vortex of Temecula and Murrieta. Yeah. You guys were talking about on the last show. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's a vortex, man. Like you get there. And so, cause I remember Dunge was saying at homegrown. Exactly. You said, no, I'm not going there. Yeah. Cause he went there for a bit and he's like, and then he got back home and then his dad was just like, Hey bro, I don't care about nine, five, one numbers. There you go. Like you are not going to be involved in that scene but look at the consistency of what you said who made that comment yeah the dad his dad his yeah. dad's like nope yeah. done but and that- like you know you see like and, and i mean i used to know i was around the time and like nico izzy and stroop and Absolutely. those dudes were all out partying and yep. there's all like the little spots and like we'd go out like i don't have to be in bed to to video someone sure and like you'd see all these guys and i'm just like hmm it's no surprise who's like not winning championships here and they're all on this dance floor at the stampede and that's <laughs> and that's the and that's the hard part when you take a young because think about the, the the maturity in the age of 17 18 sometimes as young as 16 yeah seven figure salaries no boundaries living that lifestyle and chicks just falling all like over them all yeah. yeah dude i remember we went to josh hills like a house party at josh oh hills oh boy. one night and i was just like i've never seen girls like this yeah i've never seen girls like yeah. this it was the craziest like it was the craziest thing ever and we could talk about it you experienced it what's the average viewer gonna think they, yeah. they think they can conceptualize it but it it's is like, so different it and but what it means for like these kids because so like on the one hand so you've got like all right here's the girls and like they've got money they got nice houses they got cars like yep. they can buy booze they can buy drugs they can do whatever they want yep. and then think about like these guys like the the stroops and the izzies and the Millsaps and like all of those guys right they have like you said the sport operates within these pretty tight confines and like there's a certain level of repression Mm -hmm. that sort of has to happen and you know last week there was repression on me from eating anything i wanted i had to lose weight yep like you there is repression if you want to be successful but otherwise like there would be no point even trying to be successful that's right you don't have to do anything to get there so it's like i'll just keep doing what i'm doing but you have those guys and they've spent their whole life under the thumb of their dad or their mom yep and then it's like they move to california they get a little bit of freedom and then it's like the thing is too is like the team isn't there to babysit you Mm -mm. they don't care dude well look at mitch Mitch don't get mitch don't care and i used to like i used to call nate ramsey my american dad okay because like i'm just the the, i was just the filmer and he was like booking my flights and Mm -hmm. he was like getting me up in the morning for the flights sure and it's like he didn't want to do that Mm -hmm. and it's like i'm just a filmer and it's like the writers like they're not going to do that for the writers either well but you bring up a very interesting timeline because if you look at look at and i love what one of the things i do love about your show and i want to go on public record is saying i like how you'll just call a spade a spade on this show we we're friends with you're friends with a lot more of them than i am but the idea here is we're just going to call spades a spade. When you look at the pressure Michael Lessie was under, full factory oh, Honda, zone commercials. The pressure they put dad, on themselves. To exactly, be his dad. Yeah. So you take that example. Then you take as, up as, you know, go to one end of the totem pole. You've got AC, or excuse me, we, we know Lessie's story, believe the hype and all that went with it, up to AC, up to the current with Nick Way and all that's going on there. So when you look at those two extremes, 
how many people have tried to work within those four walls, said it wasn't for them, are now on the outside of the four walls, and as you said, have one, maybe two championships and then gone. Yeah. For whatever reason, they're gone. Got injured, got addicted to painkillers, took another route, gone. Um, too could, too cool for school. Didn't want to keep doing what got them to where they were at. Lasted yeah. about two seasons, maybe three, if they got an extra extension on their contract, they're gone. Yeah. It's, and I hate to say it because our sport, you know, I've been in the sport since 78. I miss the Hannahs of the world. I miss the Matasoviches. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, I miss the the personalities. I think the sport needs more of the personalities. I think AC is going to bring that. It's to coming the, back. Though, I do. I, I agree for sure. It's I coming agree. Back. Like well, even Mick Moseman was so cool on his. Yep. Like you know, he's like set calling out Grant Langston to play chess. Yes. That's like the nerdest, like the nerdiest Absolutely. thing that you could ever do. But he made it cool. He made it cool. And it's like that's. I I think it is coming back. And I think like Justin Cooper is a really good example of that. Yep. Like he'll just fly off the handle. Just say like that kid. He just wants to win. He doesn't want to be anyone's friend. He uh, doesn't you said care. on the last show when Cooper shows up and said, I'm here to make friends. Yeah. I'm here to win. Yeah. I loved when you said that with Mick last time. I'm like, it's so true. We need more of yeah. that Bob Hanna. I don't really care what you think. And if you if you go back to what you said at the onset of the podcast, it's that it's that term opportunity cost. You know, when you look at the guys that have had a really successful amateur career and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of talking pundits that hate the amateur program they think there's way too much money in it it's stealing away from the current pros and i see both sides of it mm. i've been on both sides of it yeah. i see it i don't think there's really a a right or it's a not wrong an answer easy fix. it's not and it's an, in my personal biased opinion where that gray area overlaps is necessary because you can't take somebody that didn't have ac's experience and all of a sudden thrust them into yeah. a podium position with tv and photo shoots and all of the account, the sponsorship accountability, I believe that you need to go through that. You need to be groomed through yeah. that. You know, I used to always tease AC when you're getting interviewed by Aaron Bates and she's got these big tatas and your nose is sitting right in between the cleavage. You don't want to be like, you, you yeah, want to you at least to be able to articulate yeah. yourself. Exactly. But it's coming. Yeah. It's not if we know it's coming. So be prepared for it. That opportunity cost, whether it's Dunge, whether it's Villopoto, no matter who the multiple championships champions are one of the guys i keep in touch with on a regular basis is stanton and i always love stanton's example because you have stanton wasn't the most charismatic guy on the track was known to be a hard worker as was wardy as was you know you have the wardies and the stantons that were just hard workers bad to the just bone the omeras just grindstone then you have the guys that would do the work but were very flamboyant rj you know um lachine the guys that just would kind of rock the boat a little bit so there's that ebb and flow with them all yeah. working together but when you look at the opportunity cost of the guys that said, I'm willing to not be out on the stampede floor with the other guys, yeah. the Eli Tomax that stays, you know, I know he gets a lot of pushback because of that, mm. but I think the results kind of speak. And I think yeah. his bank account would validate our point. He's willing to live five, eight, 10 years like a recluse so that he can do Jeff Stanton's route of going out and buying 7,000 acres and doing nothing, nothing, yeah. farm his land. Look at what Stanton posts up there. He posts pictures of baby deer. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, how cool is that on his, I don't know how many thousands of acres he's got and his posts are about harvesting wheat. And then next thing you see, he's doing a vintage race with his kids. Yeah. I mean, that's balance. Yeah. But he, that opportunity costs 10 to 12 years. What it is too, is like, there is a genuine, like you need to be genuine in like, I want to be a champion. Mm -hmm. And there's so much, like there's so much bullshit that people will tell themselves and, 
coaches will tell riders, right? You know, riders will tell themselves yeah. about like, no, I really want to win. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, if you're doing anything other than motocross, like you don't really mm-hmm. want to win. No. And that's what's like pushed the sport. It's just been this constant, yep. like push, 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 push. And now it's at the stage where it's like, cool, dude, drop everything. Like you said, for mm-hmm. eight to 10 years, this is it. Yep. That's all you've got to do. And like AC, dude, AC's been on big coin for his entire life. Yep. If AC wanted to quit right now, he's good. He's fine. That's his right. His parents are good. Like, and, and I want to go on public record, and I think I said this last time we were on the show together. His parents have not lived on AC. No, they're like I, successful I sh- outside Well, I shared it. with you, I, AC's dad used to, when I was in the grocery industry, AC's grandfather was the CEO of the company I worked for, mm. and Alan ran one of the stores. I was in the grocery industry doing statistical analysis. They're fine. They're in real estate. Yeah. They do all their own stuff. People who think that AC's dad and mom, like Christy, lived, train. No. yeah, they need to F off. They're completely wrong, speaking out their a-hole. They don't know what they're talking about. Mm. I've been in their house. Yeah, I've been with them. Circle, I've been, yeah. yeah, I'm telling you straight up, that's the situation there. And like for AC, all those injuries happen. Like he get, dude, AC was like, he was like bullied by the media. He mm-hmm. was bullied by Absolutely. fans. Yeah. He was like bullied by people for a good bit there. Yeah. When the, you know, those first two, three years. And then everybody, everybody that was on the outside of the little AC universe yep. while he was killing it as an amateur like that, everybody got to say, I fucking knew it. Yep. I knew it. Yep. I knew that kid sucked. Yep. He's going to Every, crack. Everyone said it. Yep. And then murmurs of that started happening again with Supercross this year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that is what a chance, like that's a real champion. Like that kid is a champion because he doesn't need to race motocross that's anymore. Right. He doesn't need this shit. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to wake up to like all of those people that's right. saying that everyone on Instagram, whatever. He doesn't need that, but he does it. What he, about the post-race interview? Yeah, I mean, not even like you said, three, three laps to get his head squared away and to come in and to have, again, I don't mean to be redundant, to have the poise mm. to sit there and take Daniel Blair's question. And you know, he wanted to tear it. You know, he wanted, Dude, it. I was like, we, we were doing the podcast at the, at this like sports bar Yeah, and I just couldn't talk. Yeah. I just sat, I was gutted, dude. Yep. like so gutted. Well, I immediately texted Alan and I just said, man, I'm sorry. I thought we had it. And all mm. he said was, so did I. Yeah. And I mean, if you don't know the emotion behind that text, I mean, come on. And that's where I get a little bit miffed where not because he's my best friend or anything like that, but how do you freaking pundits behind a keyboard sit there and yeah, talk no crap way. about he threw it away? It's like his life's work. Well, but my thing is Tomac and, and you know, I like Tomac, yeah. you know, Tomac went down what two, three times in the exact same loop in the yeah. exact same. Uh, yeah. And nobody said he threw it away, yeah. but yet AC because he lost the championship on that. And I liked what you and Mick talked about again, triple clamps are soft they bent that was just a freak accident yeah like if if that if that bike doesn't bend he still wins the he championship, wins the championship. And but if you like, watch it it's not like he whiskey bike? throttle yeah. he caught that edge and if you watch it in slow-mo over and over, as we all did just one of those freak things that do the way it reached the way it unloaded yeah. and the way it spit him off and 99 out of 100 times that bike could get up and be fine but on yeah. that given day and that hard vegas you know clay i call it concrete bike was mangled mm. but to your point earlier did he sit and grope and mope and pull in and nah. start throwing? No, three laps riding the bike at 40 yeah. degree angle on the bars, not complaining about it. Goes, does a Daniel Blair interview knowing last thing he wants to do is get in front of it. Yeah. Made eye contact with Daniel Blair. He wasn't looking at, I mean, just 
Again, yeah, this, but that's, he's we're back the, to opportunity cost of everything that you've said, whether it's the Stroops. And, and it's interesting when you mentioned the Stroops and, and, and Nikki and all the uh, Izzy and those guys. I remember that year at Loretta's. When you know every year in that pro sport class, there's always four yeah. or five hitters that come out. That was so gangster, that was like so that that little Trey Canard, yeah. the oh, Austin Struess, killers. The, you know, there's five guys, and they all had good rides when they came out. You yeah. know, Nikki went. Uh, excuse me, um, Nico went directly to Suzuki. You know, Trey went right to Geico, or Stroop, at the time was Factory Connection. Stroop, you know, on pro circuit, right to pro yeah. circuit. So it's not like these guys were the Coupe de Gras in the in the Loretta's scene. I mean, we were literally watching them. At the end of the summer yeah and you look at that and that was when everyone went straight to dealer too right went to it and and that's the thing that is so amazing to me is when you go back to this opportunity cost and this is the thing that i enjoy about working with the young riders is i can tell them i understand what you're going to have to deal with and i hate to use this word because i sound like a surrogate dad you're going to have to trust me on this mm. i don't care if it's hydration nutrition sleep strength flexibility it doesn't matter trust me on this because you don't think you need it now mm. i give this example quite often if you ever watch and ironically it was here in sydney the, the first year of the sport of triathlon was accepted into the olympics was yeah. in 2000 and it was hosted here in sydney essentially it's it's a it's a mile swim for americans it's it's a mile swim 25 mile bike and a 6.2 mile run everywhere else it's 1.5 k 40 k 10 k and to make a long story very very brief it came down to a 10K run of about a dozen guys getting off the bike together. And it was a six loop course. As it gets down to the last couple loops, there's only four guys left. Now do the math on this, dude. Mm. You've just raced for just an hour and 40 minutes. You're down to 2K left, four guys and only three podium spots, and it's for the Olympics. Yeah. At that time, are you thinking, I wish I did a little more speed work, did a little more strength work, Mm. was a little more dedicated to my nutrition, if, 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 doesn't matter. This, and like you were talking about, you're getting ready to start your periodization. Next six weeks, it's it's go time. You'd never know what you do is gonna be a building block that differentiates success and yeah. failure. When you're on the mat and you're just, you're like you say, you're gutted, you're done. And you're thinking to yourself, no man, I've worked four or five years for this. Nobody knows those four and yeah. a half, five years. They don't know the sacrifices, opportunity costs. They don't know what you've given up time, resources, energy, tears, sweat, blood, to get to that final 2K and to say, I wish. Mm. Doesn't matter if it's AC saying, I wish I hadn't taken that line. Tomac saying, I wish, and I mean, we can sit and give examples after examples, but I always want people to understand is, when you understand this idea that our industry works in a small box, and you learn to work within it, the rewards are astronomical. We all know, and I, was, I know there's a lot of, uh, of negative comments about outside of that second tier of pros, those guys are on Struggle Street. I don't like that either. But how many guys do we do uh, know? Are they, but how many of those guys that are on the second tier are giving it every single thing? Yeah. And it's like, to be fair, some of them are. Absolutely. Oh, I, I think the you second know. tier are, but to your point of what you said earlier, the guys that have become second tier because they didn't want to work in the confines that the industry requires to stay in that top tier. Yeah. You lost a ride because you're out on the stampede with four other guys snorting and smoking and drinking and doing stuff you know is going to take you outside of that capability box. Mm. Think about how small that playground is. 
we're, what are we talking, 20 guys? If you take all the factory teams, 250s, 450s, put them all together, what are we talking, 20, 22 guys? So I was going to say, it's probably 11 age class. Okay, so if we're looking at 22 guys, yeah. how many of the guys are in the second tier were once in that first 22? Yeah, exactly. And that's where my heart breaks because I'm thinking, you had the chance, yeah. but you were too cool for school. Now, I don't want anybody sending me hate emails going, yeah, but this guy didn't do that. Yeah, and he's it's on. not applicable to everybody. No, it's not. Yeah, but... but Unfortunately, the guys that you had mentioned earlier, the Nikos and the Stroops and some of that. Now, I totally understand you get addicted to painkillers. You and I had a conversation yeah. about that nasty stuff. I'm not, please understand, I'm not trying to live in a glass house. What I'm saying is the guys that you knew had the talent yeah, that, chose to squander it. They're very obvious. Yes. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a public record to everybody, including our listeners. We know the ones that squandered the opportunity, and now yeah. we're like, you know, they're they're eating off of crumbs, going, "Damn, I wish I hadn't done that." But yet, you've got another batch of young kids that have come in and do the exact same thing. Yeah. Well, I always like like Josh Hill. That dude's oh, rad. He's yeah. such a good dude. Yeah. His brother Justin, unbelievable yeah. dude. Josh fucked his life on over a backflip, a backflip at on the a militia, factory four fifty on the militia compound. Yep. On a factory four fifty. Dude. And and, and, and and how do you he, tell a young he kid would, that? He would regret that. Absolutely. And it's, and it's like, it's all good. And people make mistakes. But it's like, the the thing is, right, if you're AC mm-hmm. and you, you hit the kicker and then you crash and you lose a championship at Vegas, he isn't, you know why like he can go and give that podium interview? Is because he did everything right. That's right. And he, he knows did it. everything And he right. knows it. Yeah, ex- he and knows he does it. know it. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, Hill, he's going to go, I didn't do everything right. Mm-hmm. I fucking drove to Diggins' house yep. with a factory 450 <laughs> on the back of my truck and, and I did a backflip and I ruined my career. But take it a step further. For those that that haven't been around the sport very long, it wasn't a backflip that fucked him. It was the infections that came afterwards. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I didn't know it that. It started as a bad idea. Did a backflip, compound fractured his leg. I think it was a spiral fracture. But even that, fifth. he had the red plate. Absolutely. Don't do but a like backflip. It's one thing to say you made a bad mistake. Okay, you, you lost the number one. You lost a million and a half bonus, whatever it is. But then to get plagued by this yeah, incredible v- infection that had to go in and have it physically scraped out, not once, but twice if my numbers are right. That was the beginning of the end. Yeah. But again, hindsight's twenty twenty. We can look at it and say and the who, infection did it, but the catalyst was the backflip that yeah. Jeff left the factory t- test track with a 450 and did a backflip. And who was he beating in oh, that year? my gosh. Ryan Dungey. Yeah. Who went on yep. to have like the yep. craziest career after that? Well, it, Were it, you working with Dunge when he had that, when like he was in that season with Hill? Or did you start at KTM? I started KTM. Okay. When I was with uh, Who Dunge, did he have at Suzuki? Was he working with Omar or something? Omar. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, of the he had Omar at o- yeah. O- and so when I had Dunge at KTM, um, Alden had Kenny. So uh, when we were under the tent together, it was, and you know, it's it was cordial. You know, yeah. I don't think to this day, if I walked up to Sandbox, Kenny would talk to me or recognize me. But you know what I mean? I, I don't want to come across as saying, oh yeah, we're tight. We yeah, hung out and yeah. stuff. I mean, we all had to go and sit in meetings with, with Roger, yeah. you know, after the race and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's, if you look at, I mean, how many different guys can we talk about that? If you look at the choices that Alessi made versus Villapoto, mm. if you look at Lawrence versus Dungy, you have those pairings that go through all the years. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter what year it is. I mean, we can go all the way back to Barnett Howerton days to Hannah, you know, Brock Lover days. If you want to stay within a team, yeah. there's no reason why I use yeah, those examples. Yeah, yeah. And, 
The idea is it's very rarely the immediate choice that bites us in the ass. It's usually the ramifications of things we don't know are coming. Yeah. So for example, the infection for Josh, you know, yes, you did a backflip, messed your leg up pretty severely. Yeah, that stinks. But how many guys we know have come back from a spiral fracture of tib fib? A yeah. hundred of them. It's not, I mean, it's painful as heck. I can't imagine going through one, but it's not career ending. Yeah. It's the infections that you can't come over and whether we like it or not count. I mean, look at Jeremy Martin. I was just talking with him the other day. Dude, yeah, Who would have thought? Bad, eh? I mean, okay, he broke his back. That sucks. But that's not what's kept him out the last year. Hmm. It was a, the operation was done incorrectly. The, in, the back had a severe infection. Really? So, yeah. So if you recognize, and, and my oldest son, Josh, um, he compound fractured both of his wrists dirt jumping. We went to the ER room and the guy's like, we're going to, we're going to bolt him back together. And I'm like, nope. I'm fortunate enough. I have some, some surgeons that are also, uh, not only they do the, the ortho, they also were neurosurgeons. Uh-huh. And, you know, I almost got taken to court over this because I kept my son out of the operating room until the following Wednesday because I wanted him under the supervision of a doctor who, if he's inside your arms and sees nerve damage, he can fix the nerves and fix the bone. Yeah. I felt that that was a heck of a, now, you know, my son will tell you he's glad he did it. He was not very comfortable. But we got to it. But my point in all of that is when you understand the ramifications of the injury, you look at somebody like Jeremy. Jeremy's back was broken. He gets rushed to the hospital, of course. They immediately want to do surgery. Well, they do the surgery because they're not going to let him fly. Guy's got a broken uh, back. You know, they just, they're, they've got one process. They and the problem, too, with that is that, like, there's a different protocol with athletes. Absolutely. Like, you have to treat athletes you gotta be so on it. differently because you gotta be on it. the you don't know whether you're getting like a trauma surgeon. Yep. Whereas like his goal is like, you've been in a car accident, you're Save bleeding, your life. you lose it. Yeah. Let's just, let's life. just do what we can for yep. you not to die on this table. Yeah. They're not thinking about how much no, range of motion you're going to have in no. a wrist. They don't hell care if you no. have flexion and extension in your neck. They don't even care about the last 5%. No, nope. you're just not dead. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. It's like, you got to be like, Oh, well it's good enough. Yep. No, close enough. Isn't good enough in the That's game right. that we play. So it's like, yeah, I mean, well, for Jeremy not to be paralyzed, that was a success. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, it was done wrong, got infected. And, you know, now fortunately, I didn't know that. Yeah. So fortunately, Ziggy was like, okay, it's not your fault. They went ahead and gave him another year extension or maybe even a two year extension because he's got, I mean, I love Jeremy to death. I heard he might be, I heard he might be, um, because he had insurance, right? Mm -hmm. Might be just doing the, that's it, I'm going to do the insurance thing. Because I think Pike's in that same boat. Yeah, I don't know. Based on the fact, I will say it this way. I think now that he's, I mean, literally just in the last couple months, he's been allowed to get back on his bicycle and start training. If I was going to gauge it, maybe if I was a gambling guy, no pun intended, I would say he'll probably see what he can do in six to eight months. And yeah. you're at a junction in the road and you're going to have to go one way or yeah. the other. He is such a pit bull. Dude, that kid. I love that guy. That kid is vicious. Bro. I love that guy. Oh. And I, I shared this with you on the show last time. You know, I mean, I remember when, you know, Jeremy was on a little super mini and Alex was on the big bikes with Spencer Daly and, and with him. And, you know, I told you they would just we'd be on a bike ride and they would just drop, we called them germ. They just dropped germ. Like germ knows how to get home. And germ would come in crying, crying because he's so pissed. He wants to kill his brother. You know what I mean? But that's what germ grew up with is Alex was just always just, just beating the snot out of him. So I was texting back and forth with germ and he was on the DMXS podcast with our, our buddies, Iser and Kevin. And he said that, um, Alex was calling him the troll or excuse me, was calling him, um, the hunchback of Notre Dame, excuse uh, me. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so 
Alex, you know, because, you know, Germ doesn't cuss very much, but on the DMXS show, he goes, my fucking back's broke. And, <laughs> and it just made me start crying. Because if you know, if you know yeah, Germ, know. you know yeah, he doesn't yeah. talk like that. And you could just see his frustration, like, why are you making fun of me, man? My neck's broke. My back's broke. My... And so I texted him. I said, well, I said, if my brother had said that, I would bitch slap him. And he wrote back, he said, I will bitch slap him by putting podiums up that he can't match. And I was like, well, well played, because well, you can. Back. Yeah, welcome back. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, it's... What I think is so cool is that when you look at that, you know, here Jeremy is in, Jeremy's in the top of his game and breaks his back running into Cooper midair, you know, Justin Cooper. We've all forgotten about that. That's almost two years ago. Yeah, we're just summer. Like, oh, that was we a move on. It's on YouTube. And these guys are sitting back at home. I mean, Jeremy's actually working at a dealership. Oh, really? He's vacuuming and taking out and he's putting in online orders. He's making $10 an hour. Why? It's something to do for that mental sanity yeah. to go out and be productive, which yeah. I wanted to give him a high five knuckle punch. Yeah. And he's like, and his exact comment was, I didn't know how expensive this sport was. He goes, those boots are expensive. That's crazy. He's like, cause I've never, you know, he's, he, and I love it cause he acknowledges that he was fortunate enough yeah. and you know, his dad and, and his mom yeah. have done a great job with running, you know, Millville and all, but there's just a true appreciation for what he's got going full circle. What we've said so far today is, it took him breaking his back to have yeah. the insight that I guarantee, and I'm going to go out on a limb here as we sit here on the 1st of July. Watch where Jeremy goes with this sport. Yeah. If he truly can come back 100%, and he'll only do I it if he, he can do it 100%, yeah. because of his insight and because of this experience and going in, literally they have pictures of him cleaning toilets and putting online orders out and picking up trash outside of the front of the, of the dealership. You don't think he's going to appreciate that when he's in the middle of the summer mm. and he's in one of those elbow to elbow races and he's in a points race, it'll be nothing for him. Cause he's like, yeah. I'm not going back there. This is a heck of a lot easier. You start putting that into perspective. You know, if you watched the race this past weekend, you saw Dylan's or it's either Cooper or Ferrandis's mechanic had 40,000 on the board. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah. He put it up there. He had 40,000. So for the, for the average listener, which I think your show knows most of those guys, that's typical bonuses for those bonus, two fifty. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, think about it. That's somebody's salary for a year. Yeah. That's a moto. Win. That's just your moto. That's, that's one moto. overall. No, that'd be for overall. That'd right? be for the overall. Yeah, yep. Yeah. That'd be for the overall. But and you're in one moto trying to get the, there you yeah, go. Yeah. So let's just, let's break it into two. That's 20 grand. 20 a moto. grand of 30. That's, yeah, that's six months worth of work for yeah. some guys. Well, it's 40 grand an hour. That's what that is. There you go. Yeah. Yep. And so when you come back full circle, is it worth staying inside that little narrow box? Yeah. Go ask Nico. Yeah. Go dude. ask Austin. Yeah. Okay. And I don't really like to use Austin because I think Austin's was more of a painkiller situation. And I like Austin a lot, but you know, we could look at the other guys. Yeah. Just call that a generic term. But I mean, know? everyone like Villapoto could have got could have gone down the oxycotton road you know what i mean absolutely. like there's everyone's been on that like absolutely there's definitely like but then you go back to the asshole dad yeah because we all know our you yeah know, there's always we like know rv's dad story, was yeah. really on him yeah whether you like you know the special behind the scenes shows and stuff you saw the tears you saw the family broken up you saw the yeah my dad was hard on me you saw the tears but and I'm sorry that, you know, RV's dad's gone now, but, you know, I'm sure that RV would tell you it, he probably helped keep him. I yeah. guarantee you this, and I'll say this in 100% honesty, I know AC's dad, Alan, has been instrumental on AC Stand Straight. For sure. You know what I mean? And if you know Alan, excuse me, if you know AC's mom, Christy, she's right there. She's yeah. not a biatch at all. She just, he is her son first, and he's the racer second. Yeah. With Alan C, it's his son first. And the racer second. He loves his son like nothing. 
and his frustration that the people see at the tracks is like any good dad, you know, your son's capable of something. There's the thing that I noticed with Alan and like, cause the most that I was around them training wise was mm-hmm. when he was still at Alden's. Yes. And you could just like, there was just always like a level of respect. Always. Like the way that he'd talk to AC, like it was brutal. Mm-hmm. But you could tell that he respected his son. Yes. And I think that I've definitely been around like other other fathers where they just, that level of respect isn't there. They're like talking down to them. And that's where it goes full circle. I think the ones that talk down are the dads that are milking the rider. Yeah. The ones that are independent and see it's, it's not like a genuine want right. for them to like succeed. That's Whereas right. like you could tell with Alan, yeah. yeah. You could tell with Alan there's like this real like... Oh, I, I wish I, I, I wish I could remember what he said, like exactly. So mm-hmm. I could, it wasn't just speculative, but it there was just something where like he, uh, AC pretty much was like, dude, I was railing that turn. And yep. he just was like, it was terrible. Yep. Like that's shit. Yep. He's like, don't even tell me that that was the best you got. That's, like, Alan's, that's, big, that's Alan's big thing. Don't tell me yeah. what I know. Yeah. I, and I love that you brought that up because when Alan the thing that I loved the most about Alan is he wasn't the type of dad that would just bitch about something. Yeah. He would say, do it this way. Yeah. And if you didn't do it that way, that's what frustrated him. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is Alan was very big on research. Uh, he's always studying. I mean, Alan is a very analytical person. He's a he, smart dude. He's a smart dude. And he's doing the research while his son's sleeping so that he could be a resource when his son's up. His uh, son could be to the best of his ability in the shortest amount of time. And when you don't do it the right way and have articulated how to do it and you don't do it, that's what the people don't see on the outside. They yeah, just hear him yeah. going, that was shit. Yeah. Instead of going, he, I railed it. That was shit. You weren't in third gear. You're too far forward. You know, not to, you know whatever the it is behind it. But Alan is very, very keen on going out and finding out the elements that it takes whether it was riding a super mini with bigger wheels, whether it was going to a one, two, five, whether it was going to be going to the pro class. Alan was always doing what was necessary for AC. Cause I don't and know. About it just you. becomes, it becomes like a project. Yes. Where, you know, and that's like me and my dad, mm-hmm. when we, we'd like build these bikes and we'd do, it was just a project, man. Yep. And it's like, people say that, Oh, he's the one that's on the bike. But it's like, I couldn't have got to one race without my dad. Amen. Exactly. I could could not still to this day. Like my brother raced the six hour enduro transmoto. Cool. My dad went down there with him. Like there's, it's very rare that my, like either of us will go to any race without our dad there. That's how it is. And it's like, so when people say like, oh, you know, it's not your dad that's on the bike. I'm like, it's half like that's half the thing. Like you've got to but get do, to but the But do race. people know who your dad really is? Not just your dad, but do they know the engines he's built? Do mm. they know his, I don't know what I'm allowed to say and not say, but you know, do they know who he's built motors for? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it, but that was like before then though, you but, know, like but, back in the day sort of deal. But again, if you look backwards, yeah, they didn't know what you knew. Yeah. They just wanted to be critical again, back behind the keyboard experts not realizing your dad's building these motors for people that are going out and winning very, yeah, very high yeah. profile races. You had the respect for him because you knew what he was capable of and you, you respected his insight and what he said. And, it and was yet like, people want to, you know, Oh, I can't believe yeah. he doesn't ride the bike. Oh, well, but it's, <laughs> I think it's more just the fact that like, it's like a team thing. Sure. And it's like, 
when you're in a work environment or you know like me and my girlfriend we like i get angry at her she gets angry at me it's like that's because you're like in this thing together yep whether you know she's not going to my work i'm not going to her work but we're working together that's right and i think that that's like the perspective that you know you need to keep to think like you know these guys are there really because of what their parents did and it, it just gets weird when it gets weird when you get into the situation where it's like i want x amount of money for this part that i played and mm-hmm. this and, you know and then it sort of does get weird or when the father talks down to the kid sure. and makes the kid feel like shit because anytime anyone talks down to you it's out of ego absolutely you know so whether it's your dad or whether it's mm-hmm. your friend or who it like anybody that talks down to you that's not coming from a place of like love and yeah wanting you to succeed totally agree you know so it's like and there have been the dads where like they just straight talk down to their kids yep in motocross well and i liked what you said you know with michaela's here with us with ray and you know michaela's a professional painter so if you've under if you've done any research on the brain you look at the right hemisphere of the brain is yeah, truly the creative yeah. element I'm about as left brain, logical, zeros and ones, yeah, straight line. Analysis yeah. I can't draw a straight line without screwing it up without a ruler. Yeah. So when you look at that, when you look at human performance, I can bring a different perspective. Of, and this is where, and we talked a little bit about it on the last show together, this is where I get annoyed when there's an ex-pro that then becomes a writing coach, that then becomes a physiologist, that becomes a psychologist, that becomes a nutritionalist. Mm. Well, I've been there before. And as I teased last time, just because I read my 250F manual doesn't mean Ziggy or Mitch should hire me. Yeah. It doesn't make me an expert. And this is one of the frustrations that I get into, like the schools that we're doing here in Sydney in, or here in Australia. We have four of them this this go around. And and the idea here is, is I'm not here to argue whether you should stand up or sit down in a corner, whether you should use one or two fingers on a front yeah. brake. I'm looking at the strength and the flexibility. I'm looking at preceding that with nutrition and hydration preceding that with strength and endurance and then trying to wrap up your head around, okay, you, you nailed your start at Loretta's you're coming through the woods. Can you handle 39, 41 other guys chasing you? Cause I can get you physically fit, but can you mentally handle the part? Mm. It's all encompassing. But my point is you can have four people. I can give the exact same program to, and four people are going to do it differently because of the way they perceive it. Yeah. You look at the, you and your girlfriend are trying to do the same thing. It may be just making eggs. But you have two different ways. It doesn't mean one's right and one's wrong. But you got to find a way to make them all work. And it's not easy all the time. It's not easy. And that's where ego gets involved. Intention gets involved. If I'm hired as a human performance coach, I'm not in a dictatorship. That's why I use the analogy of a mushroom. I'm not going to say do it because I said it. I want you to understand the why. So then when you do it, you have confidence in what you did. Have you ever read, uh, have you ever heard of Jocko Willink? No. Navy SEAL? Dude. No, but that's got to be good if it's Navy SEAL. Yeah, so this guy, Jocko Willink, he wrote this book called, um, it, it's like a leadership book. It's okay. called Extreme Ownership. Okay. I'll give you a look upstairs. Oh, after. please, yeah. Dude, it's insane. And I like what that. you said was like straight out of his book mm. of like, I would give people the why mm-hmm. of why they're doing it. The, uh, the part of being like a leader for somebody is like, this is why you should do it. Yep. And if you, you know, if you don't convince them of that enough, or if you don't provide them with enough information, yep. then you've failed on that term. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And then it's like, but then if they then, you know, choose to like listen with closed ears or whatever, mm-hmm. then it's, then it's on them. But it's like, that's what he talks about is like, he was never the guy that would give, just give people orders. 
and he would say you have to understand why i'm asking you to do this absolutely because when you know a why and you can understand a why then you can really buy into the plan and you can like get on board with it and like his his whole it's called extreme ownership okay because he and i and i've thought about it in so many instances and i'll try and apply this to my life now like everything that happens if you're in a position of leadership or mm-hmm. you're in a position of whatever like if you're the boss of anything sure like because i was actually thinking about this today um, driving to the gym singing about uh one of my brother's old bosses okay and he got the shits with him because like he made some big mistakes and i'm like and this was like years and years ago i don't know why it even popped into my head but uh, that it made me think of that book and i'm like dude that was your fault mm-hmm. they were your mistakes like you're the captain of the ship that's right and everything trickles down if if he made that mistake it was because he didn't have good enough leadership mm-hmm. he didn't have uh good enough uh direction exactly. he didn't have enough resources yep. and that all falls like under your command that's right and so it's like it's the the why uh you've got to make people understand the why and then you've also got to realize that anything that happens under your command the goods and the bads it's on you and that's where i said earlier my biggest challenge is earning someone's trust don't yeah. give it to me let me earn it but on the flip side of that if i'm going to use terminology lactate tolerance i'm going to use anaerobic threshold i'm going to use quote unquote buzzwords yeah you've got to be open to the idea that i'm trying to give you 36 years of street experience four degrees my own race experience i'm trying to give you the cliff note version but unfortunately you're just going to have to just go with it. You're going to have to go with it, but yeah. it, but it is my responsibility to say, Hey, be open-minded here. If I can get you to eat this, this is what's going to happen at a blood chemistry level. This is what's going to happen at a hormonal level. And this is what's going to happen at the end. Let's say we're trying to drop weight. Or we're trying to stabilize blood cortisol levels. If I can show you the how you don't really have to stay so focused on the science and the chemistry. Just I'm trying to give you the four necessary steps. Yeah, this is like I've done the learning. Now I'm just going to give you the That's practical. It. And yeah. I always say, if you want to do a deep dive, we'll sit here for three hours and talk yeah. about cortisol. Yeah, I, I'm totally cool with doing it. However, you don't have time. Well, no, no, yeah. I don't mind doing it. The, no, like the, as an athlete, right. it's like you're an athlete. You don't have time for this shit. You but just that's go train, where, sleep, recover. But that's where it's a catch-22 because they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. You're trying to kind of beg for them to trust you, but they've been screwed by another trainer, especially in California. Trainers have gone an ebb and flow that are pretty interesting. Everybody had to have a trainer. Then the trainers got called men friends, and then the men friends got called a waste of money, and then the waste of money. And I see both sides of it. If you are truly educated, and you, I, and I say this to everybody that calls me and we do a first consultation together, if you're coach, trainer, I hate the word trainer, because to me, it's nothing more than a glorified man friend. When you, that's why I refer to myself as a human performance specialist. Because if you want to talk about nutrition, hydration, strength, endurance, psychology, I can go with all of those. Can I tell you how to get your, you know, your valves within one shim? No, I can't go there. Mm. That's not my job. That's why I hire somebody to do that. And I always use the same thing here. But when we go there and it says, oh, well, Billy Bob down the road said, don't do it. Okay. Can Billy Bob explain to me no why? Yeah. No, he can't because when he was on a factory team, that's what his manager said. And his manager was trained by Billy Bob from 10 years before that. I don't, I have no patience for that. You said it earlier. The sport has grown to a point now where there is a science behind it. It's just, it's on a razor's edge, eh? But yet it's no different than you need a freaking computer to do EFI on a motorcycle. Yeah. That 20 years ago, we never talked about EFI. That was kind of, that was almost a joke. Yeah. But that's reality now. 
So I'm not going to go and try to program a 250 or 450 on an EFI setting. I'm going to hire somebody to do it, but I'm not going to hire a mechanic that has got a track record of blowing bikes up. And I look at physiology the same way. I see people that yeah, well, go it's like a them. dude rocking up with like a box full of pilot jets yes. and shit yeah. and then be like, oh, you're the new dude. And I oh, had that EFI. I don't like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Exactly. You've got to have a dude that comes in with his laptop. He's got all his connections. He sits down and he, he's like, a, he, he analyzes it. it. Yeah. And, and that's where I get kind of a, I get a bad rap on some levels because I'm very, very analytical, but I always say it this way. Why are you coming to me frustrated? Because you weren't told the truth. You weren't ever really given some insight as to why you're doing something. They always wanted you to be dependent on them. That's like yeah. like our programs. Our programs are month to month. I don't ever want somebody buying into a 12-month contract. Because if I'm not happy with you and you're not happy with me, first of all, give me a chance to fix it. Let me tell you why I'm not happy with you. If we can amicably fix it, we got a good partnership. But sometimes you just don't get along with people. Mm-hmm. They have differing opinions. They, maybe their method of communication is a little bit different. I'm okay with that. That's why, and I said this in the last podcast, that's why we have stuff in print. That's why we have stuff on YouTube. That's why we have stuff on audio. People listen and learn and comprehend differently. Yeah. However, at the end of the day, what I don't like is when somebody wants to try and get into an argument, but then doesn't want to get into the science. And then when you get into the science, they say you talk too much and you make it too complicated. That's like me telling Mitch or Bones that they're making motors and suspension too complicated because I don't understand it. But yet they've got, how many championships has he got sitting on the side of that rig? A thousand. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But you bought that bike. You didn't ask for the dyno and the blueprint. You bought the bike because you were told it could do this. Yeah. It could perform this way with this configuration. You bought it, you applied it, and it worked. When it comes to human performance, everyone's got an opinion. And they're kind of like a-holes. Not everybody wants to see them or hear them. Mm. And it drives me out of my mind because you have the two schools. You have the people who go to a weekend workshop, they get some quote unquote certification and now they're an expert. Then when you challenge that person, that's when you get that condescending. Remember what you said earlier about when somebody is condescending, it's very ego driven. Yeah. That's what drives me out of my mind because when a client asks me, we're going to be at these, these camps for the next four weeks. When a young rider asks me a question, I'm ecstatic. They're like, dude, they want to learn. Yeah. And I'll explain it to them. And then to see them actually apply it and, it doesn't matter if it's creating stability on a bike. If you understand that the human body works in a three-dimensional plane, if you look at a motorcycle as a three-dimensional plane, a motorcycle is a moving gyroscope, I'm not a riding coach in regards to two fingers on the front brake. Yeah. I'm saying the bike's at a 45-degree angle coming into the corner, and you don't know why. Yeah. And you just have somebody saying, you need to drive it in deeper. Instead of saying, let's figure out how to tame this gyroscope, oh, wait a second, you don't have the strength and the flexibility to do it before we even get to the braking bumps. Yeah. Screw the apex of the corner. They want to argue about, is your head position here? Where's your foot? The problem's 200 meters back. Yeah. My point coming full circle is that accountability issue. If I have a rider that knows he or she needs to be on the balls of their feet and they're not, own it. I'm not yelling at you. Just fix it. Mm. If if the bike is unstable coming in because it's not getting input, and you know the reason why the bike is swapping because of lack of just simply fix it. Yeah. That was a that was Alan's ace. That was yeah. Alan's MO. Yeah. He would yell and scream because he'd get pissed because he's like, Why are you not doing it? Yeah. I used to love this. Alan would look at him and say, Look at me. Look at me. Do you understand what I just said? <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, then go All do right. it. Then go do if it. If you're saying you get it, yeah. 
And Alan would do that over and over again. Yeah. And he would not be screaming or hollering. He was just like, I want to make sure that I, it's right in line with what you just said. Yeah. I want to take responsibility that you understand what I'm expecting. And if you say yes, and we've just discussed how you're going to do it, then simply go do it. Dude, it's so funny. Like my buddy yesterday, so he's like with us all, all the time. Like he's one of my, my best mates. And um, well, I was talking to Ricky and he's like, he's like, why were you like arguing with her about that? We we're like this chick and I, she's like, oh, no, she's a legit model. And I'm like, all right, first of all, if you're like a legit model, you don't have Instagram. Exactly. They don't really let you have Instagram right. because you can just put your photo anywhere. Yep. If you want someone to pay $40,000 for your photo, it shouldn't be free on an Scarcity app, principle. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, so let's just, let's just, and she just like, she was disagreeing. Yeah, but she gets paid. And I'm like, yeah, cool. I get paid to do podcasts. Doesn't mean I'm Joe Rogan. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Absolutely. There's a, there's, a sl- there's a sliding scale. That's right. Anyway, my buddy Shane's just like, why did you just go so hard about that? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, because that's like a perspective that I've got based on some facts. Mm-hmm. And I re- I want her to like understand, like, this is where my answer is coming from. Yep. Like, I'm not just trying to disagree with you. I'm not like, there's no ego in this. I would like you to understand my perspective. If Absolutely. you can understand my perspective, then it's like, oh, okay, I get, I get it. That's all I want. Like, I don't want her to be like, oh, you're right. Or exactly. it's not bullying. It's not a, I just, that's my personality. Like that's right. if I'm going to, if I think something, I would like you to just at least just understand where I'm coming from. That's Listen all. to the facts and then make your own decision. I don't want you to agree, but it's like, don't fight me on my own opinion. That's you know? right. Yeah. And he was just like, he was like, man, it was just funny. But when I explained it to him like that, he's like, that's actually like a interesting mm-hmm way of looking at it yep. because so many people you know like let's just agree to disagree it's like well do you see what i'm saying and no. do i see what you're no, saying or, yeah exactly yep. They're like I you hate. didn't see it my way so we're done yeah yeah and i hate that shit and i'm well, just you're like back to, you're back to ego and condes- yeah. being somebody being condescending again. you have to avoid though like talking down to people when sure. you are trying to get your point across like that definitely happens but it's like, yeah, if you can be like really genuine and that's, I think that's a lot like Alan or whatever, yeah. you know, you see those kind of people and like people say I'm like super blunt and I'm like, well, it's just easy. Like I don't want to flavor something because I just want to get it but across. But what's wrong with like, blunt? What's yeah, wrong with I blunt? like it. I think it just takes all the guesswork. Well, it takes shit. it and it makes a conversation much more effective yeah. in a shorter period of time and we can get more done. I, I liked what you and Mick were talking about, like whether Roxon was dealing with chronic fatigue or, you know, whether it's Covington deal with chronic fatigue or whatever it is, you know, people will call you and ask your opinion and then you explain it scientifically and then they want to argue with you. Yeah. They want to come because what it is, is they called you wanting you to concur with what their yeah, opinion they just was. Want, yeah. They want, and you, you try to, to give your perspective again, scientifically driven. They didn't like that answer. So they want to, they want to stir the stink pot and bring it back until you see it their way to And then you're just like, what is yeah. the point of that? And it, it, it's one of those situations where when you when you continue to break it all down, at the end of the day, what is the point of the conversation? Michaela hears me say this all the time. When when I'm working with a client, I'm giving them the opportunity to talk to me about their frustrations, and I'm going to go ahead and take a lot of notes, and I'm going to make sure that I, I hit the points yeah. that they need to. And at the end of the conversation, I say, now, are, are you cool with this? Do you understand what we're talking about? And most of the time, they're good about saying, I was good with all of it until here. So I, I know where, they, where we lost on stage left. But that takes time. Mm. It takes engagement. I think so many people are worried about their phone, looking around. They're, they're already somewhere else. But you asked me a question. That's why I so enjoy listening to you and Mick talk. Because 
Never once have I seen you say it or make a statement and Mick is in left field or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. You guys are watching the screen. You're like, dude, you see that? And he picks right up on what you yeah. saw. You can tell there's an incredible level of awareness. And when you have that level of awareness and someone's in the here and now, and you understand it goes back full circle, what is our goal of the here and now? To make the greatest amount of money, be as, as successful as possible. The Justin Coo, I'm just here to win. Yeah. Pretty simple. Call it blunt. Call it offensive. Call it whatever you want. We're here to get a job done, and that's what we're here to do. Yeah. And if you want the straight and narrow and you understand the why behind every workout you're doing, great. You'll do it. But it's the idea that nobody wants to be transparent as to the why behind it. Yeah. Because if you come back and you ask me, hey, Rob, why are you asking for trigger point therapy only after a workout? And I say, because I said so. Well, that doesn't answer your question. Put yeah, you back yeah. on your heels and it makes me look like I'm some prima donna. And once again, you don't know the answer to the why behind yeah. it. Yeah. How do we move this forward? What, so that you can just keep paying me every month? That's that. There's no integrity in that. Yeah. To me, I want to empower people so they understand they, we're not going anywhere. You can call us and consult with us 24-7, 365. If you have a question, I always tease. When someone texts me, they're not calling to talk about the weather. Yeah. They've got an issue. Shit. Yeah. Man, it's like, it's so, um, it's so funny, uh, with like what sinks in when, mm -hmm. and it's why, like just recently. So like my friend Shane, he's one of my coaches Okay, and he, um, he's been saying to me like before the last comp, he's like, dude, I just, I want you to stretch, like spend this week stretching. Mm -hmm. And I like, I stretch a bit. Like I, I would stretch a lot more than I'd say the average person would. Okay. But I don't have an intensive stretching regime. Yeah. Right. And that was his one request. He's like, just don't do anything crazy. Don't do, don't up your workload. Sure. Don't like, just don't try and take on any new shit. Just stretch and just enjoy your week before the comp. And then I was like, cool. So I stretched, but I didn't, I didn't like, didn't have a reason to stretch in my head mm -hmm. that made like a really, like, I, I'm like, yeah, no, it feels mm -hmm. good and blah, blah, blah. But I didn't have like the why yet. Mm -hmm. Right. And then this weekend I, I was watching, um, I was just binge watching a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of good coaches that have really good YouTube channels. Cool. And this one dude, uh, John Thomas, he, okay. uh, is like the Dungeons and Dragons dude of jiu-jitsu. Oh, wow. Like, you know, like the board game. Yes. Like he thinks about jiu-jitsu as Dungeons and Dragons. It's the most, he's the coolest caliber. Cool. And, um, but anyway, so he, he made this video of basically like the goal for like just full basic jiu-jitsu terms is like, if you get past my legs and pin my shoulders to the ground, you're in like massive control of mm. my body. So I need to keep my legs somewhere in front of you and so you can bring your say if you're on your side you can bring your foot around and put it on their shoulder and then you can get a frame and then you can sort okay. of start working back so if you don't have good f hip flexibility groin flexibility piriformis flexibility sure. there's a really limited range of motion right and he broke it down in this video where he basically, he got on the mat and he's like, okay, let's say you can do a butterfly stretch this much. Mm -hmm. So someone comes in, it's a very common way that this is a position everyone in jiu-jitsu finds themselves. All right, this is my mobility. I cannot get this hook back in. Now I, instead of just being able to do this and then reset, now I need to know a whole set of techniques. Interesting. To get somebody back into a position where I'm more in control just because of limited just because range of, of a little and he's like all right and he's insanely flexible this oh, dude, wow. and really long legs so yep. then he's like so let's go from here to here 
same position. I can put my foot over, push him away. I need zero techniques more in my arsenal. Love it. I need nothing else yep. but this much flexibility. And now I'm back to where I was. And that video just fully blew my mind. That's cool. I was like, that's like, and it's just a why. Yes. It was so obvious. I could see myself in that position and I've been there. Every day I go there. Sure. Every day I get stuck to the point where I'm trying to get a yep. foot back in don't have enough flexibility and I'm quite flexible okay like that's one thing that people will always they're like oh it's so annoying your legs are long and like long, in that yeah. video that I showed yeah. you like I can use my legs put well. them wherever you want but I don't have like it like world-class flexibility and dexterity mm-hmm. and uh just that video it was the why he yep. fully broke down a why that I could just see so much value in and it's not that I don't like I have so much respect for Shane as one of my coaches okay and I, when he suggests something, I do it. Sure. But the just this whole, like the way this got explained right. in this video and at that time, and it was reinforced from him already saying it. So it's like all of these little things. And then you have Boom. that light bulb moment. Once that epiphany goes, yeah. that's it. And what have I been doing for the last four days? Like stretching intensive like stretching. Yep. You know, like I stretched all uh, half an hour before class. Mm. I stayed half an hour after class. There you go. And it's just... And, and I, your only focus for those two 30-minute blocks was stretch. Just stretching. You're not dicking around on your no. phone, not talking well, to anybody. Well, you kind of can dick around on your phone, to be honest, like but the with idea, some stretching. But you're there doing it with purpose and function. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's what I think people misunderstand is what are you doing for that 30 minute block? You said, Hey, I'm there to stretch. So 99% of your time and effort was stretching. You get off that mat. It resonates with you. I've got a better position. I always refer to those as the non sweating elements. People think unless it's brutal, unless it's always painful and uncomfortable, then it's not productive. Well, range of motion, four degrees here, two degrees there. Like you said, working on the brain, getting the brain to be able to fire at that rapid chess game thinking two moves yeah. ahead of knowing where you're going to go as you showed me earlier once you got to a certain position you were already two steps ahead of them yeah. you knew game was over you're just biding your time yeah think about that that didn't that's that's not the skill set that you were learning it was more of you knew where you were at yeah call it flexibility call it diaphragmic breathing call it whatever it is but you knew you were in control i love what you said you knew it was over yeah when i heard you say that i'm like dude that is like that is the best moment ever it's like McGrath being on the gate going, I'm going to win this. Yeah. Doesn't matter if he's in 15th or 22nd after the first turn. He knows he's going to the front. That's that athletic poise that we talk yeah. about. You saw it with RC, you saw it with, with RV. You know, you, there's just something about, you see it with Tomac. Yeah. When he's on his on moment, there's just a disposition about him. He's passing on the outside where he shouldn't. He's doing things that we just go, what? You're three stages ahead of him. You knew where your leg was at. Yeah. You knew once you were able to keep that pin and... I think that's what goes back to what you said earlier. When you look at those guys that are at the top of their game and they've got everything is going the right direction, what people don't understand is all the effort it takes to create that forward momentum. Yeah. Well, you know, the crazy thing is, is like, so one of my, um, so we got like, there's like four or four or five coaches at the gym. So we got like, I think three black belts and then three brown belts that like they coach us a lot mm. like they sort of rotate taking classes yeah and one of my coaches was just in bali he missed the state championships and so this morning was the first time i'd seen him and he's like what was different about this comp like mm-hmm. that you just fucking just destroyed yeah that whole thing and i just like all i could do i was like dude i just don't think i could have trained any harder mm-hmm. like that's it yep. i don't have any there's nothing else in my head of like i was thinking about like why i did 
that good. I just friggin' I didn't even put headphones in. Mm-hmm. Like I saw all the dudes like had their headphones in, they're like sure. psyching themselves up and like full doing all these routines and shit, trying to like get ready. Cause yep. like, it's still, it's, it's not like motocross. Like there's a different level of nerves mm-hmm. because you just don't know what someone else could do to you. Absolutely. And like, there's, it's, it's definitely, it's not dangerous, but it's like, it's definitely scary that, that someone is just there for five minutes. They're allowed to f- break your arms put you to sleep you can there's submissions that will completely destroy your knee if you don't tap fast enough enough, yeah so it's like you know it's it's the like there's an intensity there that i never got in motocross i never got in any other sport and you're so nervous and worried but like i was so nervous leading up to it and it made me train so hard and then i got there and i was just like i couldn't have done any more Mm. than i did if i'm gonna lose i'm gonna lose like that was my mindset and it, it was crazy then to like, I had my headphones, I had like a Red Bull and yeah. I had, you know, all yeah. the standard shit that I would you do, like do. suck yeah. yourself up. Yep. And I didn't even bother with any of it. Didn't put my headphones in. I didn't even bring them to the, um, into like the staging oh, area. Wow. And I was just like, dude, whatever, Don't yeah. whatever. I couldn't have trained. I couldn't have done any more. And like, it's funny because I've spent 10 years filming with the best athletes Mm -hmm. in, in this sport. Sure. And in, in other sports too, like Olympic skiers and like all, you know, Blake Griffin, the plays Mm -hmm. for the Clippers, like all of these people. And you'd always hear them say like, it's, it's not one on the weekend. It's one during the week. Amen. And it's like, dude, when like I sort of, and it's on a a micro scale Mm -hmm. compared to what they're doing it. But I got a legitimate taste of that. Like I worked as hard as I could. And, you know, I probably could have done uh, more, another rep of this. Sure. But I did what I needed and Mm -hmm. I knew that I did what I needed and I wasn't cramming stuff in. I just, I just went there I put in work and like the two weeks before the comp, like I was apologizing to people I was training with. I'm like, like, Hey, sorry. But like, yeah, but not, not even like, uh, destroying them, but this, it's going to be really hard. That's what I'm saying. You know, you're going to take them to the struggle bus pretty quick. Like I'm really on my A game. And it might be super hard on me. Yeah. But I'm gonna like so you get there's some guys where you just can't mess with them they're they're that good oh, wow. they've been doing it for that long that they'll they'll smash you every time you mm. roll but their their level of like how much they're gonna smash you yeah. depends they on can how hard that. I'm gonna go yep and it's like I'm going you but, know you know I hope the listeners have stayed with what you just said there because I think if you go back and you rewind this video or, or the or the podcast think about everything that's in the element of what you just said. You knew you couldn't work any harder. Props to your coaches. They gave you performance milestones that you knew that you were 2% better than you were a year ago, six months ago, three weeks ago, because of something you could do. I don't care if it's flexibility. I don't care if it's putting somebody into a particular hold in a, in a, in a nanosecond. You tease a little bit about calling it a chess game. What I think is interesting is when you look at your, we, we sat and watched it on film. It's now history. Yeah. What people don't understand is what was in your head Looking at that guy when that match was getting ready to start, you already knew where you were going to go. Yeah. On a starting gate of a motocross race, we it's all the same know shit. it's yeah. exactly the same. And I've never, I've never connect like I know it's like that, but yep. I've never been, I've never experienced. How powerful it. is that? Oh, it's ridiculous. It's it's a life changer. Yeah. You'll you'll look at everything differently going forward, and I say this as humbly as I can. Winning a championship is not hard. 
what's difficult is when you don't know what you did to get there and it's an accidental championship, yeah. you can't repeat it or it's more of oh, an that's effort. That's interesting. So There's for been me, guys that have done that. Well, that's why our program is called the Blueprint of Success because I want you to understand the why every day. Yeah. I want you to understand this week's role in a 52-week cycle every week. Yeah. I want you to understand phase one, five, seven, ten. When we get to Loretta's and we win or we go to the Hangtown National and we win, that's not accidental. We didn't roll off the turnip truck and say, hey, oh, guess what? Yeah. We have a national this weekend. You sitting there, what I love about those, whether it's boxing, jiu-jitsu, that kind of, it is the ultimate chess game because I don't know how many exponential combinations, a billion yeah. combinations. He goes right, you go left, you go up. He, I mean, just continue to exponentially combine those and then add, oh shit. The fear and then the, the fear. danger, yeah. And then what if he does meet you where you didn't anticipate he was going to meet you in a nanosecond, you're going to plan B, plan D, plan Z. And that shit's happening. What'd you say that went a minute and 14, yeah. 15 seconds. In your case, your initial five, six seconds caught him off guard, put you in control. Think about, and you hear this all the time, the momentum shifted your way. Yeah. You know, you had this guy in this hold and he just happened to get that ankle moved the right way, caught you off guard. You weren't ready for the next one. He gets his ankle out. Boom. Momentum changed. Yeah fight, 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 you regroup yourself, that flexibility that you've been doing for three months, you didn't realize it, now you get that foot back behind. Next thing you know, you roll the guy. That goes back to what we said earlier. You don't know that one this week where you spent yeah. an extra 30 minutes before and after class. That flexibility may be what changes something in August. Yeah. That may change next February, but you don't know it's from July of last year. Yeah. It's that straight and narrow we were talking about. And you the thing don't too, know. like with, with the training we do, is it's not like, like I don't get a say in it. Yeah, I just, I just I rock up to the gym six days a week yeah. and just do whatever they tell me to do. And the, and why do they tell you to do what they want you to do? Because they know incrementally this is where you're going to meet your yeah. fullest potential. And the thing is, I don't even care. Right. I don't even care what they tell me to do. But that's like, where that just, trust comes exactly. in. You just that trust blind yeah. faith. Yeah. Now, if the guys that you work with have black belts and brown belts and umpteen million championships, if that matters to the street guy, cool. That brought you in the door. But at the end of the day. When he's, when he's sitting there kicking your ass all around the matter, you're thinking, oh, he's a black belt that won this champ. No, you're yeah. thinking this guy is bad mofo, Yeah. but I'm getting better. Like you said, come in, get completely crushed. Three months later, you might be able to do a little bit. They know that path. That's where I love yeah, the shortcut. Just it. Yeah. They know the cliff notes. If you come in there and you look him in the eyes and you shake him in the hand and say, this is where I want to go. He's like, okay, are you ready for it? Are you really ready for it? Because the path of where you're at to where you want to be is not always the most comfortable. There's complete responsibility, taking the Navy SEALs comment, and the idea that this guy at the top knows how to get you where you want if you're willing to make the opportunity, give up the opportunity yeah. cost of comfort, security, all that goes with it. Yeah. And staying in that straight and narrow is not the coolest thing to do all the time. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, you'd rather be at the stampede looking cool, slaying the girls, doing whatever you want to do instead of the guy that's putting himself in bed at 10 o'clock, back in the gym at 8 doing an easy workout before he goes to the gym on the way back, or excuse me, on the way to the track, on the way back from the track, goes back, hits another, you know, stretch, massage, whatever it's going to be. Yeah. As you said earlier, the championships are won when no one else is around. Yeah. And I say that all the time. But these young kids we work with, I tell them, and I'm very, very blunt with them. If you think giving up sodas is your mom and dad coming down on you as hard, yeah. go find another sport. Yeah. Because there's either the the human brain is either motivated by the pleasure of success or is motivated by the fear of failure. And yeah. there's a, there's a healthy medium of both. I'm a fear of failure. Yep. 
I was so, I was like, I just didn't want to lose. But I'll like, challenge you on it. this. Because you had such a success in your last match and you destroyed everybody so quickly, what happens is if the enjoyment of that sensation is what's going to draw you through the next level of struggles because those guys are going to drag you through another level of performance that if they gave that to you a year ago, you probably wouldn't live to tell about it. Yeah. Like people will say that all the time. Like I said in the last show, you know, I could give AC's amateur program to somebody and it would destroy them yeah. because AC was so dedicated to doing whatever it takes. And he it built takes. it up over time. And he built it up. It's like me walking into your jujitsu class. I mean, yeah. seriously? Yeah, I can do an Ironman. I can do a half Ironman. I can ride moto. That's a different playground. I'll get myself destroyed. I mean, physically get hurt. I could get broken literally in two. <laughs> so, but I respect that going in there and you did the same thing. Take that the same context. What people don't realize is when we watch somebody's success, it's it. What is that? It's it's a business joke that I hear all the time. It's a five year overnight success. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. people only see you when you finally get to the top. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, I don't like to show my age. I'm 51 years old, but you know, when I say I've got 36 years of experience, it's it's not a boastful comment. It's what we said at the onset yeah. of today's podcast. If that matters to you that I've got this experience or this name or worked with this person or have this awesome, what matters to me is that I'm going to do the best I can to meet you where you're at. I'm gonna do the best I can to show you the blueprint on how we're gonna get to where you want, but you're gonna have to make the commitment to do the things that I can't babysit you to do. You're in Australia. If somebody tells me they wanna win your nationals, here's what we're gonna have to do. Now, are you gonna look at giving up that sodas as a a punishment, or are you looking at that as a building block towards, I'm gonna be leaner, strength to weight ratios will be better, VO2 max will be better, I'll be able to drop the hammer the second half of that moto, track's going to get deteriorated i'm going to be stronger you know now you're because what you're doing is if you take about excuse me if you take where you're at and think about where you're at you because of the of how well you competed you're at a completely different level perfect example if i were to take somebody and i apologize i don't know the exact verbiage somebody walks into your dojo for the first time you did whatever that level is somebody walks in tomorrow i want you to go fight that person because people always say, does it ever get any easier? No, because you just keep getting better. Yeah. But if you want to, if you want a gut check, go back to where you started. Yeah. So like, for example, Michaela is extremely really, as a triathlete, is extremely fast. So if I take where she's at, and if I want to make it easier, take it back to where she was two years ago. And go, you've only got to do it in this amount of time. That's it. She'd, She'd be like, oh, that's not that. Yeah. yeah. But unfortunately, this is what we call athletic maturity. Until you experience it. You're never going to have the maturity to look back and go, oh, that's where I came from. That's where the mm. performance milestones come from. Whether it's, you know, when you get into strength or get into, you know, time trialing or something like that, it's easy to say, hey, on this 20K time trial, I was one minute faster. You yeah. can quantify that. Yeah. When you're into something like yours, and, and even with, you know, we're, obviously we're big moto fans. When you look at the mental aspects of it, it you can't measure mental. Yeah. But you can sort of see it. That's athletic emerge. poise. Yeah, you can see it. It's happen. the athletic poise. It's it's the AC doing the interview with Daniel Blair immediately after or losing Hangtown and champ. winning. That's like right. Two weeks after. Two weeks after, because what was all of the talking pundits talking about? Is he going to crack or is he going to yeah. blossom? Which I thought was a really yeah. silly question. The second side of the equation is when you look at that whole path of which was taken athletic poise once again can't be measured Mm. it takes having to look back in history to go wow he fought through adversity smashed that wall when he was over there in europe and they thought is this it 
like you said, all the negative pundits. Oh, I knew it. He was a piece of shit. Never going to yeah, make it. He's fragile. Just like waiting. Just because like, that's what they wanted. They, yeah. Everybody likes, and I don't know why it is, they love to watch people fail. I think there's a thing where it's, it's so hard to do. Mm-hmm. And when you try and do it and you fail and then you see somebody that's doing it, mm-hmm. you want to come up with reasons why they shouldn't be there and mm-hmm. that they really didn't earn it. They didn't work hard enough mm-hmm. for that. Because, Baby Jesus. Because you failed yep. as a person to get there yourself. Mm-hmm. So like it's you, that's like a safety mechanism in our mind yep. where you're like, you're like, yeah, oh, he only won because he's on the best bikes. He won because his dad put everything in. If I had the, if mm-hmm. I, well, you didn't yeah. do it, man. Yep. And I think that that's why we have this. We, because there's more people that aren't AC mm-hmm. than, AC and there's more people that will never be on a factory ride than get a factory ride and it's it's the way it is and it's it's a cruel like you have to have such an extreme level of accountability and you have to be so humble Mm -hmm. to sit there and say I just didn't want it bad enough but that's where I get annoyed when let's let's take chronic fatigue obviously it's plaguing our sport right now when you take somebody who was not given some insight, was not trained with any level of education, do it because I said so, kind of a mindset. And then you get on the backside of being exhausted physically and mentally. That's the reason why you didn't make it because you didn't question the why behind it. And then when you question the why behind it, the person you're working with takes personal offense to it. Yeah. There's the breakdown in the system. But there is like, but still though, like just to play devil's advocate, sure. there's like, I've fucking learned everything I know off YouTube or, you know, and it's like, if I would wanted to learn something about video editing, like, and I come up in a time when there was no YouTube, like the stuff that like my first videos went on Vimeo, Mm. like that was bigger than YouTube when I started, like think of the world where Vimeo is bigger than YouTube. Wow. So like, but there just wasn't an excuse in my mind. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't get to a roadblock on a thing and just go, Oh, well quit video. Yeah. Well, you that's know. where there's that junction in the road. Are you too cool for school or are you seeking knowledge to be better? And you there, wanted to yeah. be better. And there is guys that like they do get dicked over by this, but it's like there's so, nowadays mm-hmm. like you can get a friggin' PhD in computer science without ever stepping foot on a university. Right. You know, like there's got like everybody that you hear that they dropped out of college. So it's like there is there is a way for everybody to figure it out and you if know they're like, willing to they've just got to like if they're willing to and you know there is cases where i had a trainer i thought i was doing the right thing that i get it that's mm-hmm. that's bad luck but at the end of the day you could have gone outside you could have got a second opinion you could have gone to another doctor you well but it comes back to that navy seal a hundred percent accountability yeah, you have to just own it if you feel like death warmed over and you go to your your dojo and you go to your trainers and they explain it to you and they go, this is part of the adaptation. This is part of it. This is what's going to happen in the next three days, seven days. Here's what to do to overcome that residual soreness. Blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. You're like, okay, cool. I get that. If it continues to linger for 10, 12, 14 days and a guy who's experienced said it should only last four, red flag, yeah. ask questions. Now, this is where it goes back to that relationship. You and Ricky, same exact thing. If you don't feel comfortable enough to be able to go to your trainers yeah and say hey i'm not trying to i'm not doubting you i'm saying you mentioned three days and this is where it gets very gray michaela and i talk about this gray zone all the time i need to know i'm your trainer at the gym i've got a black belt i've got all these championships 
I have a responsibility that Jace will, Jace will come in and he feels safe enough, and I know that's a soft word in your environment, but if I ask a question, I'm not doubting you, mm. I'm asking for clarification. Yeah, yeah. If I care enough about you. that comes down you, to the trainer's ego. That's, yeah. But that's where it comes yeah. together. You've got an athlete who's making a million dollars on a 250 that thinks he's too cool for school, doesn't care that he feels like crap. So one of two things happens, he either doesn't train because he doesn't want to, or he keeps training without asking questions, then his career starts to go the wrong way. What happens? They go into panic mode, tail end of Try a two-year deal. Try harder, drill the nail deeper. Now all of a sudden you've got adrenal issues. You got low sex drive, craving yeah, simple what, sugars. What's the um I wanted to actually ask you about that because i I actually feel like there's a point now with like how hard I've been going for the mm-hmm. last like a year and a half. Yes. That I seriously feel like I don't have the same level of sex drive mm-hmm. and fuck dude all i want to do is eat sugars yeah that's and like, those are two of the big four of adrenal fatigue uh, now because i've like thought i mean i've been around athletes sure. to the point but i've never pushed myself this hard certainly but like that was i was like in the shower the other day and i was like i actually feel like i'm getting those signs mm-hmm. of like over training in a way absolutely and this is where it gets a little bit nebulous and this is your show so if you think the listeners aren't getting it say something no, I mean, it's good. Cool. They can Google it. Think, think about I'll it. I'll re-Google it. There too. you go. Well, think about it this way. What you're discussing is the end result. So I want you to think about a funnel. At the bottom of the funnel is what should be coming out of the adrenal system. And it should be releasing HGH, which is human growth hormone that makes you leaner. And it should be releasing testosterone, increases red blood cells. Think about the funnel as literally the endocrine, the adrenal system as a system. Yeah. Well, what goes on top of it should be the high-quality fats. If it gets the high-quality fats, the adrenals can then convert and create the hormone. Well, if the, if the adrenals are getting overworked, because remember, the adrenal system is the only system in your body, relatively speaking, that helps your body adapt to stress. Yeah. So you're in a highly stressful environment. Your body deems stress. It goes into a fight-or-flight mode. It starts to excrete cortisol. That's Which that. is the stress hormone, right? It's a stress yeah. hormone. Well, the body's just revving. It's like you're riding the track in second so what, gear. So when you're when you're excreting cortisol, mm-hmm. that which is the stress hormone. hormone yep. So what exactly is that telling your body, or like what are the effects of that? Either it needs to run like hell, or it needs to get rid of. It. That's why they call it the fight or flight. Yeah. Either you need to get away from the situation, or you need to fight back. No mm. pun intended, because yeah. of what you enjoy. What ends up happening is, think about a top end of a motor, even a bottom end, riding Millville or Hangtown and only using second gear. Yeah. It pulls in some areas, it's getting overworked in other areas, but you're going to try to hold that for 30 minutes. Yeah. Your body doesn't have the ability to shift gears. So what we need to look at, and and I I appreciate what you just said, the end result of adrenal fatigue, external signs of adrenal fatigue is low sex drive, craving simple sugars, night sweats, and not able to sleep when you're tired. Mm. So if you have one or all, now what where it gets a little convoluted is, well, I just had a big set at the gym that's today. The thing, I should be that's tired. That's the thing in my head yeah. where I'm like, I'm like, man, because it's like the, I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah, maybe I am losing a bit of sex drive. And then I'm like, I'm just fucked. Like tired. I'm tired, yeah, you yeah. know? And then like, but the, the night, the, sweat thing is interesting because i feel like i've had some times where mm-hmm. i've woken up and i'm like being really like sweating but then you're like am i having a bad dream sure Did we have the heater on yeah but you know like yep. and you you really 
it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately with just health in general. Right. And I'm, I, I've sort of in my head, I'm like, I need to be more proactive anytime I th- even think it's a symptom. Sure. Because like I could spend months thinking about, have I got adrenal fatigue? Mm-hmm. And then by the time you actually go, all right, I've got all four of these things sure. and they're redlining and now I need help but i'm like in late stages of it yep so and that's where it's a double edge for you because what if that symptom really hits its highest level and you're six weeks out from your competition and you're like there's no way i'm pulling back well if the body doesn't get enough of what it needs which is adequate sleep and food yeah the system eventually just blows and what ends up happening is the body's pretty miraculous it'll either get what it takes excuse me it'll either get what it needs because you give it to it or Or it will essentially take it and that's the difficult part. Now, I'm going to go on public record here. If I get in trouble with it, I get in trouble with it. There's quite a few guys that contact us, and all we do is we analyze their biofeedback indicators. Yeah. So resting heart rate, like with these watches, these watches are great because it gives me their sleep data. Uh, it gives me their sleep cycles. gives me their time in deep sleep. REM three. I need to get one of those. If you think about sleep, th- sleep has three levels, REM one, REM two, and REM three. Yeah. Rapid eye movement is what REM stands for. Uh, okay. REM one rejuvenates the brain. REM three rejuvenates the body hormonally. REM two is what we call transitional stage. Now this is the abbreviated version of yeah, sleep, yeah. just to get people to understand it. With these sleep watches, you're able to see because my goal for you is when you lay down, you should fall asleep immediately. Yeah. So the time that it takes, which I pretty much do, which is good. Yeah. The watch will show you if it do or don't, which is cool. So sleep quick, sleep depth. Very important. You don't want to be dicking around in, in, in a light level of sleep. When you go to sleep, boom. Yeah. As soon as you hit deep sleep, REM3, that's where your body releases hormones. Okay. So when somebody is, I'm going to kind of change gears for five seconds. This is why we have such an obesity issue because they don't eat and they don't sleep. Uh, if you and then don't, when you get like obese and then you get like the breathing and then you're not sleeping again. It's a compound either. effect. Yeah, yeah. If you don't get this REM3 level of sleep, your body doesn't release HGH, which makes you leaner. It yeah. doesn't release testosterone, which increases your red blood cell count. Which helps with recovery. Recovery big time. It increases your oxygen delivery because of the hemoglobin and all that goes with it. But if you think about it, when we become adults, what do we mess up the most? We don't sleep enough and we don't eat yeah, clean. Yeah, we don't eat properly. So if we're tight on time, we got a big project, what do we work on? We do it late at night yeah. when we should be sleeping. So now our circadian rhythms get effed up. Yeah. Circadian rhythm, and I apologize, I'll come back to the original. If you look at circadian rhythm, cortisol production is part of our everyday function. This is what arouses us. At, and, and as you go through an evening of sleep, your cortisol level tied in with your circadian rhythm should naturally start to elevate that's what gives you the energy to arouse from sleep yeah at night it should be at its lowest which allows you to go to sleep yeah this is why you see physicians and firefighters and police officers because they're up when they should be asleep and they're asleep when they should be up and then is there something about like would that just and i'm just sort of speculating off what you're saying so if you are like working late and you're stressed at night before you go to bed then is that going to upset like the the sort of because so you said the cortisol should be the lowest, lowest at, at night. night that's right so if you're stressed out at night that's you're gonna like redlining. yeah okay and what people don't understand in a generic term is cortisol is a fat magnet so if cortisol stays present in the blood it just it just starts latching on the fat so to measure adrenal fatigue would you be taking blood and looking for high levels of cortisol low levels yes. of testosterone yes and, and before anybody says, oh, look, he's into blood testing and all that, 
notice the word blood testing. What we'd like to do ideally is have blood drawn every 12 weeks because over 12 weeks, you know what you've eaten and you know what your last four months or three months of training has looked like. Mm. Now again, I'm gonna go really technical here for a second. With my clients, what I do is I look at cumulative volume, hours of training Monday through Sunday, what percentage is aerobic and anaerobic. Then we look at that over, like most of our training cycles are six and eight weeks long. Yeah. Then what we do is we look at what is the biofeedback indicators telling us on a weekly basis based on this information. So I look at a seven day snapshot and I say, okay, here's the average hours of sleep. Here's the percentage of deep sleep, light sleep, and transitional sleep. Here's what we call junk sleep. Yeah. So if I can see the percentage of deep sleep going up, when we get the blood work back in three you months. You should see like lower levels of cortisol. And, and we should also and see body higher, composition yeah. changes where you see an increase in lean muscle mass and a decrease in body fat. Can you be increasing your lean muscle mass while also having adren- like adrenal fatigue? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because as you said earlier, the body's going to go until it just can't anymore. Yeah. And I refer to that as the scale. So if you can imagine a teeter-totter, on this side is the category of stress, personal, professional, athletic, financial. It's all mm. over there. Just one category that equates to 100% of your time. On the other side, the only thing that can counterbalance stress is sleep and food. Really? That's it. See, I just didn't know that. It's yeah. that simple. So if stress is over, you're you're going through a divorce, you're going through bankruptcy, your parents are in a fight. Well, you could just be stressed about competition just too. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I use the word. That's why I use the term 100%. Yeah. If you got a competition coming up, you know. Yeah, you're stressed out. Yeah, Ricky could probably tell us you probably weren't the easiest to be around. Yeah. And then next thing you know, this takes a little bit of a backseat because you've got more time at the gym. You're dedicating an extra hour, half hour before and after. Well, where'd that hour come from? Somewhere. Yeah. Sleep work professional or personal time yeah, yeah it's a good and point. so now the scale starts to tip and yeah your body's fighting it's trying to catch up but eventually once the bottom finally hits you're done mm. and that's why i was teasing earlier you'll either give it to it or it'll take or it it'll take it and once somewhere. it takes it your will and your desire will be superseded with exhaustion that's what cut covington's going through right now yeah. you can't will yourself through this yeah you just have to bite right. the bullet and rest and this is where i always refer to it as the tail of the snake yeah. If I push and push and push and push and push, and let's say I'm going on a complete hypothetical here. No, just keep I've going. I've not talked it's to Roxon awesome, yeah. at all. Yeah. If Roxon was getting treatment, if Roxon was doing things, resting more, changing his diet, and all of a sudden he started reducing the amount of stress on his system athletically, personally, professionally, not doing as many obligations, not traveling as much, not training as much, maybe yeah. not even riding as much, he reduces that stress on the body. He gets enough food and sleep because Lord knows between what happened with Blake and what happened with his own surgeries and everything that he's been through, it's a lot. The tail Dude, I snake. didn't even think about that. Like, sorry to just go, go on a tangent, it, brother. but like, yeah. I just, I, I actually spoke to Blake a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Fucking nicest dude ever. And I just like, I didn't, I feel like a bit of a retard for like, just not factoring in that into this year, dude. Sure. Like, they're family, man. Heavy. And like he's heavy in a wheelchair. Yeah. And I just, I did not, I did not factor that into like Ken's whole, you know, like you said, professional. Like yeah. It's, it, yeah, heavy. But I, yeah, I feel like if anyone's going to um, rebound from that, Blake is a savage. Blake Absolutely. Savage is a savage. He's, he's the man. And, 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 the, and the cool part about it is all of a sudden you see Roxon starting to come out, started outdoors really, really good. Um, I got hit up about it. You know, what do you think's going on? And I think he was giving himself a chance to recover. He's had a tough two years. I think all of a sudden he's, his whole system was like, okay, we're kind of getting rejuvenated. And all of a sudden we saw the Kenny of old. 
super smooth, super fast. I mean, my gosh, I mean, just hammered it early on. Did you see uh, the the first like 10 minutes of Moto2 at Southwick in the 450s the other day? I have not. We were traveling during that race. Well, dude, I'll put it on after. Holy shit. Okay. That was like the, some legit Ken Roxon, yeah. but he just didn't have it for more than 10 minutes. And that's where you look at adrenal fatigue. And I'm not saying, and please, I don't yeah, want to yeah, be yeah, quoted that speculate. people are yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. When you look at Kenny's rise to the top, and then you look at what he went through with the significant injuries and the surgeries and then bringing his own therapist into his house full time. I mean, he really conv- committed to that. We cannot underestimate the amount of residual fatigue that that caused for him. He's got a stranger living Just in like his house. Just like the stress side of things. Well, think about it. you got a stranger living in your house that's quote unquote a therapist. You're, you're doing therapy every chance you can. And yeah. as much as he wanted to get back, that's physically taxing. Then you look at, he still had to do his autograph sessions. He still had his Honda obligations. He still had Fox. And then you're traveling. Traveling. And I think he went back to Germany for a while. Then the happy wife, happy life thing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, when you think about all of that, all of a sudden it seemed like he, you know, we all, it's public record, you know, he went to Red Bull, did a lot of testing and stuff. And those guys are some of the best in the business. Well, maybe they just simply said to him, rest. Just chill, dude. Just yeah. chill. There's, there's only so much your body can handle. Now, all of a sudden, he starts out really, really good. We're six, what are we, six rounds, seven rounds in now yeah. after this weekend. The residual fatigue, there's the key word. Residual fatigue starts to add up because he has to fly every Friday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, he doesn't have he a choice in the schedule. Yeah. Choice. Where at least when he was home, he could say, all right, I can cut back from four therapy sessions a day to three. Well, when you hit that schedule, you lived it for a long time. I mean, it. Thursday morning calls and you're gone. Mm. You're trying to get that first red eye back home. You just want to sleep back in yeah, your you bed. Yeah, you just want to get home, yeah. Then you're flying on a Petri dish, you know, and so then your immune system suppressed from the race and you get this. And then we're back to think about the funnel. The adrenal can only fight stress for so long. Yeah. And eventually it starts to crumble. Huh. And so if you're, if you're fat phobic, you're afraid to be eating high quality MCT oils. That's the only thing that feeds the adrenals. Oh, really? That's the only thing that feeds the adrenals. High quality man, fat. You know what? The, when I was living in America, I was on the, I had on it MCT oil mm-hmm. and I was have I'd have it in my coffee every day. There you go. And like, I'm not, I'm, I don't really take supplements at mm-hmm. all. I'll, I'll have like BCAAs in my water bottle sure. at the gym, but that's like, that's that makes it. Sense. I don't, yeah. I don't really have, I don't take protein and I want to, and I probably should. But man, I've like, I would really notice MCT oil. Like mm-hmm. I felt better. Absolutely. By having a, a splash of that MCT oil in my, drink. Well, you can't, I might get more of that Well, you stuff. can't it's overdose on awesome. it. I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, it, the body, it's the type of fat, medium chain triglycerides for the listeners that don't know what MCT stands for. It's essentially the good fat. Your body will either use yeah. it or lose it. So, you know, for example, in, in, at breakfast in the morning, you know, have an avocado with your eggs, have, make avocado toast. Um, nuts, coconut nuts, oil, coconuts, yeah. um, fish oil. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm very fortunate because Michaela cooks extremely well. Um, if you can get good, high quality cold water fish, salmon, halibut, sardines, that yeah. kind, that's yeah. the high quality MCTs from an you know that food source. Like you said, raw nuts are another good one. Raw coconut, extra virgin olive oil. You know, I put it on my eggs. I put it on my avocados. I use it for salad dressing with balsamic vinegar. My point is, is you can't overdo it. So if you look at I mean, any of your listeners, their system is under stress all the time. Yeah. Work for, you know, everybody's is, yeah. Everybody's. So if you're working for a living, you're trying to balance a family, maybe you're in school full time, you're trying to train, you're trying to be the best you can. It, it kind of goes back to the example we said earlier. We can now look at Covington and go, man, he was in Europe, comes over here, has a lot of stress. Same thing with Lawrence, yeah, yeah. you know, Hunter Lawrence. I, you know, it's your mate. He's a great guy, but think about it. He 
got injured. There's a lot going on there. Oh my gosh. I mean, gets injured, can't race supercross, but he's got all this, all, the whole Pressure, world's looking yeah. at him. He's on one of the best teams and then goes out and I don't, this is me talking. This is strictly me talking. What I loved about it is he's the first guy that took a Honda back to outdoors since Jeremy. Yeah, true. Now Sexton's done good so far this year, but I think he's running off some of that momentum from Supercross. Yeah. But Hunter came over supposedly on an underpowered Honda compared to the Yamahas and, and the Cowies. He's up there banging bars in the beginning, and lo and behold, gets his first win. Yeah. I can't imagine what his adrenals look like, but if he's eating a lot of high quality fat, if he's getting enough sleep, if he's looking at the biofeedback indicators, and that biofeedback indicator seems like such a big word. I look at resting heart rate in the morning. I look at body weight in the morning because that shows signs of inflammation and swelling. I use body weight at night. That I use that for uh, hydration. And then we use body composition every six weeks. When your scale goes up and down on a daily basis, that's not a sign of percentage of body fat. Yeah. We use an electric impedance and it's really based off of hydration. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that's all it you is. Drink, like, because a liter of water is a kilo. It's yeah, like 2.2 exactly. pounds. And they're yeah. going to say you lost, you know, 2% body fat overnight, really? Yeah. When there's roughly, it's not accurate, but there's, they say in the, Google world, there's 3,500 calories to a pound of fat. Did you excessively consume 7,000 yeah. calories yesterday to, to go up two pounds of body fat? No, that's inflammation and swelling. Yeah. But that's what we do as a company is there's people behind the scenes that we do nothing but look at their analytic numbers. Because my goal is if I can keep another Thomas Cummington from happening, yeah. then I've done my job. Yeah. Do I need them to thank me on the podium? No. Yeah. That's not what's important. What I want is longevity. It's why I love doing these camps and clinics. It's why I love doing what we do. You know, we've had our own amateur team for 10 years now. It's actually going on 12 this year. And what we do is we hand select riders from around the world that are not in the top 10 competitively. And what we show them is you're trying, but you don't know what to do. That's what everybody always tells me. Yeah. I'm trying, but I don't know what to do. Yeah. And if you look at the amount of resumes that come in for 10 spots, you see that people recognize there's a they need They want to do it, yeah. yeah. So I, what I love about it is when we select the team, what we do is we have our team sponsors. So if you need Moto E gear, we've got gear. You need 60 helmets. You need them painted, whatever. We use shades of gray with Josh. You know, my point is this. I want the kids to join the team so that they understand the process and how this works. Because then if they can do this for another 8, 10, 12 years, then we've done our job. Mm. It's one of the things that we're doing here in, in Australia is we want to build an international amateur development program where your riders come over on super mini and they come to the States, not already trying to cut their teeth. I mean, you've got four or five guys from Australia that are trying to cut their teeth in the 250 class, mm. you know, with the exception of, of Hunter, nobody's on a factory team, but the guys have tons of money you're not going to, you're not going to buy their equipment. You know that you've yeah. been behind the scenes. There's nothing that you, you just can't buy it. So my, my vision has been for the last 15 years is I want to build a feeder program where kids can come over on 85s or even one, two fives, give start them it like earlier, start it earlier. And then we've got four facilities. We manage Ricky Carmichael's place with his amateurs. We're working on another high profile. And then we have two other facilities that we are co-branded with. So then you come over with your son or daughter. We can tell you where you need to live. You're going to be at a Moto E facility following our protocol. So you're not overtraining. You're not mm. under training. Here's the big races we're going to peak for. And we're going to get you acclimated to what is it like to make it to Loretta's. Mm. We don't care what you win. Just get your feet wet because you come over and you're drinking from a fire hydrant. Yeah. But 
and I think I mentioned this to you last time, Ben Townley's reached out to us and he wants us to help with his New Zealand riders. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did he actually call me today. That's awesome. I wonder if that was because of I posted that you were coming oh, on. Oh, cool. Yeah, That's yeah. awesome. But, you know, we were very fortunate. Or it could be just because he wants to talk shit. Yeah, there he? you go. There you <laughs> go. But the idea here is, is we recognize that we've got to get two or three layers lower. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you it's got to start a little bit earlier than like just sort of hitting and hoping. Well, it's, and you and I teased about this in the last show, you know, most moto dads think the answer is stiffer suspension and a faster motor. Yeah. And as I always say, if you have a weak child with bad skills, that's the worst thing you could ever put them on. Cause it's only going to bring to the surface how bad they really suck. They're going to show how unfit they really are. Dude, it happens to fucking pros, man. All the time. Happens to pros. They're like, yeah, this bike's too fast and it's yep. too stiff. Yep. Like Todd, when Todd went to Europe, Todd Waters. Yeah. And he did the factory Honda ride last year. He was guys as teammate. And then, uh, guys have come back with like three rounds to go and then todd went on the support yeah 450 and they let him just have it how he wanted it okay softened up the suspension basically it was a stock motor with a pipe and ignition and he did way better and he's just like dude that, that's just too much like there i don't need that and he's like i've never had that shit my whole life yep. i've had stock bikes my whole life well he's like i just not i'm not that guy it's funny you say that because when i was working with dunge when we were at carmichael's place jeremy martin was there because at the time, the way that the goat farm was set up is they only just had it for pros. You know, it would be Tedesco and, and Ricky training there. And then, so it was Dungey on the 450 and it was J-Mart on the, on the 250. And I'll never forget, we get to the East Coast round and he goes to Atlanta. And I don't know if you remember that, but that was the year that he didn't even qualify for the main event. Who, Jeremy? J-Mart. Dun- yeah, okay. He came out of that right-hander and he said, Rob, he goes, I could have sat on these handlebars and I couldn't keep that front wheel down. Oh, and it, really? it was into that entrance, into that whoop section. Yeah. So by the time he put the front wheel down, he's three in and he just kept literally eating oh. shit through the whoops. And he's like, I need this thing detuned. I don't care if you put a heavier flywheel on it. I don't care if you add or subtract the tooth. too much. You got to do something. Yeah. The gap between that practice bike and that race bike was so significant. It's kind of like Todd. Yeah. It's like, dude, if you could detune it, I can ride it. But think about Kevin Wyndham talked about it on the four stroke. This thing's way too much. Turn this thing down. Yeah. Travis Pastrana said, same thing. Turn this thing down. This is insane. Yeah. K-Dub, I remember we were talking to one time about that stuff. And he's like, dude. If I can jump a triple Mm -hmm. in first gear from like a standing start, because he said, he said it one day, they're like, oh, how's the, how's the bike at the test track? And he's like, he's like, oh, I want to show you something. He put it in first gear and then they had the ball turn. Yeah. He sat in the middle of the ball turn and went, and he jumped the triple and he's like, he's like, all right. So when I was on a one, two, five, Mm -hmm. I would be in third gear. And if I didn't completely nail this turn, I couldn't jump that triple and huck the hell out of it. He's like, this is stupid. He's like, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, he, it was at Phoenix Supercross and it was after, remember when he got knocked out in like 2012 or something, we drove back from Phoenix uh, to stop at Morongo Casino mm-hmm. <laughs> and then from Morongo back, back, to, back to LA. Yep. And, um, and then, yeah, he was just like, he was telling that story of just how they're just stupidly fast. Absolutely. Like it's ridiculous. Well, and, and you think about it, like you said with the pros, I mean, everybody aspires to be there. I say this to my young riders all the time. When you're on an 85, I'm trying to work on your physiology for a 125. Yeah. When you're on a 125, I'm working on a 250. When you're on 250, I'm working on a pro bike. Because to get to that pro bike, I'll never forget, I was working with Ian Treadle, and he was with Bobby Hewitt's Suzuki team yep. at the time. His roommate was Brock Tickle, and Brock had just signed with Pro Circuit. 
And so Brock called me, he goes, hey man, I, I really, cause that four stroke was new. It was, an, and that's exactly what Brock said. He goes, I went to a t- test track. He goes, I can't ride this thing for 10 laps. And Mitch was a little bit pissed, so was Bones. They got millions of dollars in this new R&D of this four-stroke. And he's like, this thing is a tractor. Yeah. So much power. It doesn't ever get tired. It, you know, rips your arms off. And that's what we worked on was just building his durability to take the stiffness and the acceleration out of that. It wasn't about changing his riding skills or his riding ability. It was like, can you take entering that, I know it seems benign, but hitting hitting those loops four kilometers faster is a significant difference oh huge, huge in difference. terms of impact oh yeah and and when the suspension doesn't move you know i remember when i was working with chisholm and we were training at stewart's place and again alden was with james at the time and i had chisholm and that's when they were on the sam and team together yeah yeah and i just remember you know we're not allowed to ride the bikes but it's not like we're not allowed to touch them or something i remember going over to james's front yeah, I just grabbed his handlebars and I literally hung on both bars. And oh. I couldn't get the front wheel to come down Dude, two inches. James is like, James is crazy though because he basically was like, I'm just going to have the best bike in the woods mm-hmm. and I'll figure well, out the rest. Ta- you could take your index finger on a seat and you could suppress the seat yeah. and you could take your full body weight and could get two inches in the front forks. But Mr. Stewart would also stand out there in those whoops. And when I say that those things were... Yeah. You could put a 250 in between those and you would not see the bars. Yeah. People have no idea how big those bitches were. It's crazy too with like the whoops thing. And because you just like, so I encourage everybody to go to a supercross. Please. And just to see, and you got to be there early for mm. practice. So you can see. When there's it. like, there's no crowd, but what like, what people don't get and the test track's an even better thing. Mm-hmm. Like you hear like guys go through the whoops, like you hear Dunge go through the whoops and you hear like the tiniest bit of chain slap and then you hear like, but then when you hear like somebody coming to it, like, well, like I was there the day that Hurlings rode the the test track and fuck, he was bad through the whoops. He said, well, you said he was like, nope, I'm not doing that. Like I'm done. I'm done with that. But you can hear his bike is just going bang, bang, bang. And like the impact dude, the impact that was going through his body. Sure. And like the side to side, like you said, you're riding a gyro. Absolutely. And like, you could just see how tense he was. So you like, the difference between Jeffrey Hurlings going through the whoops and Ryan Dungey mm-hmm. is so astounding. Yep. And I mean, I'm sure Jeffrey could have gotten better sure. at it. And I'm sure that you know, it's not like, like the dude's a freak. Absolutely. But like that difference of like the physicality. People have no idea. Took, and you know, you'd hear guys that they go through those whoops and by the end of it, it's just bang, mm-hmm. bang. And you're like, well, do that for five laps. Like just do that and then do a Come lap right around yep. and then do it and then fi- do that five times. You'll be jacked. Absolutely. So like then do that 20 laps, but with everything else and with dudes trying to pass you and with the, like the red plate and with the chant, like well, get, that, and, get out. And you could add two components cause we're fortunate enough. We would look at heart rate data and you can actually look at it in real time mm. and you can watch the heart rate go up 10, 12 beats in the as loops. As they're approaching the whoops. Yeah. And as they go through yeah. it by the end and you're talking, what is that? 300 meters? in a typical supercross track. So three, 400 meters, and the heart rate goes up 10 to 12 beats. And then when you hear the guys talking about they're focusing on their breathing when they hit the next jumps to try to bring it down. Yeah, it, yeah. The, the average person can't, that doesn't resonate with them. Nah. But then, like you said, besides the red plate and four guys next to you and everything else, you got to remember. You're skipping Volkswagen. Well, the, those, those guys are coming people. in lugging that bike yeah. because they know at the tip of every whoop, the RPMs just keep coming up and yep. keep coming up. And your goal is to get to that last one before that front end drops because of excessive. 
you can't see that in the naked eye until yeah. you're at a track and that's the only bike you hear you hear that yeah you literally can hear it elevate in the oh, RPM you hear the, the the best is the 250 guys oh, like gosh. you can really hear it because they're yep. they're in fourth and they go yeah yep Dude, I got a shot of Dunge. We had a we had like a hundred and fifty thousand dollar slow motion camera. Nice at the test track, and Dunge was there, and it was it fully blew my mind, dude. I've watched I've watched thousands of passes through the loops sure. of the test track at this point, and uh, we set it up directly square for the first five loops, mm. and the camera was still no movement, and he come in and he wheelied, and his his front wheel touched the third loop, and it was like it missed the second one by that mm. it was the most precise mm-hmm. and calculated sporting thing of it was the equivalent of just hitting a home run for 20 20 laps 20 like laps straight it, yeah it it blew my mind dude yep. when we we slowed this thing down and i just i couldn't believe it yep. and the way that it set him up to go through the whoops and then we, we were there with our guys like we had malcolm was there um pj maybe i can't we definitely we were filming malcolm that day okay and malcolm's a beast in the whoops mm-hmm. and he would well, yeah <laughs> he'd skip the first one yep. and land on the second one and we like showed him the footage of dunge and he went fuck that yeah exactly like, he's like, oh, that's that's insanity yep. but that that there when i saw that in slow motion and i'm talking millimeters literally from the second whoop it was incredible now this is me being the kind of the the, the moto fan moto geek the one thing that I always think is interesting about Dungeon the Whoops is if you remember him coming back from Suzuki, you got the front end that's tucked, very, very agile in the corners. You go to that Cadillac rake on that KTM. And remember how you were talking about it just being that much off of two and then just tipping three? Yeah. You think about that rake off the side. Because I've always I've always said, like the first year I was working with Dungeon, this isn't an excuse. I mean, you can go back and watch the YouTube videos. The, the first year I was working with Dunge, that was when he went over to, to KTM and that thing would not go straight in the whoops. Uh, that yeah. thing would go sideways really, really bad. And we would do really well. We'd get a semi-decent start. We I'll never forget the first round. And I remember getting passed by Brayton on Honda. There's that left-hand turn before the whoops and Dunge would come in and Brayton would just go right by us on that Honda and the whoops, you know, and the bike's sideways on 90 degrees and he's just trying to, you know, you make up the time then he'd lose it there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden when they started really getting that, because that was his first year there, and then, you know, uh, DeCoster gets in there and does his magic. Well, he, like he was the best dude to ever ride that bike Absolutely. really too at that point, yeah. But when you look at that body position and you look at his ability to go through the whoops, and then here you are looking at it on a camera that can really show. It was a thousand minute, frames per second. That's unbelievable. It took like two minutes for him to ride the first three whoops. There you go. Like that's how slow this was. And and if you think about the angle of that rake, and, and that's to me what I find interesting is if you look at Caroli Outdoors, you look at hurling. All of a sudden now, what is the big thing about the rake? High speed stability on those bikes are ridiculous. Well, look at how these guys on the international level, because those bikes, I mean, those tracks are just so fast. And I watch watch, um, Marvin, you know, I only got to watch the highlight reel because while we were traveling, the race was going up. And you think about Southwick. It's all about maintaining momentum and it's flowing. And, you, you know, I remember when they were they were showing us the pictures of Tomac, you know, he'd lean back on that Cowie and just kind of wheel tap the top of everything. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to be really interested to see. And this was just me being the, the, the fan, fan yeah. of the sport. Here, Marvin goes to Florida. Hmm. All of a sudden, he's really fast in the rhythm sections. We're going to Southwick and hmm, fastest qualifier I saw. Yeah. And, go, and you know, uh, excuse me, uh, Tomac has not finished anything less than second. 
ever since he's raced around 250s. And flat out, Marvin just walked the field. Well, you know what's interesting? Man. So I spoke to Lucas Myrtle last week. Yeah. And Lucas is Aussie dude, been living in there for in America forever. Um, fucking legend. He um, love it. He was just he's Justin Cooper's agent. He's uh, okay. He's Hunter's agent. He's, uh, I think, oh, he, I think he's uh, Germ's agent as well. Okay, cool. But yeah, so he's like, I think he, he's got a bunch of lights, dudes. Very right? cool. And so he was saying because I called him after um, the Florida round, mm-hmm. and I was like, "How was it? It looked like this. Looked like this." He said, "The dudes that did well mm-hmm. at Florida are the guys that have their bike dialed." And he said, "Kenny doesn't have his bike dialed all the way. Eli's bike in the first moto was." a bucket mm-hmm. and then you whatever they i would love to know what they did you to eli's both. bike yep. in the second moto like it was a different thing absolutely he just rolled he rode a different bike like it was insane it was but then so you go fast forward again to southwick mm-hmm. and coop had a great moto mm-hmm. a, a great couple of motos zach had awesome phenomenal moto like yep. unbelievable ando was there as well mm-hmm. but marv marv just marv had the bike dialed yep. and it was it's crazy at this level how big of a uh a, a difference it's it it makes to have these bikes like so dialed and i think like i just i don't know if it has always i don't know if it's always been like that i don't think it has or if it's like now again i just think these dudes are on such a razor edge and i think and after doing the supercross companion with townley yeah like i knew from the being at the test track so much when dunge was there mm-hmm that the reason he had the speed he had was inside lines. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking like inside rut sort right. of type. I'm yeah. talking about the lowest line on the berm mm-hmm. at ev- at all time. You would never see him ride a high line. He'd never touch the brakes and he never went to the top of the berm. It was roll, carry entry speed, stay as low as you can. Even if you're not in a rut, mm-hmm. the lowest possible line you can take to clear the next rhythm section that was the secret to Dungey's success. Absolutely. And every, he was so hard to pass, even though he wasn't the fastest guy. Guess who won the championship this year, riding the exact same way on That's the it. exact same bike. Yep. Well, and, and take it a step further too, if you look at how RV used to turn the bike, because when we were racing against RV, you know that was the biggest frustration, because he would turn that bike, him being RV, would turn that bike with the rear wheel, yep. and he would, he would make a supercross berm, you know, disappear literally go away that entrance speed roll through speed wouldn't work when you're racing against somebody that turns like that and would apply that explosive power yeah then all of a sudden that dynamic rider goes away all of a sudden you see a paradigm shift whether it's jeremy mcgrath backsiding everything whether it's ricky just being so explosive james being super super smooth almost on the verge of you know super sketchy but it's interesting if you look at how cooper won the championship and the way he rode you look at the way the outdoors is going right now. It it's just you take the 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 Bob Hanna era, then you take it to a Ricky Johnson Lachine where it's finesse with Bailey. Yeah. Then you you know, and it's easy. You get, you know, you in between there. Of course, you're going to have Jeff Ward that's going to bulldog it and stuff like that. But it's always interesting how it, you said it earlier. It's like the bikes have elevated to a completely different level. I mean, you can when you can jump yeah. a triple in first gear says a lot, and that was ten years ago. Yeah. You, you take the fact that the bikes are so finitely good, it's going to require, and I say this politely to anyone that rides moto, you know, think about who rides that motorcycle. Yeah. So that high level of output of a motorcycle can only be garnered, harnessed, and actually utilized 
if they're in shape. And of course yeah. it always sounds biased because it's coming from me. I try to, yeah. But it's it's what motivates me because I say, if I can get you to bounce and not break, if I yeah. can get you to ride the bike to its potential, I don't care if it's full factory bike or if it's the best bike your dad can build for you, you're only as fast as what you can manage. Yeah. And when we look at these riders that are going out and you look at the proliferation of injuries, lack of range of motion, chronically dehydrated, low blood sugar, low blood sugar means you're missing your marks, miss your marks, that entrance into the whoops or a rhythm section for amateurs, yard dart. Yeah. Yard dart, bad flexibility or inflexible. Now you got a torn ligament or a tendon because of lack of flexibility. Then you have those get offs where now the bike follows you and then just impales you. Yeah. Now there's not much you can do with that except try to be strong yeah, and durable. There's some crashes that you just. Yeah, you're inevitable, but yeah. I would rather be your type of strength and take a bike to the back. You know, you're talking about going through the whoops when you understand that your spine is on each side of your spine or the erector spinae. Well, once that bike G's through its stroke, the only thing left to absorb that is going to be your quads, your ass, and your back. Yeah. So if those are already stiff and/or weak, yeah, that's when you get a break. Out. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So it's that domino effect that we always say is be ready for what's coming. And it sounds like such a cliche, but I always say be ready for everything and surprised by nothing. Yeah. The track completely, I mean, look at that one that ripped um, Coop's legs right off. Yeah, you that know, rut. Just, he yeah. hit that rut and also he comes Superman and over and it's just like, that's a factory bike with Coop. That's that's not a bonehead move. Yeah. But did you see how he took the land? He knew how to tumble. He rolled. And how quickly was he running back to his bike? I don't yeah. think the bike had stopped moving yet, and he was already yeah. running back to it. Yeah. Props to Coop. You know, you got to be strong to take those hits. Yeah, for Look sure. Look at AC. He's now got the, you know, he got that bad rap of being excessively frail. Now he's had some pretty big get-offs, and he keeps getting up. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's got to be hard for, like, the that age where Adam was injured. Like, he was really in that, like, peak growth phase, too. Well, think about it. I you mean, know? Let's not forget how young he was when Mitch pulled him up. Yeah. I mean, anybody at that 16, yeah, 17. just a kid, yeah. Literally a kid. Super mini to a 250F. I mean, we're sitting here talking about it. It almost seems like an absurd comment. Yeah. Super mini at Loretta's to pro A1. I'm using that figuratively speaking, but never been done before. And then, like you said, all the, all the talking pundits want to be keyboard experts and slam them. Oh, I knew he wasn't made up to it. You take your 11 or, I don't know, we keep bouncing ages around. I'd really like to know how old he was, but he was coming off of super minis. Yeah. He never even he never even rode the B class. That's true, eh? I mean, if you look at Dunge, everyone's like, oh my gosh, can't believe Roger pulled him out of B. AC never raced a B class. And yet, It's pretty gnarly. Yeah. And, you know, they, you could argue that he was overtrained and he was frail and all that. I, I'm not interested in going there. I'm just saying, take anybody that was that young. I don't know if puberty had hit or not, but if it hadn't, you got to factor but that even in. Even like when he did get that growth spurt, it's mm-hmm. not like those muscles and tendons and everything are like peak. Like I'm 30 mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm just, I'm like in the best shape I've ever been. I'm 30. Yes. Like he's half my age yep. at the time where he's like expected to race with and be in that like peak physical condition. It's like your ligaments aren't all the way developed. Like not, nothing's all the way done no. at 16. Like you're still, if you're like a cookie, like yeah. you're soft, man. Still soft. And and for the moto, the, the you know, your moto fans aren't going to like this analogy, but if you jump over into our triathlon world, we do quite a bit in triathlon. If you watch the guys that win Ironman, and the reason why I use the Ironman as an example is because that's what we refer to as a durable athlete. Yeah. Athletic durability these guys, particularly the Germans, are currently just kicking everyone's ass. Yeah, right. They're all in their upper 20s. You're not seeing these guys dominate an endurance-related sport at 16, 17, 18. They're fast, 
They're doing yeah, short Olympic yeah, distance yeah. races, ITU races. But when you look at the guys that are winning Ironman, seven and a half, eight hour races, am I drawing a, a parallel between an outdoor national and an Ironman? No. Toby would be a good analogy of that. Yeah, Toby's 30. He's coming into his age. Yeah. The guy's invincible. He's very durable, very experienced, but it's been that that continuum of improvement's been Dude, there. MMA, year. like the, the, like, I would say the average top level dude in mixed martial arts is in his 30s there like go. there's a couple of exceptions like mm-hmm. oh well i think john jones is in his 30s now but he was a champ for like 22 23 yeah but you know daniel Cormier is 40 he's the heavyweight champ i mean come it's, on 40 years old it's crazy dude. i mean i just it you know and props to him and i i know that there'll be people say oh but it's peds involved and all that no nah, no keep that, that aside keep it aside the point is is in in if you're going to go on the platform of peds you have to remember it's kind of like a modded motor what's a modded motor built on a stock, stock motor. bike yeah. <laughs> yeah. so i don't really want to get into the pissing match about peds it, creating the sustainability is going to be jeopardized but there's got to be a foundation yeah and when these guys are and you so still got to do the work well in in it's you're exactly right i mean when you go into this idea that because he cheated he didn't work as hard well in mikhail and i were teasing about this on the flight over actually because I got into a spat with this guy about Lance Armstrong. Oh, he's a dick. He stole everybody's career, blah, blah, blah. I said, stop, stop, stop. He was nothing more than a goat for everybody's bad decisions. Yes, he was visceral. He said some bad things about some people, particularly his Emma, his massage therapist. I thought that was the worst. But, you know, putting that aside, the definition of cheating is doing something that gives you an unfair advantage. So if you take 40 guys in the Tour de France, and all 40 are doing drugs, it comes down to sweat equity. Yeah, The platform's yeah. the same. Yeah. I don't want to hear, well, he had a better drug system, he had a better delivery. He, that's but irrelevant. That's competition at that point. Welcome to competition. Like, that's competition. Yeah. That's what that's that is like, called. That's like saying that your 450 is putting out two more horsepower than mine. Well, then... Well, go and fucking figure it out. 450. That's yeah. it. I mean, I was saying to Michaela... Hey, get two horsepower, bro. Yeah, on the flight over here, I was saying to Michaela, I said, you look at AC's GoPro camera, the gate drops, and he gets a good jump, and then all of a sudden you see Colt and you see Cooper, and you see Fernandez. Just go buy him. The Yamahas are faster. And Coop weighs like probably fifteen pounds less, Easy. Than maybe more, Easy. maybe like twenty plus. Pounds. I think twenty would be because I mean Coop is really really petite dude. He's a tiny little. Yeah, guy. and here's AC ready for the four fifty. But you know, it just you look at the film and you're like, dude, the Yamahas are a faster bike. Wow, wow, wow. Yes. Figure it out. What's AC going to do? Just Mitch sit down? Yeah, Mitch isn't going like, oh, wash wood. They can't race. They exactly. got an unfair advantage. Yeah, I'm just going to go park my bikes and just you know be done with it. And that's the thing that I get annoyed with when people want to say, oh, Lance ruined cycling. No, he didn't. The person that exposed cycling. Well, let's not again, not to be combative, but to to clarify it. The person who called out cycling was Tyler Hamilton because he was either going to go to jail and sleep with Bubba or he was going to start talking. And well, he didn't want to go to jail. So he started talking, get enough people and you get enough momentum and you get enough you know, yeah, the consistent Elsa, conversations. The Elsa is a bitch, isn't it? <laughs> hey, it's the ultimatum. I mean, yeah. you're either going to sleep with Bubba or you're going to chat. Yeah. And so, you know, and Tyler Hamilton, if you, I would encourage anybody that has a chance to watch YouTube, go back and listen to Tyler Hamilton talk about the Peds. Lance didn't introduce the sport to it. It was the antithesis of that. Yeah. Lance and his team went to the tour, got their asses whipped, and he said to the entire team on the flight back, Whatever they're doing, we're going to figure it out. And that's where you get that little cliche. It's called they, the joke in Europe was that the Americans were racing on bread and water. Yeah. And until they figured it out, they weren't going to, well, Lance was like, I'm, you know, Lance, he's pretty tenacious. I'm going to figure it out. 
Well, he figured it out, and then he took it to an all new level. Yeah. So don't tell me these guys, you know, because that was they started saying Lance was the, and he was the reason why so and so started doing drugs. Bullshit. Nah. To make it even into the pro ranks, you're already on a routine. Dude, there was guys like I've heard stories of dudes that like way back, like Mm -hmm. in the early days, doing like cocaine and stuff. Yeah, they smoked cigarettes and did the cocaine for the stimulants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's come on, guys. Yeah, and that's in like you know forty years ago. That's in like the forties and fifties and stuff that they're doing it, and it's like cigarettes and cocaine. Like, like come on, man. And and that's where we get into the topic of conversation. It's like, well, do you think that the peds? And this is my bias. 100% 100% bias, public record. Do you think the guys are still on PEDS in the Tour de France? 100%. Hell yes. How do I know that? Because if you and I went and rode our bikes for 21 days, we're going to get slower. Yeah. Look at the average speed of the Tour. It keeps getting faster every year. Yeah. It doesn't matter how difficult they make the, well, the like, stages. I, I can't remember if I said this to you last time, but like my whole thing with it too is like, it's a huge spectacle. Mm-hmm. And every year, like there's a company that runs the Tour de France and that company is trying to make money. So it's like, it has this prestige of being like the most insane race ever. It's the hardest thing to do. So like, they've got to prove that. Yeah. So like every year they send them up that most insane Alps in France and they make the stages longer and they make the time trials and like all of this stuff. It's not like, it's not like that race is the same as it was when it started as the, as the eyeballs get bigger as like more people are watching it as there's more money introduced to sponsors there's like there's more reasons to make this thing as crazy as it is and it's like there's just a point where you as a human you just can't do the race yeah as just a normal human yep like i got a friend that i know in uh america that i used to hang out with all the time yeah he used to race for like a sea level uh, Italian racing team mm-hmm. and like he was on it absolutely he's like bro I don't have a choice it's like, not a choice if I wanted to ride for that team I had to do like the team protocol that's a C level team like he didn't even race the Tour de France like he's not even nowhere near that level and they're all on the on a regime it's like come on man but but think about that right there though if you take a C level rider and he has to be on it Here's what I will, and, and and if someone wants to get into a debate on this, I'm happy to do it. You know, maybe we can do it on your show. Nobody's making them do that. It's not like it's a no. prerequisite to be on the team. I need you to change your paradigm. You're gonna have to do it to even be looked at as eligible to be on the team. That team wasn't sending it to you in your mailbox no. four years before you became old enough to get on the team. You had to make an executive decision to say, I want to be on that C level team. And that's what it's going to take. I'm, I've obviously got talent. Like yeah. you said, stock bike becomes a mod bike. Yeah. You can't put a humor performance program or a ped program on somebody that doesn't already have good talent. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's just a given. And you've been around some of the best in the world. You've seen it firsthand. There's good. And then there's hurling. There's good. And there's dunge. There's good. And there's RC. I mean, there's just something about them. And yeah. until you're around it, you can't see it. And Lance, dude, Lance is the same. Like I've hung out with Lance Armstrong before. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can just tell that dude mm-hmm. is like, he's just that dude. Well, let's like go, let's talk about that. He's a fucking animal. Everything he does, the way he shakes your hand, the yeah. way he talks to you, his presence in the Absolutely. room. Absolutely. Like there's a reason Lance Armstrong is Lance Armstrong. And there's a reason I'm not. Well, and if you look at it for the listeners, let's take that a step further. If you look at the physiology, he produces very little lactic acid, mm. an anomaly. He's got a VO2 max that's almost that yeah, of a quarter horse. Yeah. That's an anomaly. Bigger heart. Bigger heart. Grew up with a single mom, pissed off at the world, says the bike's his only freedom in the world. 
You put all of those together. Then you put incredibly talented. You, most everybody knows I have a triathlon the background. Com- the competitive nature of him. He was 16 years old racing sport of triathlons, beating Dave Scott, Mark Allen, Mike Pig, the best of the best of the best, and wanted to kill him. You know, he was just a kid that grew up from Austin that was on a swim team. He could pedal a bike pretty decent and he could run fast. So he went in and just shook up the pro field at 16 years old. And it wasn't until the, the uh, guy from USA Cycling saw him at the Miami USTS race and said, you can ride a bike pretty good. Well, he, Lance found out that the sport of triathlon wasn't going into the Olympics. He wanted to go to the Olympics, so he went to cycling. Mm. That's his whole story about how he got from triathlon to cycling. So you take that, but what's the foundation? Big VO2 max, low lactic acid production, madder than a wet hen. And then the idea that he gets onto this PED program, and then you take his work ethic and you take everything that goes with it, now you've got history. You've got Lance Armstrong. You've got Lance Armstrong. Now, what annoys me is these people that insist on sticking their head in the sand and going, oh, the sport's still got to be clean. This one rider out of 20 has got to be clean. Well, think about it. When you get to a certain level of capability and the top 10 guys have all admitted to or has gotten caught doing yeah. drugs and you're finishing in that mix, you're not doing it on bread and water. No. When you look at the physiological... And it's unrealistic to expect somebody to do it. Well, that goes back to what we said. If you and I rode our bikes for 21 consecutive days, well, you look at Jimmy Button and, and was it Jimmy Button, Jeff Ward, Doug Henry... And there was a fourth one. They did that right across America. Oh, it was a Mickey Diamond, excuse me. And he was talking about, you know, they averaged, they were hauling ass. But if you look, I mean, those guys, they're doing it clean. They're doing the race. They were doing Ram. They're doing the race across America. Yeah. And man, they were averaging just like 21 miles an hour. They were just hammering and hammering and hammering. And what's he talking about? That fatigue level. Well, these guys are doing it for 21 consecutive days up the Alpe d'Huez, as you were saying, and everything else. How do you think the body, this is what people don't understand is, if you go back to the conversation we had about the teeter-totter, the body yeah. can only absorb and handle so much stress. And, well, and even like it can only absorb so much food. It can only absorb mm-hmm. so much water. Well, but that's why you end up going to a PED program because if you've only got five days to recover before next weekend's race, you're going to have to go to recovery. Yeah. That's where HGH comes in. If you're trying to increase your aerobic capacity, that's where EPO comes in. If you're trying to manage inflammation and swelling, that's where corticosteroids come in. You add that as we they call that in the uh, endurance world, they call it the ideal con- cocktail. Yeah. Because those three together, because obviously if you're on yeah, EPO, yeah. you can go harder, longer. So then you have a lot of residual swelling and inflammation, corticosteroids. Then you use the HGH to facilitate recovery. Yeah. The point is, is it goes back to what we said earlier. A, a modded motor still, a modded bike starts on a stock, a stock frame. Motor, yeah. That's the same thing here. What, is there any, um, is there any like value in peptides? Like, do they work, or was that like a everything fad? Works. Do you think everything works? The problem that you run into is, and I'm going to say this very briefly, just as an example to our moto fans, it's kind of like building a modded motor and then putting an 85 chain on a 450. Yeah, You're only okay. as strong as your weakest link, no pun intended. Yeah. So if I build this huge motor and I have an oversized radiator and I got this itty bitty carb, it, it has its potential, but it can't get what it needs to run to its potential. That's why everything has to be, that's why I call it a PED program. Yeah. You can't just jack one component of the system up. So for example, if I take EPO and I increase, what EPO does is increases the amount of the red, amount blood, of red cells. blood cells. Yeah. More red blood cells more means more oxygen. oxygen. So you can go faster, longer. But if I put an 85 pipe on a 450, the engine's producing, but I can't exc- I can't yeah, get rid of it quickly yeah, enough. Yeah. 
So instead of engine combustion, think about metabolic combustion. If you don't have the capillary beds and you don't have the other infrastructure in place, the system backs up. Yeah. So you've got to be on more and more and more. And this is where it becomes dangerous because if you think about HGH and testosterone, that's going to make you recover quicker. It's going to do a certain job. Well, that's not enough. So they go to synthetic. They go to blood doping. They go to EPO. Those are your three big ways to get your red blood cell up. Yeah. So when somebody, and there were, there was some stuff that was floating around, like a smart-ass comment was, um, there's no ped that's going to help a supercross rider be two seconds faster. Uh, wrong answer. Yeah, what are you talking about? The guy was a complete ass on his quote. So, yes, it, it's and here's and I don't want to sound like I'm being a dick here. I want people to think about it from a moto standpoint. If you don't think EPO is going to make you sprint faster in a supercross race, then go out and try to race a 125 against a factory 450. Yeah, same exact thing. You can take the most modified 125 you want. And I guarantee you can go take a 144 if you want. It might not. It might not mean two seconds on the first lap. It might not mean two seconds on the second lap or the third lap. But you can guarantee, like at some point in the race when it counts, like if you have an advantage, like it's like the the analogy to think of it would be like, all right, if your bike starts out at full power mm-hmm. and by the end of the race, it's like five horsepower less. Yep. But the guy next to you, it's just the same the whole time. Well, think about it. What was the big epiphany in the early 80s? The one that comes to mind for me is in 82 when Yamaha put out the first water-cooled Yeah, yeah. Okay. So if we know heat's the biggest robber, and all of a sudden you have an 85, because the 125s had already gone to it, the 250s had started to go to it, but what were the other two? You had an 80 and you had a 500. So you take a CR480 or you take a YZ490, what was its biggest nemesis? Heat. Yeah. They didn't even crank them up on the starting line. I mean, they didn't sit and rev the engines. They waited till it was ready to go. They crank and go. Why? Because they knew the bike was going to lose half its power yeah. in 30 minutes. So if you take that same analogy, if if you know that heat's its biggest robber and you know that you're going to you're essentially going to start to create so much lactic acid and your body's just going to get worked because of the stiff suspension yeah. and the fast speeds, what's the only thing that can keep you elevated is going to be a bigger system i just want to think about it as a system whether it's respiratory cardiovascular all of it muscular let's call it strength endurance and ability to get rid of the metabolic byproduct well when that whole system gets elevated now can i sit here and say that i've tested people and i know they're on drugs no what i'm saying is when you see people come off of the track and they look like they're as comfortable as you and i are all I ask you is go take your bike and go to your local supercross track and run it for 15 laps mm-hmm. or 20 minutes or 20 laps. And you come off and I want to take your heart rate. I want to see how quickly you recover and start looking like you and I do. Mm. I'm just saying it just, you got to look at the evidence of that. I'm not accusing anybody of it. You know, I get, I get hit up all the time. Well, you know, validate to me that so-and-so is taking drugs. Well, I'm not telling you he's taking drugs. I've never sat in his room. I don't know what he does. Yeah. I'm not going to falsely accuse somebody. But thanks to Google Images, when somebody's forehead starts to become square, when their teeth start to separate, when their bottom jaw starts yeah, to look like a like Neanderthal. Yeah, big jaw, yeah. Yeah, when somebody hasn't hit puberty yet and all of a sudden they're very, very hairy and that happens in the course of six months, they're on drugs. Yeah. It's not my opinion. It's physiological fact. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. not my opinion. The pictures take, tell the picture, tell the story. So I'm not really interested in, in getting into a pissing match of whether or not there is or isn't what I want people to stop playing charades with is saying, just let them run what they brung. Well, I, I mentioned this to you in the last in the last show. It's like that Belgium cycling team where four of their team members died in 24 hours. Yeah. 
because they over, you know, over injected EPO. Do you want that on your hands? I mean, it's it's a scary situation that you when you say, yeah, just run what you brung. Everybody's cheating. Let them do it. Yeah. As much as the Tour de France wants to say they're clear, trust me, they're under the supervision of a very, very sophisticated physician. Yeah. You know, Dr. Ferrari did it for Lance. Why? Because if you don't, you screw it up, you'll kill somebody. It's crazy. Eh? It's it's not a game. But to be naive and say, oh, well, so-and-so can't be doing that. He's a good guy. Do you know if, um, do you know if the AMA, like, are they water? Or that, no, they're, um. There's this, I don't know if they're USADA or WADA or what it is. What people have to understand with drug testing is, you can, if you, we talked about this in the last show, if you look at Icarus. Yeah, there's a, crazy. There's a lot of semantical games going on. Are we, are we testing? Yeah, we're testing. Yeah. You didn't ask me if we were evaluating the blood test. You asked me if we were testing. Well, I took samples. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. So there's, did you see the um, the UFC bantamweight champion TJ Dillashaw? I heard a You've, little. Have you said, yes, so sir. Yep. he got done for EPO. Yep. So he's the first athlete to get in popped. the UFC to get popped, right? Mm-hmm. So then they've gone back and they've tested again uh, for one of his uh, last championship fights where he knocked out this dude, Cody Garbrandt, who was the champ. Mm-hmm. Turns out he was on EPO for that fight. So that's just fucked this whole dude's career. Yep. So Cody Garbrandt hasn't won a fight since. And he was the champ. And yep. he was murking dudes. Mm. All of a sudden, he gets knocked out in a bad way by this dude, TJ Dillashaw, that's on EPO. Yep. And everyone's going like, how did we not... T- we, we do drug testing. And mm. then they've had to go. And even Dana White, who's the UFC president, is like, what the fuck, man? And he's like, yeah, we just... We've never... We don't test for EPO. Mm-hmm. And then they go back and test it. So like... Do, do you know what the motocross stuff, do, like what they are testing for? Because it's like a package, right? Like you can go to water, you've got to pay them. They're not just doing, they're not doing drug testing because they uh, are like, they're not a charity that's like right. going to sports being like, we want to keep sport clean. Yeah. They're a business. Yep. And they're going, this is our level. You get this level. Mm-hmm. This is the, this is the starter kit. And they, we can test for testosterone and human growth hormone and fucking whatever create right, whatever, you know whatever sure. you want to yep. go then we go with the b plan and then we go with here and this is where the epo stuff lives this is pretty expensive mm-hmm. it's sixteen thousand dollars every time you want to test for epo then we've got the olympic thing which means you're just going to have to pass a couple million dollars a year yep so davy from mx sports or the ama like say the EPO and this is all hypothetical yeah, numbers, but the EPO yep. thing is like sixteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars to test for. So it's like you've got the top five guys. So you want to test the top five guys for EPO on on any given podium, mm-hmm. and it's like what you're looking at seventy thousand dollars to test the top five dudes just for one drug that they may or may not be doing. Yeah. So it's like. I don't know, man. Like, it's uh, like, do you know what they're testing for? Like, do you know how the protocol sort of works? Well, I don't want to sit and lie and say that I saw the paperwork and this is what they're doing. But I do know that you can go on right now. You can go on USADA's website and it allows you to put in motocross and it allows you to put in the year and it allows you to look up any rider by name. Really? And you can go in there and see what riders were tested. Can it see what they were tested for? No. And that's, that's where you get into semantical games. And so is testing means sampled? Mm-hmm. So that samples were it. taken. But does that mean those samples were tested? That's the million dollar question that Icarus is exposed to all drug testing whatsoever. Because if you're a promoter, it's easy to say we drug test. Yeah. It's a different story to say we drug test and we evaluated the samples. But where a promoter's hands are tied is for HIPAA laws, 
they can't say what they tested because that's private information. Yeah. Then you get into the subject of TUEs, therapeutic use exemptions. Yeah. A lot of people believe that yeah, all my glaucoma. Pardon me? For my glaucoma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's a lot of discussion points that if you filed a, a legitimate TUE, that that should be public knowledge as to why you were taking it. That's what took out Cade Claysom and that's what took out Janes with Adderall, Stuart, for example, yeah. was the, the TUEs. So this is where you get into, again, another little gray zone of why wouldn't that be public knowledge? Then you get into the idea, Cade Claysom got tested. He tested positive for, positive for Adderall, as did James. They both assumed that their TUE was going to be sufficient. Whatever reason it wasn't sufficient, whether it wasn't filed properly, or there's all kinds of scuttlebutt as to what the catalyst was behind that. But what I find interesting is Adderall increases the attention span. That's what's very popular That's it. Have you ever done Adderall? No. Crazy fucking drug. Yeah, I've never... That is a crazy drug. Yeah. You Like, people need to stay clear of that drug. Like, I've done... I did Adderall one, one day. I had to fly to New York mm-hmm. at 6, 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. I had 12 videos. They were like 12 four-minute videos that needed to be edited before I flew to New York oh, or really? I couldn't get it done. Yeah. So I had Adderall. Mm. And I got those videos done. No problem. And I got to the airport. I was fucking redlining and there were times where i was at alden's place because like we used to do crazy flying dude like Mm -hmm. it was ridiculous crazy schedules yeah and we we drove from like might have drove from like ricky's to alden's and then back to ricky's and then back to alden's and then back to gwinnett county georgia Mm -hmm. and then back to like we were just on the red line like doing these red bull series yep and man we had this one day dude i got a photo of um i took adderall with wes and we just were like we just fucking fist bump and we're like, well, let's get it done. Yep. And uh, and we just absolutely smashed it out. I got, had that $100,000 Phantom camera. Mm. Thing's probably like 35 pounds, dude. And then I had a Honda E20 generator because I didn't have batteries for sure. the camera. So sure. I had to, and I was running all around Alden Supercross track, Florida heat in the summer. And I was filming Kenny, uh, Kenny, Adam and Ken. Yep. And just like absolutely slinging around this place and it was it's just that drug and people are on that shit every single day like we had a dude with us and like it was his prescription yeah and like well i'm like how many of these you taken dude he's like probably three a day oh boy and i'm like dude stop yeah like if i feel like this i'm one one right now and you've been taking these things for a long time stop get it get it out well this is a bad news and to run with your thread of thought there i mean one of the young NASCAR truck drivers got popped for it. So it's really big in NASCAR. They're really Dude, against it's, it. It's fucking awesome. It's a, yeah. Like and, it really works. And that it's is big a on the PGA as well. Yep. And I've, I've went to school with a couple of PGA pros and they it say. It wouldn't be good for putting. Well, what they say is a little it's, bit. it's the teeing off because you've got that entire Galloway where you've got all these people, cameras everywhere. And they say, and you've experienced it, and you're sitting on that tee and you look down and you don't see a person. Nah, bro. All you see is that that green and where the ball's going to go. Yeah. And that's what I want people to understand is people go, well, why in the hell would somebody take Adderall? Educate yourself on why they take Adderall. Yeah. Why would they take EPL? Educate yourself. Why would they do this and do that? Do anyone that says that Adderall's not like performance enhancing, like for like James, like he might have needed, but I've been around James, like he's not an ADD hyperactive guy. Like, All I can tell you is if you remember Daytona when he came out of that right hander and he seat bounced that wall, 
that's Adderall all over it because there's like, nobody in their right mind would go. send it over yeah. that. Yeah, there's nobody would send it over that wall and himself it, it included like, saying he didn't even do it in practice. It works. Like well, it's awesome. But what they say with Adderall is it lets you see things that you wouldn't normally be able to see. The attention, I've not been on it. It's just so, what I've just read so is so intensely focused. focused. Yeah. yeah. Like I sat down at my computer and I mean, there, we took it a bunch mm-hmm. and there was like, I, I never like, I'm not the, I wouldn't take it as like a recreational thing. Mm-hmm. It's not a feeling that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Like I don't enjoy being that like, you just need to be you know? productive. That's but all. I was just like, if I was up against it, mm-hmm. I'm like, let's just get this shit done. Well, and that's where it goes back to like you're saying there, you know, so that people are like, well, what's the big deal with Adderall? Again, educate yourself. In this case, both of them had TUEs for whatever reason, they weren't legitimately filed. So they yeah. failed. So when somebody tells me that they're, that they're drug testing, I find it interesting that they're drug testing and popping them for Adderall and not an EPO or something else. Because that's probably cheap shit to test for, right? Well, here, again, this is, this is Rob Beams just talking out of his tail end. Hey, it's a Gypsy Tales podcast. So here, None here, of this shit's legit. Well, here's, here's where I go with it. To me, it's easy to say, well, this guy's got a TUE, so we'll just say that he tested positive for it. It'll be negated when you bounce it against a TUE until yeah. they find there's a loophole to TUE and then they go, shit. Now we got to pop them because his TUE wasn't legitimately filed. Uh, Take that with a grain of salt. To me, when you look at, you can go online and you can see who's been tested in what years. It doesn't always line up with, to me, in the sport of triathlons, if you're a triathlete and you cross that finish line, you're going to get drug tested top three. Not if. There's no random testing. Yeah, okay. I don't know that they do that. I'm not saying they don't do it. I have no verification. Well, I know that... um I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. I'll text Myrtle before I say it. But um, I know that uh, Hunter got tested. Well, uh, Jason, why again? Well, when they were doing the post race recap, he literally said, "I'm sitting here waiting to, to piss because oh, I can't pass." That? Um, literally, Lawrence was sitting there with uh, Wygan on the post race, saying, "I'm standing here," and there was a USADA yeah, yeah, official yeah. watching him. Yeah, he so said he it was super weird because, like, he like they'd like looked at his dick. He can't just go watched him piss. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's and no way around it. No, but here it goes back to full circle. Just because you're taking a sample, okay, samples were taken. What are they testing for? I don't know. Like you said, you gave the four examples. There's different tiers. Then once the samples are taken and they're evaluated, you saw with Icarus, a positive test coming back is now in the hands of, in this case, uh, the uh, USOC, the United States Olympic Committee, whether anybody that's underneath the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, when your test comes back, it goes to your governing yeah, yeah. body. Well, the governing body is going, well, if we announce that X runner got popped, well, our funding, because that's how our yeah. Olympic programs are funded by the government. Well, if we show that, look what happened with gymnastics. When it became an absolute debacle, first thing that happened is Cut government funding, funding was yeah, gone. Yeah. So their biggest concern is don't want to lose funding. Yeah. So if you're an organizing body of gymnastics, you don't want a bunch of black eyes. Look at how many times swimmers have gotten popped. Very little. Yeah. But yet you're going to tell me that the world records continue to fall every four years like clockwork because of coincidental perfect periodization. Yeah. I tell you as a coach, that is so hard to nail. Yeah. A four-year periodization every year, or excuse me, every time a cycle yeah, comes yeah. around. And when you look at the dropping of the world records are happening in prelims, where historically it used to be the person would peak right, right up to the before, main event. Yeah, yeah. You got you got world records falling in prelims. Yeah. And you've got six or seven. Think about the mathematical statistical possibilities of that. Yeah. Coming from a it's statistical all a ped analysis. program. Yeah. It's all ped program. Because you need to peak at this date, this time with mm. this program. 
So when you take that and then you take it one step further, positive test, that's fine. Negative test, that's fine. If it's not evaluated and it's not done with, with the organizing body, great. You said you did testing, check, semantical game. We evaluated the results, check. We didn't say what we did with them. Yeah. Then you take the third. You have in testing and out of test, excuse me, you have in competition and out of competition testing. Yeah. Well, there's tons of loopholes with that as well. Because if the drug agency comes to your house and you just don't answer the door, you get one mark against yeah, as you. as a missed. Yeah. As a miss. Well, so Kat, you, have you, you know Caroline Buchanan? Have you heard of her? Mm-mm. She's a like Olympic uh, BMX rider, and okay. um, yeah, she's a legend. Cool. Um, she's on like the she's on like that Olympic program, and mm-hmm. she's just there was uh she was here recently we were at the wsl surf awards okay and uh that day she just like she got fucked around all day by mm-hmm. like this um piss test chick yep. that just came and just yeah. randomly yeah so where where that becomes an interesting thing is is she's doing her job telling her that that's where she's at she's got to randomly do the test this is where you get into half-life of drug testing because mm. if you're afraid you're going to fail an added competition test you don't take your drugs until nine o'clock at night. The half-life is it's undetectable after 7 a.m. and they can't test you until 8 a.m. That's what, that's the whole idea behind a half-life. So if you know the half-life of the drug, you can take it at night and pass the first test in the morning. Yeah. Then when you get into, you didn't show up for your, or didn't make yourself available when they showed up at your door, it's usually eight to 10 months before they'll come back again. Yeah. They don't just sit, they don't go down to the local holiday inn and then come back the next morning and try you again. They usually skip town. So there's a lot of conversations that are going around in the physiology world. I've got a really good friend of mine, um, Nate LaRondi, who was a, a, a professional triathlete. And, you know, it's great to talk to him because he's like, man, I remember I, it was a, it was an all-American swimmer, great collegiate athlete, went into the pro ranks as a triathlete. He's like, guys that I used to beat, all of a sudden the next year, I can't even stay in contact yeah. with. And he's like, and I, I'm going to give him credit for this. He kind of exposed me to the idea of this marginal gains. When somebody doesn't have this this pedigree of, of showing athletic performance and ability, and all of a sudden you get these yeah. double and triple digit improvements at an elite level, it doesn't add up. Yeah. And that's what Nate was saying is guys that he used to be able to battle with in the sport of triathlon are just dropping him like a bad idea. And he's like, what more can I do in my training? He's like, my training is going good. And the guys I used to beat last year, I can't keep a candle to. He's like, whoa. Well, he didn't know at the time about micro dosages and half-lifes and all that. Yeah. And I've spoken to him with it afterwards. He got so disenchanted with it. He just, he actually retired. He's like, I'm not going to play the game. Yeah. And he didn't call any names, but he's just like, look at the numbers. Yeah. And he's continued to do that. So with with this type of situation here, if you are, quote unquote, not available, uh, the the I don't know if it's Venus or Serena. If you Google it, you'll see that one of the drug testers showed up to her house and she went and ran in her safe room and called the police and said she thought somebody was breaking into her house. Oh, shit. Yeah. So then when you when you look at those That's kind of hectic. Yeah. But what a great loophole. Well, there, there's this, like a real famous MMA story of John Jones. Mm-hmm. They've got like the cage. Yeah. And that, so USADA showed up and he hung onto the bottom of the cage. So like slid under because they're like up on the mm-hmm. platform. He like went under the thing and then they, uh, he, the story goes that he hung upside down, like just gripped onto it. And he was under that. They stayed there for eight hours. 
And like, wow. so they were trying to get after that, right? They were fucking furious sure. that they, cause they're like, no one's allowed to leave the gym or, or, or yep. no, everyone put your phones away. Like it's weird though mm-hmm. too. And there's another, actually, and that'll be my next little topic, but, um, they were trying to get a court order to go back and test yep. underneath the floor of the cage for piss mm. because they're like, we were there for eight hours. He's an athlete that drinks gallons of water. There's no way that he didn't piss sure. while he was in that eight hour period hanging mm-hmm. from the bottom of the thing. So that's like the level that the, and he's been now popped for drugs after okay. that. There you go. But the, the thing that I guess the next thing and like, so Christian Craig's just got popped mm-hmm. with, he's not suspended, but, yep. and then Brock Tickle was a guy before, but my real problem with this whole thing and it's been like a recent thing that i've been thinking about is that you get like usada or water they're the judge jury and executioner and it's like in what other legal system or disciplinary system is that the case you know what i mean that it doesn't exist anywhere else that you have the like the judge who sentences you to prison Mm -hmm. in day-to-day life is not the police officer that knocks down your door with a search warrant is not the detective that gets the evidence is not the the defense and the um prosecutor yep and then that judge then is not the jury and then is not like he's the judge sure so you've got all of these people that are involved in the the legal process to give people due process and to give people what we have in the west decided as your rights when it comes to discipline and the law yeah and we've got this company that is responsible for billions and billions and billions of dollars of of these athletes and sports Mm -hmm. and industries that are completely revolved around these athletes performing yep and then you give one company the right to do the entire judicial process well let me let me give you some insight how does that work well here's the here's the insight that most people don't realize i don't know the exact number but i want to say it's upwards of 80 almost 90 percent of the total funding that these drug testing companies get come from the governing bodies there's your problem there's your answer there's the problem because no one's going to cut off the, the the nipple that feeds them. Yeah. So the the self conflicting self serving interest literally lies within its own entity. Yeah. Think about that. Because the end result is yes, we're here to drug test, but yet you're funding us. So what do you want us to do? So what we're doing is we're putting the focus on the wrong organization. This organization pretty much has its hands tied by the people that are actually funding them. Yeah. And that's from the top down. We're focusing on why in the hell does it take two years to get Brock Tickle exonerated? Give him his term, give him his penalty, let him serve it, let him move on. Kate Clayson just got released this past week. The problem isn't that. It's the people that are funding them that are the ones that are really responsible for empowering these people. And these people are politicians. They're not going to cut off their own revenue streams when you've got a guy making a half a million dollars a year as an executive director of some superficial drug testing agency. He's not going to rush to get himself cut. Yeah. So if I can continue just to stall tactic and bl- he doesn't give a shit about what you and I think. He doesn't know Rock Tickle. He, he doesn't, doesn't give a, give a shit. No. All he cares about is he doesn't rock the boat that's funding his system which is the governing bodies that continue. And I'm, I, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say it's close to 80, 90%. Yeah. There's your problem. But nobody knows but that. But like, how is it okay? Like, if I'm if I'm Davy Coombs, 
and I've got this thing, or if I'm Felt, I mean, Felt kind of doesn't care anyway. Mm-hmm. But if I'm Davy Coombs, like that dude cares about the riders. He does. Like, he cares about the athletes. Yep. He th- he knows that that's his show. Yep. And if I'm Davy Coombs, I'm going like, bro, I don't like. Why should I trust you? Well, Davy doesn't have a choice because there's really only two players in the world. You got so Usada you, and so, Wada. So why can't it, why can't there be a thing where it's like if Usada does the testing, Wada has to do the sen- sentencing? Too or, many too many self serving agendas. But see that that to me like this system, I just I can't buy into it. No, I, you're I right. I would never be able to buy into a system because if I it's the same thing. If I got busted for mm-hmm. something that well was illegal Mm -hmm. and I had someone tell me I broke the law and that same person was going to be responsible for prosecuting me, defending me, uh, handing out a guilty verdict and then doing my sentencing. I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, this doesn't make sense. What? Yeah, doesn't make any sense. And that's that's what it is. That's what this whole thing is. Well, that's what Icarus exposed in the movie was it doesn't matter what the, the acronyms are on the associations. It doesn't matter. That's why I want everybody who's listening to the show please go watch the movie Icarus. It's not you and I being on a platform or an agenda or being jaded in any way. It's looking at, and that's why I do appreciate stuff like Google. If you really want to do some due diligence and understand how these infrastructures are built and funded. And Icarus does a really good job of surmising a lot of, I'm going to watch it again. You've got to, you've got to, because it sheds a lot of light on it. And, to me, Davy's hands are tied because those are the only two sanctioning bodies. So he has. And if he doesn't drug test, then, then he's going to get, get all into kinds of shit. Well, I mean, then it comes into the thing of like the floodgates open, and maybe we do get like mm-hmm. Blake Bagger dies off from EPO. Yep. Fuck that. I yep. don't want that. Well, neither I, does, I don't want. No, and neither I does Davy. I want that less than I'm pissed off at water. And, and that's and what Davy wants. So he is Davey, tied. Yeah, Davy wants a clean sport, but it's kind of like you know, if if he if he delegates the t-shirt contract to moto tees he's not worried about how many units he's procuring and what his price point is he just wants to make sure that t-shirts are available to sell at the races davy's a businessman if i hire you to do your job do your job he hires he's got tim cotter tim cotter handles all the sponsorship and amateur racing tim does a phenomenal job but davy is a businessman that's running multiple hats so he wants a clean sport his only two options are a and b he, he buys one of those or, you know, utilizes their services. He's at their mercy. I mean, you look at all the online comments. Why do we have them? Why do we have them? Well, if we don't have them, you bitch. If we do have them, you bitch. Yeah. And Davey can't run USADA. And the thing is too, right, is like Davey wants a clean sport. Mm-hmm. You want a clean sport. I want a clean sport. Brock Tickle probably wants a clean sport. Mm-hmm. Brock Tickle's a dude that's been done for drugs. So like, and I'm just spitballing again out loud. It's like, if I'm Brock Tickle and I've got on some podiums, I've won a championship, mm-hmm. but I'm like not Dungy. I'm not Villapoto. I'm not those guys. And you hear rumors like, dude, maybe Villo, like he filled out pretty quick when he was on a 250 to 450. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah, his neck is getting real, real thick. If you're Tickle and you're just off those guys, and I'm, I'm again, I'm not saying Tickle's guilty. No, I'm just saying he's a guy that's been done. Sure. So it's like Tickle probably wants a clean sport. Villo probably wants to clean. All these guys, they probably all want clean sport. I know that I would like to just go to my comps and know that the dude that sure. I'm fighting is not on steroids. But I go there and I'm like, you're on fucking steroids. Yep. Yep. It you happens brought, everywhere. You brought a knife to a gunfight. Exactly. Yep. And it's like, it's all good in theory to like mm-hmm. want it, but it's like, it's not human nature. Mm-hmm. Like just because, the and and it's like, what is cheating? Like, all right, 
I have a podcast. I decide that if I want to train six days this week and put seven and a half hours on the mat, I get to do that. The dudes that I fought at the state titles, I don't know if they got to put in the, that amount of time. Does that mean that I'm cheating? There you because go. it's not a level playing field? Yeah. I probably put in five hours a week more than those dudes. Not to mention the study that I do at sure. home. Not to, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, am I cheating? Well, it goes back to what I said earlier. What's the definition of cheating? You know, giving using something that gives you an unfair advantage. It may be my, but because my pla- coach is a world champion. Does but, that but give if, me an unfair advantage? But if the platform is the same, and that, and that goes back, like you said, your buddy that was having to do it to get on a C-level team at a cycling level, that's where I think people need to not be naive. I think they need to be realistic. Yeah. And I've said this publicly numerous times. I cannot imagine being 17, 18, 19 years old having to make that decision. Mm. Take these drugs, make lots of money and have a great career, or just be frustrated not like Nate Morandi. Like, not to mention just being safer. Well, like you take the if you take the right drugs and you do sure. it properly, yeah. you're safer. You're gonna be safer when you crash. You're gonna be less fatigued, yep. which is gonna put you at less risk during your motos. Like fuck, like we ask a lot of these well, dudes as it is. It, it kills me when people are like, "Oh man, they're not doing this and they're not doing that." Remember when James Stewart's, um, I don't know what you call her. I for generic terms called her the nurse. She showed up at the outdoor national. Uh, that maybe a little bit before my time. Okay, so sure. so she shows up at a national. And she's there to get her AMA credentials. And so the AMA is like, well, who are you? Why are you here? And she goes, I'm James Stewart's nurse. And she goes, they ask him, what do you, what do you, what do you do? She says, I give him his IVs. Yeah, that was going to be my next thing. This is a lady who doesn't know that IVs are illegal. And she she's there. Said it. She said it right in front of God Dude, and everybody. And she's sitting right there saying, I need my credentials. I was sent to this box to get credentials. And why am I here? Because I give James Stewart IVs. Mm. Well, that's illegal, quote unquote, by the rules, but it was very public knowledge. She just said it in front of everybody. And yet people go, well, they're not doing IVs in between motos. Really? This lady's been flown in to do nothing but administer. But give him an IV. Not my words. That's her words. That was in a Racer X article. I didn't, that's not yeah, me telling yeah. about something I heard from somebody at the AMA. Yeah. That was on Racer X. They talked about it. Davey Coombs talked about it in his Racer Head story. I mean, they had to come down on that heart because they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened with that? I, you never heard anything about it after that. At least I didn't, mm. you know. Man, that was my next thing. So I was talking to Myrtle the other day mm-hmm. after the Florida round and yeah. Sexton cooked his noodle. Mm-hmm. So... Well, um, hell, what happened in the second? What happened this weekend? He, he went like... Same thing, just didn't recover. So like he, he's cooked himself from... That's like, what I was wanting. Yeah, didn't mean yeah. to interrupt you. I was yeah, just curious because no. I haven't seen the race. Yeah, so... Um, I just saw results. So Cooper, that Derek Drake dude, mm-hmm. whole-shotted the first moto and just... So Cooper said, no, that dude was like, that's, he was going super fast, like Mm. too fast. He ended up crashing. Okay. But then Sexton passed Cooper and it was like late in the, like sort of getting the midway of the moto. And Cooper's like, dude, I won't be able to do two motos if I run him down. He's like, I could go fast enough Mm -hmm. to run him down, but I couldn't, I couldn't do the second moto. What happens? Couldn't do the second moto. And I wonder like, and, and Myrtle, we, we were talking about, I said, well, let's just let the dudes do IVs. Mm-hmm. What's what's your stance on on that? Well, as long as all 40 guys can, can get them. do it. You know, if a privateer can get the same service, and, can, and this would be the hard part is you got to get 40 guys, get an IV drip with that one hour block between their next moto. I think from a health standpoint, hell yeah. Because Josh Lichtel died. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, like I actually got died. into an online debate with his brother because his brother said that it, it was, well... 
whether or not it was hyponatremia or it wasn't hyponatremia, you know, there, to me, when you look at Josh Lichtel, he went down in that right-hand turn. He went to get on the bike. He looked like James Stewart after he rung his bell after trying to clear yeah. that wall. He literally missed the bike. Complete signs of being inebriated. Well, he's out racing. He's not drunk. No. But he had no balance. He had no equilibrium, no nothing, and then ended up dying at the hospital a bit, little bit later. No, excuse yeah, me, he was, actually died I was, on the, I was hospitalized for dehydration like two months ago, dude. Well, dehydration is different up. than overhydration. Oh, so you think he was too hydrated? Yes, because he, he had no balance. If you look at oh. the definition of that, or the verbiage is called hyponatremia. Yeah, What happens okay. is you overhydrate, yeah. you dilute the sodium content in your blood. So what happens is the external signs of that is slurred speech, loss of balance, blurry vision, almost as if you're drunk. Yeah, right. So if you watch that video. Dude, Travis nearly died of that. Yeah, Did you know that? it's not yeah. a game. Because once you get to that point, your body's all distended, it's full of fluid, but it won't absorb it. The osmolality is screwed up in your belly, it won't absorb. The other extreme with dehydration, you get cramps, you get yeah. a headache, it stops you in your tracks. The problem with hyponatremia is you're still thirsty, so you keep pounding the, the fluids. Then we can get into a subject of electrolytes and osmolality and absorption and all that. But in that case, yes, I think IVs would be smart because it's healthy for everybody. But how are they going to administer 40 IVs in yeah. each class in one hour? And you're dealing with needles. You got exposure to needles. Does the whole clean up? Does it heal up? It's dirty. Dirty. You know, I, so I don't want to sound like so I'm So you don't think hippie. it's as black and white as what? No, you're, I think you're just being like honest about the from a the, health standpoint. The hell yeah, of like doing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of professional triathletes that get IV drips after a race, but the race is over and they won't race again for another. Dude, three I weeks. know, I know crew like team managers and mechanics mm -hmm. that like if the forecast was for super like a hot weekend, yeah. the teams get IVs mm -hmm. before they go out. It's brilliant, not, not the riders or whatever. Yeah, it makes sense, dude. I remember the my first time going to Bud's Creek it was like 112 or something yep. that weekend so and hot. Nate Ramsey was texting every single person on the crew all day and it was just this big group text saying guys please hydrate please hydrate mm -hmm. please this you you don't realize how hot this weekend is going to be yep. so it's like if we're having to do that as the crew like and the thing is is that there's only so much water i mean obviously i'm sure. telling you as an expert but there's only so much water and electrolytes that your body can absorb per hour per yep. liters of fluid yep so it's like you it's such a slippery scale and you're operating in very very tight windows of actually being able to take sure. in electrolytes actually being able to take in the water well and it's it's a very simple formula if you really think about it if you take your body weight, and I apologize, it's in pounds and, and ounces instead of you know kilos and liters, but if you take your body weight in pounds, divide it by two, that's how many ounces of water you should consume over an eight to 10 hour period. Mm. Then what we do is we have our athletes weigh themselves before and after every activity, and if they drink any fluids during that window of time, document that as well. So if I lose, um, let's say I, I lose um, at two pounds on the scale, but I consumed 16 ounces of water, which is another pound. You didn't lose two pounds on the scale. You lost the two plus the one that you brought yeah, in through your yeah, mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you stay between a one and a two percent loss rate, so on a hundred pound person, that's you know one to two pounds, you're going to be properly hydrated. You lose more than that, you're dehydrated. Yeah, okay. And if you if you don't lose at least one percent, you're overhydrated, hyponatremia. Yeah. So it's a very, very simple formula. It's Problem, hard to like figure out. Why, well, yeah. it's really not that difficult if you're willing to take accountability yeah, yeah, exactly. and responsibility. Document. 
So what we do when we were talking about biofeedbacks uh, variables earlier, when we work with an individual, what we do is we say, okay, the workout was X duration. Because of my heart rate monitor, I have the average and the max heart rate. All they've got to do is step on a scale before and after. I know their perspiration rate, their sweat rate loss. I know their percentage of loss. I know their average heart rate, their max heart rate. I know humidity and I know temperature. I create a temperature silo. So like, for example, if I was working with AC, I would have a temperature silo after Florida this year. Yeah. I would have used that same silo going to Southwick. Yeah. But if you don't document, and it's amazing because they'll download all the data into a computer. They're telling you peak horsepower, when it's gaining it, when oh, it's yeah, losing it. Oh, your lit pro stuff. Yeah. But yet we look at a body and we go, oh, I can't figure that out. Yeah, oh, yeah. I disagree. You can't yeah. figure it out. It does take some meticulous notes. But once I get the the profile established, we do them in 10 degree uh, um, silos. If I know what your sweat rate is at 80 to 90 degrees for a 30 minute moto, anytime I'm in a 80 to 90 degree, I know what your perspiration rate is yeah, when I'm in yeah. humid. Cause in Florida, it's always 100%, 100% humidity. humidity. Then it's, you know, 80, 90, 90 to 100, 100, 110. Helps being the numbers guy. Yeah. Well, if you look at it, you know, Mitch and Bones, they don't go to Daytona scratching their head going, where yeah, do we start? Or Colorado. They know what they're going to lose. They know where they're yeah. going to start. Yeah. And then you, you tweak as you go. So there's no exact science, just like there isn't with motors. But because it's you new words, it people on. get so overwhelmed. They go, oh, it's, it's too technical. Okay. That's that's what we're here to do for you if you want to do it. Instead, they'd rather have, I love Chase Sexton, cool guy. To go 139, I would be gutted if I was his trainer. Yeah. We, what we just won our first national and now, and we, now can't we can't finish go. the second yeah. one. You know, I'd say to Mikhail all the time when I see these kids showing up with physio tape all over them and no, that's a muscular imbalance. That's yeah, a flexibility yeah. imbalance. Fix the problem. Don't tape it up and that's mask literally it. a bandaid. Yeah. Literally a bandaid. Don't yeah. mask the, the symptom, you know? So, uh, what, I guess what is like the, the end result of like where you sit on the whole IV thing then? Well, I think from a health and, you know, health and wellness standpoint, I think it'd be fantastic. I just don't know that you're and it's difficult with the TV programs the way they are. I mean, I think it'd be better to give them a little bit more time in between the races. You know, like I know it's difficult because they can't really air the all-star race, but if they aired the all-star race and gave a little bit more instead of that 60 minute, you'd be surprised what a 90 minute window can do. Oh, for sure. Big difference there. But um, because you're dealing with an open wound and going right into dirt situations, I personally wouldn't advocate it. But if you're looking at it from a blood chemistry standpoint and a health and wellness standpoint, it's great. I mean, because yeah. you're literally rehydrating the body. And anyone who's gotten an IV after, like Michaela doing Ironman and stuff, if your percentage of uh, weight loss is too much, they'll, they'll make you take an IV right there in the med tent. And you come away from there like you didn't even do the race. Yeah. It's significant. So what, um, staying on the hydration thing. Sure. So how do you, what's the calculation to work out how much water you should drink in a day? Take your body weight, divide it in half, and that's how many ounces of fluid you need per day over and is that in kilos or pounds? Um, that's in pounds to ounces. And, and for all the listeners, what I'll do is I'll put together a, a calculator that does it in liters and kilos. Yeah. And just email me, just rob at coachrob.com, and I'll send you that. Uh, it's, it's a calculator. I'll yeah. just send it right over to you. So what what is it? So it's so I'd think I'd probably be like 165 or 100. And... Yeah. So you'd be looking at about 80 ounces of water per day. So what's that? Um. I can't remember what's the conversion rate of Let a liter to. Let me just see if a, I can pull it out. Yeah. Ounce. How many ounces to, to a liter? Oh, I don't even know. Uh, yeah, this Wi-Fi blows. Yeah, that's okay. 
Yeah, that, that would I'd be like a starting point. Out. Well, so I think it's imperative because if you lose more than 2%, I mean, you're already dehydrated. So all that work you're doing in the gym, the muscle contraction will stay at its highest contraction rate when the muscle's properly hydrated. Yeah. And we can get into the subject of electrolytes a little bit if you want to, but people misunderstand electrolytes because we think, well, if I drink a sports drink, it makes me urinate more. You're right. That's why you're actually, you know, feeling yourself having to urinate more and more because the electrolytes help you pull it through your gut. It's what we refer to as the osmolity. Yeah. You have to have a certain concentration rate of carbs in the belly or the body won't absorb it. That's how you get that distended belly. Yeah. But then when it comes to muscle contraction, if a, if the electrolytes become depleted in the muscle, you'll, you won't be as strong. Yeah. So that's where you get cramping and electrolyte depletion. A lot of times people want to throw it on dehydration. Refrain from doing that. Look at it as an electrolyte depletion issue. Okay. Sweat is one thing. Electrolyte depletion is another. So part of the muscle contraction is the need for electrolytes. So if you become electrolyte depleted, you'll start cramping. Yeah. So I've had, I mean, I think I talked to you about it. Um, the, can you hear that? Mm-hmm. Sounds, I wonder what that is. It's kind of like a phone. Almost like the phone's going off, but there's no phone that would be on. It's not that same thing you were playing with earlier. It sounds like that same noise. There it is. There it is. Yeah. Um, Good job. Did, was I telling you last time about when I was in Thailand and I like got super dehydrated mm-hmm. and then like I just like got like full body cramps. Yep. But yeah, that's been. That's but think been, about how cool it is what you just said. When you're dehydrated, the body's got all kind of stop gaps. Like first thing, your skin will stop sweating. You'll get dry mouth. You'll start to get chills. Then you'll start cramping, and then you've got like it feels like your head's on fire. Yeah. Those are your four stages of dehydration. Lots of stop gaps. If you overhydrate, the frustrating part is you're still thirsty. That thirst mechanism keeps telling you to consume. Yeah. Then you start overhydrating. You dilute the sodium content in your in your blood, and then your belly won't absorb the fluid because of the lack of electrolytes. But you're still thirsty, so you keep downing it. Next thing mm. you know, it just gets worse and worse. And the bad part about it with hyponatremia is once you get to that ex, you know extreme state, you have to go to you know the hospital and they have to pump your gut. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, because I remember, yeah, like I said before, Travis almost got that because he just made a bet with someone that he was going to drink the most water. Well, I don't know if you guys heard about, gosh, I'm showing my age here. This is probably 10 years ago. There was a college girl that died yeah, in yeah, a water. Yeah. Remember that, that water drinking contest because they don't, they water seems benign. It's not alcohol. They always yeah. wanted alcohol poisoning or whatever. No, water will flat out kill you. That's and, why, like we started, I have my own electrolyte business, or excuse me, I have my own supplement business and the energy fuel, that's what it's called, is made from raw sugar cane because it's a real fuel. And the idea is we add electrolytes to it just for that reason. But the concentration rate needs to stay at a 5 to 6% concentration rate. Mm. So if you take my sports drink and you, instead of mixing two scoops to 10 ounces and you go overzealous and double that up, you're not going to absorb it and you're going to get sick. Yeah, yeah. No, it's that, yeah, that whole, like, even if you're, like, super dehydrated and then you go like oh i'm gonna chase it and i'll just drink some electrolyte like you're not that's such a catch up yeah it's a balance that you and that's why it's dangerous when you see people walk around with these big jugs of water and just saying drink 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 no now in in defense of some people most people don't do a good job with hydrating on Um, a daily basis because you get busy yeah. yeah we all do some people don't like the flavor i get all that and i respect all that but when you get behind the eight ball and we say it this way in the physiology world if you wait until you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated. Yeah. Once that mechanism in your brain gets a message. Now, there's some arguments with that in the physiology world, but for a general s- school of thought is don't ever allow yourself to become dehydrated. 
Yeah. It's about staying ahead of it. Like you said, trying to play catch up, nearly impossible. Yeah. And then, so, and then when you, um, I mean, we sort of spoke about this last time, I guess we don't, I guess we don't have to go too deep into it, but, um, is there any math that you should do or like, what's the equation that you do to then, uh, account for the sweat that you lose training? Well, it's you'd have never, to weigh yourself before yeah, and after, and, right? and Yes. And that's a great question. Cause it's never a one-to-one. If you lose one pound, you're not trying to put in that one pound because without boring all the listeners, when your body breaks down food, water is going to be excreted. When you're, you know, when you sleep in a tent and you wake up and the inside of the tent is wet, we have to realize we're losing water through respiration. You urinate, you defecate. Yeah. It's about like 500, like half a liter basically overnight, right? Exactly. Yeah. So if you look at why you're losing the sweat, is it through exercise or is it through daily function? That's why I have you weigh yourself in the morning and weigh yourself at night. As a general rule of thumb, you should always be two to three pounds heavier at night than you are in the morning. Yeah. Because when you eat carbohydrates, part of the conversion of eating, let's call an apple a complex carb, when your body converts that to stored sugar in the form of glycogen, there's a water retention as part of that conversion. Yes. So that's about 2.8 grams of water for every ounce of glycogen that your body stores. So that's where we use the word prehydration. So what I always say with my clients is if you're not two to three pounds heavier at night, then you are dehydrated and or didn't eat enough fruits or you sweat way more than we realized. Yeah. You should be heavier at the end of the day, not lighter. Yeah. But when you wake up in the morning after you've respirated and your body's gone through its functions, you empty your bladder, you should be a pound or two lighter than you were in the morning. Yeah. yeah and if yeah. you if you evaluate that on a daily basis you and can you bounce that tell, against your yeah. schedule of training, you can see how much is inflammation and swelling how much of it is hydration. Yeah. That's why I said earlier, we use morning weight for inflammation and swelling because you empty your bladder, you're as light as you're going to be. Yeah, so if you're as light as you're going to be and you're heavier. And you're heavier, that's inflammation and swelling. Now, if you just had a big set at the gym, we're not worried about because we can answer the why. We have a lot of swelling and inflammation because you tore yourself down two hours at the gym. That makes sense. Yeah. But you don't come back today and do balls to the wall and then balls to the wall again tomorrow yeah, and then by, yeah, yeah. because then that residual fatigue Monday through Sunday just gets to be that stress starts to get out of balance. And I think that that's sort of one of the, like where I was saying before, how I think I am getting a bit of that, like adrenal fatigue is that like, it's just, we go every day and it's yeah. just like, it's so hard, but it's so hard to take a step back from training and like take that sure. time, you know? Well, t- for the listeners that may be staying with us this whole time and we appreciate that, Keep in mind the category of stress, because if you're dehydrated, you're stressed. Yeah. If you're yeah. not getting enough, so you've calories, got to just do everything you can to minimize stress, stre- and then you can stress train. Stress is the key, because if I'm if I'm dehydrated and I'm not getting enough sleep and I'm not getting enough calories and my relationship sucks and finances suck, there's and, just stress everywhere because it's all cortisol. And then I'm gonna go to the gym and go balls to the wall, because that's where we're supposed to. That's supposed to be our outlet. That's you're where stressing we're, a stress system, and essentially yeah. you just cook it. Yeah. Okay. You know, in in the moto world, I always say it this way: if the radiator becomes dehydrated, and your motor doesn't get enough oil, your system's cooked. Yeah. And your radiator is your respiration system, your ability to exo. It's what we call the exothermic process: maintain core body temperature. If the body doesn't have the fluid to to, to regulate itself, it bakes. Mm. If it doesn't get high quality fat, it bakes. Think about it as a motor, mm. and your gas tank is your food. Yeah. So I can have a bike that dynos out at 100 horsepower, but if I don't put gas in it, it does, my PETA beats it. Man, I'll tell you right now, I I had like a week of insanely clean eating. Mm-hmm. So like I had to lose like three kilos, so like six, 
point something pounds, mm-hmm. which isn't crazy. Sure. But I didn't want to dehydrate myself to do it. Yeah, there's a difference. So I was staying like super hydrated, like drinking a lot of water mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, that BCAA formula. Yep. yep. And then trying to lose the weight just through pure calorie in versus calorie out. Yep. And I was having like bugger all carbs and I was having like no sugar. Like yep. obviously there's carbs and sure, sugar too. Sure. But in terms of me eating like a donut, External a piece of sugar. chocolate, like yep. I wasn't taking on anything. No pardon me no fizzy drinks no nothing Mm -hmm. and like i hate to admit it because i'm i love like i ate a donut today yeah like i will eat like half a block of chocolate at night ray and i will wrestle you for a donut man the freaking feeling of not eating any shit for a week and then training Mm -hmm. like i slept better i woke up better like i don't sound as nasally when i like because i i struggle with dairy okay yep so it's All like mucus and stuff. yeah but then i'll have ice cream because i love it and then sure. sh- but even i even feel like carbs made me feel like mm-hmm. i was more sore in the mornings yep. when i started when i stopped like started eating more carbs again yeah so like that whole inflammation thing like i just never really felt like i bought into it all the way when people would talk about like oh reduce sure. your inflammation but it's like ugh, i feel like as much as i hate to admit it i feel like it really that that whole inflammation thing is real there's a ton of credibility to it but it goes back to and my big buzzword is creating a a, a fitness performance nutrition hydration that's sustainable yeah to sit here and put yourself in a glass house and say don't don't yeah, well, don't i couldn't don't. eat like that for 52 well, weeks of the year who wants to live that way no nah, it was shit you know what i mean even if we're trying to stay in that motocross world of that very small box we are talking doing that for nine months a year ten months a year Got a little bit of a sabbatical, do that for eight, 10 years, bank 20, 30 million and be done. Cool. We could do that. But I ain't getting shit for winning. It yeah, exactly. You're paying to yeah, go yeah, there, yeah. you know? And that's why we always say to everybody that's willing to listen is it's don't try to set yourself up for failure. You're going like, for example, there's, you know, this idea that gluten is bad for you. Unless you have celiac disease, there's nutritional value of grain. Now, there are going to be people that say yes, but it also causes a lot of inflammation. You are correct if you want to get highly technical with it. However, if you strip your body of all the grains, you strip your body of certain micronutrients that you're going to have to get somewhere else. Mm-hmm. If And that's what I want all, everybody that's listening to think about. When you say that you're going to strip a category of foods out, think about the nutritional stripping that you're doing. Because we get caught up on its dairy. Well, where are you going to get your calcium from? I'm going to get my calcium over here. Cool. As long as you've got... As long as you know. You know where you're getting it from. And then you have to understand, and this is where I don't want everybody to get overwhelmed. You've got to realize all real food is designed to interact with other real foods. So, for example, if I'm eating red meat and I extract the iron from it, if I have B and C vitamins in a salad, B coming from your breads, dark pumpernickel breads, I'm going to increase the iron Intake, absorption yeah. because of C and B being there. Well, how do you do that? Eat a power salad with some brown bread, with some butter, with a steak. Well, what if I don't? Well, now you're starting the what ifs. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you learn to combine your foods, you don't have to overanalyze it. Where you get in trouble is when somebody strips a category of foods. Altogether. Yeah. I'm going to slam keto for a second. You know, people are like, well, I'm not going to, I'm just going to eat keto and I'm not going to have any fruits because it has sugars in it. That's a mistake because there's vitamins and minerals, which are catalysts for energy. Oh no, no, no. I've got Joe Blow in this video and this podcast and this guy's yeah. done all this study. That's fine. But when somebody, and we just recently had a client that did this, he decided he was going to go on keto. He bought some system called, I don't even know what it was called, but it was a keto system of some sort. 
And part of that was he had to ingest 27 supplements three times a day. Mm. So what is it that he's ingesting? The micronutrients that he's not getting from the fruits and vegetables. That and they're not getting. like real at that they're point, synthetic. right? Yeah. They're synthetic. So if you think about it, and I'm and not Do you think there's to, a difference between the real and synthetic? 100%. Yeah. Anything that's synthetic is not going to have the same efficacy as a real product. Now, we can get into the argument of, is the dirt we eat out of clean? Are we procuring our food cleanly? Yeah, Are we using yeah. pesticides? And does that steal some of the nutrition? Yeah, it does. Anytime you have to shelf stabilize something, you've got to put a preservative in it. Yeah. And again, unless we're going to, not to sound redundant, unless you want to go back and live on a farm and do it all yourself, yeah, then, you're going to have to have some flexibility. Like yeah, you said, compromise people there. are going to say it has, it's going to cause inflammation. You're right. Yeah. But I like spaghetti every now and then and risk return payoff is not. Now, if you have celiac disease, you eat that, you're going to feel horrible. You've already got a pre-existing condition. That's a different scenario than just saying, oh, I'm going to be, I'm just all about this. Yeah. Based on what grounds. Yeah. You know, when you look at your breakfast, lunch, and dinner, if it's coming from all three food groups, fruits, vegetables, and lean protein sources, you're golden. So that would be like your basic advice. That's all I do with all my clients. I don't care if they're making 10 million a year or they're making $10 an hour. Fruits, vegetables, and lean protein. Every time you open your mouth, if you're hungry, eat more. So for example, for breakfast, I like to do a couple eggs every morning. If I have an avocado, great. Avocado mm. with some extra virgin olive oil and some sea salt on it, great. I'll do some yogurt with some raw fruit on it. If I get hungry within a two hour window, the next day I'll add another egg. I'll add another cup of yogurt I'll, until I'm no longer hungry in that two hour window. Because mm. without getting into a bunch of food technology, if you're stabilizing your blood sugar levels behind the scenes, then your, your energy levels are like this all day long. Yeah. So if I know my quality of food is good and I'm getting hungry, all I got to change is the quantity of food. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's nutrition 101. Yeah. Right. That's it. And it's not, yeah. And never then, let yourself become hungry. I yeah, know okay. for you, you were trying to cut weight. You're doing burn in and burn out and stuff like that. It wasn't like that bad though. Like I wasn't like super hungry and I was, it was more of like a reaction of like, I just wanted to eat. Yeah, it's it's more like mental. Mm -hmm. I was the whole time like, cause I had comps last year where I just left it late and I wasn't disciplined until like a, only a few days before. Okay. Yeah. And I'd let myself get like way heavier. So mm -hmm. I have to make 73.3 kilos. Oh wow. 73.5, okay. which is what's that? A hundred and. Was that 60? I'd have to get the calculator. It's like 150 pounds pretty yeah. much. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty light. I'm six foot mm -hmm. tall. Yeah. I was going to say. And, uh, but I've just got no muscle on my legs. Like I've just got super skinny legs. Um, but yeah, like I'd left it late and then I was like hungry the night mm -hmm. before I would be too scared to eat anything. And then like, I just felt like shit. So this time I was like, I'm just going to like, going to be lighter by the time I get to the point where I have to like lose anything. Yeah. But you know, like I really wasn't hungry, but like, it's just crazy when you can't eat certain things. It's mm -hmm. just becomes a mental thing at that point. Well, and you brought up something that I want all the listeners to stop and, and rewind and listen to. Remember how you said you were really hungry and you tried to go to sleep? The best thing you could have done was eat an avocado with some extra virgin olive oil. And then go to sleep. And go to sleep. Yeah, right. Because, remember what we said, when your body gets to sleep quickly and it gets to deep sleep, what does it release? HGH and testosterone. Yeah. Those are your two magic magic hormones for you and all of us for that and matter. And so like just circling back to that whole um, Think that about whole a hierarchy thing. of needs. Sleep or eat. Yeah, Your body okay. doesn't want to sleep when it's hungry. But yeah. if I satisfy hunger, 
then I'm ready to sleep. slip straight into the next and one. And then I release the hormones that are going to make me stronger and leaner. Yeah. It's a win-win. So can you fix the adrenal fatigue yes. with just diet and sleep? Sleep and food. But can, do you have to, how hard do you back off training though? 100%. You have to just stop. I think so. Okay. Because it's it goes back to if I've got a top end excuse me, if I have a bottom end that's got 300 hours on it and I keep refreshing the top end, I still have a bottom end that needs to be rebuilt. Yeah. It's a whole system. Remember, gas, radiator, lube. Yeah. Your food, your hydration, and your high quality fats. Yeah. We can argue about, not argue, but we can discuss protein. That's going to rebuild your muscles and your immune system. We could talk but about carbs. pretty secondary. Well, it's the fat that everybody's phobic on yeah. because mainstream media says fat's going to make Dude, us I fat. I eat so much fat and I like, I'm not you. fat Super lean, yeah. yeah. Like, there's no. like no fat no. on me. And, and that's the part, and, and I appreciate you allowing me to be on the show. When someone's struggling with sleep, guess what they're going to struggle with? Weight gain. Yeah. When someone's struggling with managing stress, they're going to struggle with weight gain. Yeah. When somebody can get over the fear. Now, let me digress for a moment. There's only two things that satisfies appetite, protein and fat. That's it. That's why you can eat a bowl of cereal and 20 minutes later you want to eat another bowl of cereal. Because uh. it's all carbs. Milk, whatever grains and healthy foods they call Sultanas. that are in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if I have three eggs, how full do you feel? Yeah. You're not hungry for hours because huh. of protein and fat. I didn't know that. So if I eat a protein, excuse me, if I eat two eggs and so an that's avocado. That's why you can drink a protein shake and like not want to eat. Not want to eat. But a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to use it as a meal replacement. No, use it as a supplement to get more amino acids to build and support the rebuilding of the tissue that you torn down. Paradigm shift. Mm. I have my own supplement business. I don't want anybody taking my supplements. I want you to eat real raw food. And if you find you can't get enough aminos, MCTs, vitamin C, whatever. Yeah. Sup, hence the word supplementation. Supplement, yeah. Supplement, supplement real, real food. Yeah. But when I'm looking at the bigger picture of... If I can get you to eat three eggs, an avocado, and extra virgin olive oil before you go to bed, you're going to sleep like an absolute baby. Your body's getting all this high-quality fat and aminos. I get all the muscle rebuild. I get all the adrenals, which we talked about earlier, the funnel. Yeah. High-quality fats come in. I'm excreting hormones. Like I'm, I'm going to be somewhat, you know, I've got two females in the in the studio with us. But what you have to think about is when you wake up in the morning, you get that morning erection. That's because your testosterone levels are at it's, its highest in the morning. Uh, okay. But they peak, if they're doing it right, should peak in the morning. You can empty your bladder and still have a raging heart on. Yeah. The reason being is because testosterone is at its highest. Can you, would you still experience that if you are like in that renal fatigue, uh, sorry, adrenal fatigue? You will, but it won't be as sustainable. Yeah, okay. And you have to kind of do a little bit more work to get it going, and then you have to do a little more work to keep it going. Yeah, okay. Because it's, as much as people get all hung up on the sensitivity of the subject, you got to realize hormones don't really care what you yeah, think. They they're they either firing you, or they're yeah. not firing. When you're craving simple sugars, or you have, like for any of the female listeners that we have, Whenever a female says, I have night sweats, first thing they do, oh, you're, you're premenopausal. That's always a default answer. Mm. So they want to give them topical creams, injections, or whatever. Yeah. Back in the States, the big thing is now they're injecting their asses with pellets. And it's slow-release pellets. So these women are struggling with getting their hormones in balance. They pack a month's supply of these. Literally, they open up the flesh and stick them in there and stitch it up. No shit. Yeah. Fucking America. Yeah, idiots. You know? It's just crazy. Well, it's just because they don't want to do the, the work. work. Yeah, you know, it's, it goes back to the Navy SEAL account. Take a hundred percent accountability. They don't want to do that. They want a quick fix. But what is it that they're doing? They're getting a synthetic version of what you can do by sleeping and eating correctly. Mm. But it takes time. 
This is why you see professional athletes taking HGH. They've only got five days to recover. Mm. Well, at the level that they're training, they may need 19 hours of sleep and can only get nine because they've got other things to do, a family, job, train. Yeah. So that's, you know, we're back to that ethical decision. I'm not sitting here being judge and jury. If I, if I had to get on a flight every five days and then try to get back home and then resume training and then back on it. I mean, think about these ITU pro triathletes. They're going continent to continent to continent every single weekend. I mean, I mean, it's one thing for you and I. We're like, yeah, we're a little jet lagged. We, we've got computer work. I'll just take work. an extra day. Yeah. yeah. No, they, they're going to be racing in 42 hours because they got to go to the other side of the world, time changes and everything else, get out, swim, bike, run, you know, just so they're going to go to drugs. It's crazy. Eh? And the whole thing is, oh, but we're testing for drugs. There can't be any drugs. Bullshit. There's drugs in the sport. They're using half-life drugs. They're using out of competition. They're, there's all this discussion about doing the, uh, the blood biological passport. See if there's yeah, any fluctuations yeah. in that. There was a big guy that just got popped in the cycling world. Ironically, he got popped for a full cocktail. And, the, and their big defense was, well, why would I be taking this in February if the season doesn't begin until November? Because if they're doing a biological passport, they want it to stay the same throughout the year. Yeah. So even if you're not training, you're still going to do it to keep yeah, keeping the levels keep right. Keep the picture looking the same. Yeah, okay. Think, people, think. Yeah, Look yeah. a little bit below the surface than just saying it's a witch hunt. That's yeah. what I don't like. Oh, everybody's out to get them. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, eh? But, I, you know, not to digress back to, to PEDS at all, but when you look at the idea, whenever somebody wants to, especially for you, maximizing strength-weight ratios, very important to you. Focus on sleep and food. Mm. Oh, I need to get my endurance up. Focus on sleep and food. I got to get my explosive power up. Sleep and food. That's it. There's nothing sexy about that, though, nothing. is there? Well, and that's, as I give that to you in one sentence, I can't sell a book. Yeah. I can't create a video series. Yeah, there's no. But if I create some no little. There's no seminar in sleep and food. That's it. Two, uh, three yeah, words. Yeah. That's right. But if, and I said this in the last show, you know, we've been through, if you go current, you go to keto. And if I go back from keto, you've got super slow. And I know that's ones of food yeah, platform and one is yeah. exercise. But when you look at the fad of what's the latest and greatest, you have, oh, I'll, I'll, let's go exercise. Now it's hit CrossFit, high interval intensity training. Yeah. You have that with keto. Before that, you had super slow. Before that, you had now uh, super setting. Functional. Yep. Yeah. I've been doing functional strength training for 36 years because yeah. we work in a three-dimensional plane, as we said at the beginning of the podcast. Well, you ride a motorcycle a front of the pegs, behind the pegs, above the seat, below the seat, and the left and the right peg. Why are you lifting any any differently than that mm. when you're trying to go out and push and pull a motorcycle around at speed? It yeah. makes no sense. Yeah. Just because you can leg press or squat or bench or deadlift, who cares? Yeah. It's not functional. Deadlifts are probably not a good functional. Uh, excuse me, deadlifts are pretty good. If you do them with good form, most don't. They end up getting a bulging disc because they blow their back out. But when you go backwards from crossfit and high intensity training and super slow and super setting and you take nutrition and it's gone from keto to low glycemic to whatever buzzword well all those buzzwords are accompanied with some book mm. so when somebody says to me i'm going to go on zone or atkins or south beach what they're interested in is buying the book and going right to the book that tells them or excuse me going to the part of the book that tells them what they're allowed to eat mm. not why right but if i say to you that the the the, the advertising platform of the book is you're guaranteed to lose 10 pounds in the first week. Guaranteed. Well, I just said it a little bit earlier. If you eat a carbohydrate, fr let's call it a fruit and a vegetable. It's just water retention. 
2.8 grams for every gram. So if I don't let you eat fruits and vegetables, that's you don't pounds. gain any water. Yeah. If you don't retain any water, you're going to lose 10 pounds. Well, yeah. that's what, four sentences? But the book's this thick. Yeah. Because they want you to buy their book. And then in their book is... Well, that's like the 101 of weight cutting is like no carbs, no salt. Because it means you just can't take on any more water. That's all. That's like 101. Yeah. I mean, and how long, like you say, not very sexy. No. But if you get somebody to understand that the water retention is part of maintaining proper health, because that's why I like to go, we have a very successful weight loss division. And the reason being is we get them off of this hamster treadmill that exercises punishment for bad food choices. Instead of educating them that low intensity training burns more fat. So you're going to lose more fat, not body weight. You said you wanted to lose fat. If you want to lose fat, slow it down. If you want to increase your ability to sleep, because now you understand the importance of the hormones, you're going to be a little less fat phobic. And again, it comes back to what you're saying about cortisol too, because mm-hmm. fat attaches to cortisol. That's so if it. you're like stressed system, super stressed, yep. then you're going to have more fat being attached to those. And if you take this podcast that we've done and you look at all the different discussion points that we've had, high cortisol, going to gain weight, high cortisol, you're not going to perform well, high cortisol, Adrenal fatigue, adrenal fatigue, bake system, bake system, no sex drive, no sex drive. Not, and the problem, that's why I said to you earlier, tell me where you're at. Tell me where you want to be and let's discuss the frustrations that are keeping you. Yeah, from yeah, that. yeah. What riding coach is going to be able to have these discussions? This is what irritates the snot out of me when I'm not here to talk about standing up or sitting down in a corner. I'm not here to talk about one or two fingers. I'm talking about, do you understand the truth about building strength and endurance? Do you understand the truth about hydration and nutrition? Mm. Do you understand the balancing component of pushing and pulling a motorcycle? You can go to your riding coach all day long. I'm not declaring myself as a riding coach. I'm a human performance coach that tries to integrate the moving gyroscope with the human physiology. Yeah. If there's a limitation physically, we'll address it. Then once we get the physiology, Go to your writing coach. Yeah, and then you'll have like the, the platform to work. Well, you got Tim Ferry. Tim Ferry likes a foot low. Ronnie Tishner likes a foot high. Yeah. Both have worked with AC. Both have won championships. Ronnie Tishner was factory Suzuki number one. Ronnie, excuse me, Tim Ferry rode for Cowie. Motocross the nation's team. Great guy. Great, successful yeah. racer. Yeah, it's subjective at that point. Uh, Tishner wants a foot high. Timmy wants yeah. a low. Both yeah. have won championships. Who am I to argue? Yeah. I just want to make sure you've got the flexibility to get it up. Yeah. Flexibility, put it down. (laughs) So with the flexibility stuff, so like that's sort of like with this next six weeks before I do the nationals. Yeah. I am like, all right, I probably can't make insane gains anywhere else with in six weeks. Yep. But what I could do, the thing that I could make the most gain in would probably be the thing that would benefit me the most anyway. And I think that's flexibility. Can I argue with you? Yes. Sleep. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah fair but you're already doing a good job with it. Yeah. Go ahead. So, uh, in terms of like training, sure, like me sure. training when I'm awake. Yep. So, um, I've been like recently, the, like the last few days, I'm going like really hard stretching. I've, I've improved quite a bit already, and I can feel how it like as it gets better. Like it, it seems so obvious to mm-hmm. me now. Like, and the other thing I was thinking is like, you can have like. <laughs> And this is what maybe everybody should think about this. Like if you're a motocross guy, you're out racing on the weekend and you um, are like, you know, maybe you're not going to be, I'm not going to be a world champion fucking professional jujitsu dude or whatever, but it's like, I want to enjoy it. I want to get the most out of it that I can with the time that I've got doing it. Yeah. So it's like, I'm 
maybe I won't be a world champion, but like I could have a world champion level of flexibility. Mm-hmm. That's like very attainable. Absolutely. Like there's no gym required. There's no equipment required. There's the non, no... We call it the non-sweating component. Yeah. Yep. And to me, it's like, it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. It's like I said, it's been a light bulb thing. It's sure. like, all right, well, the best black belts in the world, the highest level competitors have this just ridiculous flexibility. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I could have that. Yep. I might not have all the other stuff, the sure. access to gyms, the time to train, blah, 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 blah whatever. Yeah. But I could do that. Yep. And my, I guess like the question is like, how hard can you go with the stretching? Is I it think- the on, is it like, I could just work on it and work on it. But because I did some groin stuff today, like, you know, that stretch, the splits machine mm-hmm. where you sit and yeah, pull it. Crank it. Yep. So we had, we had one of the fucking had one in the gym the whole time. I only, mm. I saw it today Oh boy! as I've started thinking about it and i was like oh that's one of those things yeah but so i'm on that but now like my groin's like sore now yep but when i got up and i did that routine i felt like a mate like literally walking felt better than it's felt since i was like a 10 year old because for the last four days i've probably put two hours into stretching two and a half hours into stretching but is that can you go too hard with it absolutely and and i want to i want to go on what you just said right there you notice how when you got up you could just feel the increased flexibility excuse me increased range of motion i want people to understand that when we get up every single morning we pretty much walk through a very definitive our hips go a certain amount of degrees every day if you go up your steps they're going to go up a little bit more than somebody who doesn't have steps when you put your leg into a car, when you get up on a chair, that's about the entire deviation of a day. Well, you add two degrees and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm tight. Mm. Well, the reason why you're tight is because you work in the same. Like you're for, like you're grooving. That's all you yeah. you've, you've essentially established a certain amount of degrees, flexion and extension, and you do it. I'm thinking about walking because you're yeah, talking about yeah, your groin. I'm yeah. using that as an example. So if I'm looking at you from the side and I'm looking at your pelvis, when you walk a certain degree with your femur, that degree doesn't change much unless you step up and it's on a, a set of stairs or you walk down. It's the only thing that's going to cause. But you're you. not like stepping up onto this table no. in like a day to day scenario. Right. So you're not bringing your knee up to 90 degrees or 180 degrees. So now all of a sudden your knees are, especially with your daddy long legs, almost up to your eyeballs. But when you do that, what are you doing? You stretch all the muscles on the posterior side of the body. So now all of a sudden you do a 30 minute routine. Like you said, you're doing two years worth in two hours. Yeah. Because for the first time you've intentionally opened up those hips when it's not associated with a match yeah because you get into a match and you start putting yourself well that's the thing is i've gotten way more flexible Mm -hmm. just in like the year and a half of training yeah so like and one of the boys was saying that today as well he's like he did something he's like damn i'm like flexible now yeah he's never done stretch like he doesn't stretch Mm -hmm. before or after like maybe like five minutes sure that's not anything really well and, and this is a good segue into your second question about you know can you stretch too much there's a there's a physiological principle known as the stretch reflex and what I want you to think How about... How does he know everything, eh? Like, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. So if you think about it, like if I have you put your leg up on the desk and you square your legs up and you come down, you'll feel that burning sensation. That's the stretch reflex. So any of the listeners that can do it while they're at home or at the desk in the office, put a leg up and just do that typical hamstring stretch and you'll feel that burn. That's the stretch reflex inside the Golgi apparatus of the tissue. So without getting lost with a bunch of words... Imagine when you look at a, mu- a muscle, f- uh, excuse me, a muscle spindle cell underneath a microscope. You have an origin and insertion, and then you have kind of that little raised belly part. Yeah, that's where the contractile strength. That's where you find your mitochondria and all that is in the belly of that. There's a chemical component of that that sends a message to your brain that says that hurts. Stop. 
So it tries to keep you from going any further. Because it's trying to protect it. That's, that's exactly it. It is the protective mechanism to keep the tissue from tearing. From snapping and tearing. Now here's yeah. where it becomes a little convoluted. If I'm using my upper body and I'm leaning down and that stretch reflex gets in, in, in we call it invoked, engaged, the, it brings, all right, straighten your right arm out. The only way that your palm can go to your shoulder is that your bicep gets a message to, from yeah. your brain. Yeah. The only way it can extend is it gets a message to the tricep that says extend. Let go. That's it. Yeah. The only so my origin of the bicep is in the elbow. The insertion is in the long head of biceps that appear in the acromion process. I've got to pull from end to end to get my arm up. So if my upper body is laying down and it all of a sudden I go this far and it's too far and it wants to shorten, but yet I've got this weight on here. That's how you end up tearing the muscle off the attachment. Yeah. That's why we see people getting hurt more so stretching than not stretching at all. Yeah. Because they're trying to do it when like they've just have it. They override the stretch reflex, which is a definite, excuse me, which is a defense mechanism. So you actually create an injury because the body's trying to protect itself, but you disrespect it and you go too far. So how do you balance that then? It, the two things are, first of all, when you feel that strain, just pause. Yeah. And the body goes, okay, cool. He's not going to go any further. Whew, it relaxes. And then that's so... And it'll elongate. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say, like, because you hear people talk about, like, breathing into the stretch. Yes. Breathe so got, through the stretch. Have you got... Have you seen the So Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I've got one of those. Okay. And uh, they're, they're, oh, they're so good. Absolutely. And, like, you can tell a massive difference when you breathe mm-hmm. in it. And the other thing that in this, that John Thomas video that he was talking about, he said that, um, and it made like total sense is if you have got like, say you're trying to put your leg over or you're putting your leg up or mm-hmm. whatever in motocross or whatever sure. it is. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're getting that stretch re that sorry, stretch reflex. Is yep, that what you call it? it? Yeah. Yep. So you're getting that and it's like, stop, protect. That's actually taking up like, neurological energy that could be used to do the activity that you're trying to do so it's no different than you running down the street and i'm holding on to your shirt yeah and and let's use the motocross example when someone's bringing their leg up to try to not dab it in the corner if the if the hamstrings are so hypertonic they're so tight the quads are working twice as hard against the hamstrings energy just to get it up fatigue yeah so like you said you could be world-class flexible and by doing so, you reduce the power because what we don't realize is the bicep balances with tricep, hamstrings balance with quads. So if one is overdeveloped, that's why I was saying to you earlier, when I'm looking at somebody coming into a corner and he or she has a problem keeping their foot high enough, yeah. I look at strength and I look at flexibility of both quad and hamstring yeah. because they're in a power struggle against the head of the femur. Yes. So yeah. they, they come up and they insert on the sit bones, hamstrings do. The quads come up and insert in the hip flexors at the top. Well, the head of the femur is trying to pivot. And that, and so is that why you get, so is that what they call like mobility then? That's is exactly. like your ability for the, that head of the femur to move around freely full, in that Full joint. range of motion. So for example, somebody that overdevelops their biceps gets kind of those monkey arms. Yeah. They, because the bicep is so strong, the tricep gets over, overpowered and it won't extend it as won't freely. Extend, it won't do its natural job. Yeah. So when someone presents themselves to our offices, we do an anatomical assessment. I'm just looking for what we call joint neutrality. I need to make sure that you can literally get to a neutral position. And, because if you can't get in neutral without anything moving, 
what makes you think in a sports specific environment yeah, that you're going to be able that. to get to that optimum range of motion. I don't care if you're swinging a baseball bat, a golf club, riding a motorcycle or pushing a bicycle for you, because you go in so many multi planes, you're not, if, if I look at motocross in a three dimensional plane, how many planes will we look at jujitsu 360 degrees? Yes. Yeah, Cause you're going forwards, backwards, diagonal, and it's very, very rapid. And then a fast. lot of it's not your choice at times too. True. Yeah. And you bring up a good point. If somebody puts you in a position, they, and this is going to sound very morbid. If you think about, you grab somebody and you push him, what is it that you're, you take him to a certain range of motion. What is it that you're, you have pushed the opponent to a certain range? What is it that you're working against? Stretch reflex. Yeah, stretch reflex. Yep. Yeah. And when does he usually give out? When you go too far. Yeah. That's usually what causes him to tap out. Because yeah. you haven't broken the bone. No. Sometimes, yes. But... For most part, so when you become Gumby, that Joker can take your arm as far as you want. You're yeah, like, and you can see that, man. Like, yeah. yeah, you see some dudes, they just don't tap to shit. No, yeah, I mean, they, you feel like it's going to wrap it around your body twice. Yeah. But so the stretch reflex keeps you from breaking and tearing something because you got to remember you have ligaments and tendons. You know, one attaches muscles to bone, the other one attaches bone to bone. So we're, if you go back to what you said earlier, there's only two things that'll keep you back from improving as an athlete or as a human being. That's an injury or an illness. So flexibility takes care of one of the two biggest categories of a setback. Mm. You get a virus three days before your competition, he's not wrestling, excuse me, he's not fighting against your true capabilities. He's fighting against you at 70%. So why even let yourself go there? Mm. That's why your immune system has to be so strong amino acids and sleep rebuild the amino you can lift until you're blue in the face you can you can be out there and fight your till you're dead tired that's not what's going to make you stronger yeah no i always say you're never going to get faster on a motorcycle racing it you're never going to get faster lifting weight excuse me you're never going to get stronger lifting weights you get faster and stronger by sleeping and eating Mm. because if you don't absorb what you did there's never any incremental improvement yeah so we become trainaholics at the expense of the two things that makes us the strongest sleep and food it's so elementary we walk right around the elephant in the room yeah yeah and if you but again it's just not sexy it's not sexy and there's a lot of name calling and you're de- declared as being lazy or you're not dedicated it's actually the antithesis of that and it's interesting if you look at my triathlon market i'll have a professional triathlete that'll sleep nine to ten hours goes to swim practice in the morning immediately goes home and eats and goes back to bed for three hours yeah. wakes up and does another meal does another exer- does another you know, workout and goes right back to bed. Again, there's not a lot of free time, but that's their that's job. That's what it takes, yeah. What other sports, and, and I did this with Dungy, and it worked really well, is we added a nap at least twice a week. We try to get at least three. Because it is difficult. You know, your whole day is pretty much done between get up, workout, sleep, mm-hmm. workout, eat, go to bed. And, you know, he had Lindsay at the time, and I mean, obviously he still does. But the idea here is if you think about 24-hour period and you really want to get the strongest in the shortest period of time, work out early, eat, if possible, nap. Most of us have to work and we can't nap. But work out, eat, 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 work out, go to bed, work out again, excuse me, eat and go back to bed. Mm. What are you doing? You've almost got a 12-hour window between workout to workout. If I work out at 6 in the morning and 6 at night, and then I sleep 9 hours at night, I'm piggybacking the two ends of sleep and sleep. Yeah, yeah. What does sleep release? HGH and testosterone. Yeah. This is why power naps, two-hour naps on the weekend, 
you're just getting an extra injection of HGH and testosterone. Yeah, okay. You literally so will wake not, up leaner. So your body is not uh, excreting those chemicals unless you're unless asleep. Unless you're asleep. Damn, I didn't know that. That's I just it. thought it was like a, like more mm-hmm. at night. Now, people will argue, and this is the kind of the, the platform for HIT training, high-intensity interval training. On paper... If I take the body and I push it to high levels of extreme it will force exertion, the body to, it will yeah. force it to produce Because that's what they say, like heavy squats will produce testosterone. And, and they're right. I totally will not, I will absolutely not disagree with that from a clinical textbook environment. Totally agree 100%. I personally, in 37 years, have never seen somebody come in the front door that sleeps and eats enough to be able to absorb the volume of training that they're submitting their body to. Yeah. And then... Unfortunately, in my business, a lot of times I get to play cleanup. I got somebody who thought they could outfox the system, overbake themselves, come in, no sex drive, craving simple sugars, can't sleep, night sweats, performance plateaus, and they want me to fix it. Mm-hmm. And yet this guy's supposed to still win on Saturday. I can't fix it and still have you perform at an optimal level. That's what they think. What becomes kind of a catch-22 is they start sleeping and eating more and they train less. And they start working their way right back yeah. up to where they were. Yeah. And then it becomes scary because they think, well, God, I'm just being lazy. Yeah. No, you're giving your body what it needs. Biofeedback indicators always tell you that. So when we go back to your question about the stretching, you can increase your range of motion. And I'd rather re- refer to it as ROM, range of motion, versus flexibility. Yeah. Okay. Because flexibility is you have your skin on top, then you have the fascia below it, and then you have the muscle tissue. Well, if I'm dehydrated, that fascia in the muscle tissue will actually stick. Have you ever heard of the word myofascia release? Yeah, yeah. That's what they're doing is they're breaking the adhesions down between those. And that's quite painful if you've ever had that. Now, I could have you reach down and grab your calf gently and grab your skin and roll it. Most if it's people, like grainy. And, yes. Yeah. We, we refer to that as kind of like that bubble wrap when you get a, some of that. When you feel that. What you're doing is you're literally separating the fascia. That's where a foam roller comes invaluable. Yeah. Because as you roll that, you're breaking those adhesions down. So, and I don't want you to to be offended when I say this. What I'd rather you focus on is instead of stretching muscle that's not warmed up, only, like for example, I only ask my clients to please stretch after exercise. Yeah. Because when you lay down or even when you're just resting or you're here in your studio working, the blood centralizes around the heart. Yeah, your so that means your stuff. extremities are going to have the least amount of, re- of warm blood flow going in there. So if you go out and you walk or you do some form of exercise, it sends a mechanism to the brain says, hey, look, Let's the extremities up. need some blood. They need oxygen. That's why you always, and then you go and you do a, a heavy set at the gym. Your muscle temperature is at its highest. Now, again, there, we'll get a couple emails. Yeah, but there's a highest level of dehydration. Well, not if you've already addressed it. Ah, there you go. You get kind of a a dividend immediately for staying focused on your hydration. Now you're going to get more out of your stretching. Stretching a dehydrated muscle tissue? Yeah, prescription for muscle tear. Mm. But wait a second. Our client's already doing a good job of staying hydrated during competition, during training. He's going to get more out of stretching. This is why you see people. I was just texting with a young lady today. She's training for a marathon in four weeks. And she's like, my low back hurts. I'm like, smash your quads. Yeah, build up the front. Because what happens is your quadriceps come up and they insert on the front of your pelvis. Well, as they pull down, they rotate that forward. Rotate yeah. forward and yeah. now you got this lordosis yeah. in your lower back. Your lower back hurts. Well, people stretch their lower back. Stretch reflex gets invoked. Now they get more back pain. 
they stretch more, they cause more damp when they need to be going to the source. I said this in the last show. You need to stay focused on the difference between the pain site and the pain source. It hurts back here, but the source of your problem is up front. But that's not sexy and it's not sizzling. Yeah, no, for sure. I'd rather you come to my massage therapy studio, spend me, you know, spend a hundred dollars an hour for me. I'm not going to tell you why it's happening because you're out running and cycling and and you're crunching that pelvis up. But just keep coming back. Mm. I'd love to see you once a week. I can fix this for you. No, get a foam roller. Explain the anatomy. Help them understand it. When you feel your hip flexor starting to shorten up, just stop and do a couple dynamic movements. Just open that angle up. Mm. You don't have to go crazy. We were running today. We ran an hour. And halfway through, we just stop, grab a light pole, and just swing our hips. Next thing you know, you're running 15 seconds a kilometer faster. Mm. It, it wasn't that we ran harder. We just opened up the ankles. Yeah, do yeah. it all the time. Yeah. You know? But for you to increase your range of motion, get a, get a foam roller. Yeah. And then move to a tennis ball. And then move to a lacrosse ball. Yeah, I do the lacrosse ball flat out. Yeah. yeah. And especially when you're dealing with your hips. You can feel like the when you like do in that so right as mm-hmm. well. You yes. do the so right and then you do the lacrosse ball and then you stretch. It's like already Night better. And day, yeah. yeah. And what people don't realize is there's only two things that will turn off a muscle spasm. I don't want to feel like we jumped on a bunny trail. Remember how you're saying it kind of gets real tight? Well, as it gets tighter and tighter, eventually it will lock up and turn into a spasm. There's only two ways to interrupt that pain spasm pain cycle, cold and direct pressure. So that's why trigger point therapy is so good. Mm. You take that psoas major, you get that tennis ball in there. Because you can just feel it like, and then it just goes bang. That's it. It just lets go. Because what's happening is, I love the way you describe that. There's all this communication. What it's doing is it's sending a message to your brain that hurts. Get off that ball. Get Get off, off, get off, get off. And it says, oh gosh, he's not going to. We got to release. The light switch turns off. The electric message gets turned off with direct pressure. That's why ice works so well. If you can't get it with direct pressure, you're just going to, it goes, oh man, it's cold. Turn that off. Turn that off. You just take an ice cup, take a little Dixie cup, like one of those little mouthwash ones. Yeah, yeah. Fill it up. You got a nice little surface area and just do circular motions right right where the little hot spot's at. And it's going to say, oh, stop, stop. And then it's got to go through three stages. It's got to go cold. Then it'll go to burn, keep going, and then it'll go to numb. And when it hits numb, it's off. That's crazy, yeah. It works. But it most of us will stop before we get to the third yeah, stage and yeah. go, oh, it doesn't work. No, you just didn't go long enough. So to keep people from hurting themselves stretching, what we want to focus on is the foam rolling breaks the adhesions, the trigger point. Like if you think of your butt muscle, what we think about is, you know, we both have hot women in our lives. If you take those two butt cheeks off, that's gluteus maximus and minimus. Directly below that is the deep lateral rotators. Those are the ones that attach to the head of the femur. Mm. For motocross guys and girls, that's usually the muscle group that gets overworked because of the weight of the boot at the end of your leg. We call it the pendulum syndrome. Most everybody will focus on foam I used to get that crazy when I was riding. Doesn't that suck? So you sit and you foam roll your ass all day long where you're not getting to the deep lateral rotators. So what you have to do, like with a lacrosse ball, start with a foam roller, massage your butt, those tissues relax and it lets the trigger point ball, the a lacrosse ball, get into those deep lateral rotators. And then what you want to do is right where the head of the femur is at is think about it as kind of like a half moon. Yeah. You know, you've got your hip bones that come up like this, the head of the femur. Think about that muscle tissue. They all run this way. So you get that lacrosse ball on there, pick your leg up and start moving it. You will come off yeah, the ground. You'll be crazy, on fire yeah. Yeah. because they don't ever get any attention. Yeah. 
Another one that's a little bit difficult is from the inside of your knee up to your pubic bone. That's your adductor muscle. Yeah, that's one that that like that's what's sore now from that stretching yeah. thing. Like I can feel it. It's like and sore now. certainly. And so and, when I, I, and when I'm like stretching that thing, you can see it like mm-hmm. comes out of you out you, of your leg. If you put your finger underneath your knee, you'll feel that guitar string. Even as we're sitting here, yep. you can feel the guitar yep. string on the inside. There's two on the inside and one on the outside. Yeah. If you understand that when you do that stretch that you were talking about, you know the one that cranks and opens up. As long as you don't get overzealous, go one click and just hang out. Yeah, that's what I was sort of doing breathe today. Breathe deep, yeah. you know, whew, okay, and then go one click and then just breathe. But then before you get on that machine, it's, excuse me, it's kind of a vulnerable position. You want to lay kind of like on your belly, kind of spread eagle, and have that foam roller up against your pubic bone and just move forwards and backwards, then go down a... Yeah, okay. Then forwards and... Because what so you're doing... So belly down? Yeah, yeah. belly down. And you're kind of spread eagle, you know, your legs almost out this way, and you're essentially foam roller is this way, and you're kind of going forwards and backwards, then move it forward. Yeah, okay. What you're doing is you're breaking any adhesions, and what and you're doing, letting it, and you let yeah. it expand, and then when you go into your contract and hold type of, it, you're not going to invoke. The only danger you're going to run into is if that stretch stretch reflex gets invoked, and it contracts, and you're sitting there being held out by something, you're going to rip it right off the bone. Yeah, okay. So it would be frustrating for you to spend three weeks and then two days before yeah, your competition, you like, went a little too, too far. Hard, yeah. Boom. It shortens up. And then instead of having good range of motion, you've got limited you got nothing, range. Yeah. And then you're going to lose your power. Yeah. And that's, if you, if we, if we take today's conversation, you can lose muscle power by being dehydrated. You can lose muscle power by being electrolyte depleted. You can lose your power and your energy by being overtrained, whatever that means. Is that too much volume, too much intensity, not too much sleep. frequency, not enough sleep? That's what I would, you know, I don't want anybody that's been sticking with us this time to go, oh, this is confusing. It's very simple. Yeah. Eat real food, focus on sleep and food, sleep and fat, and then try to maintain a good balance of what percentage of training is anaerobic and, and take your total volume and break it into aerobic and anaerobic. If that gets out of balance, not based on what I think, but based on your biofeedback indicators, that's where a good physiologist can say, hey, and Michaela hears me use this example all the time. We have a young guy that's a, a top triathlete, and he's only 19 years old. He should be loaded with testosterone. Well, we added a second rest day, and his performance went into double digits. Now, somebody that young to get double-digit results, I mean, we're happy usually with a half a percentage point in one training cycle when somebody's that good. This guy was up by almost 10%. Just because we added rest, we didn't work harder. Mm. We cut the work volume back and gave him an extra rest day. Why? More testosterone, more HGH. He absorbed, mon- what we did was we rest him on Monday because he usually has a pretty big weekend. We loaded Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He rested Friday, had a big block on Saturday, a, a long block on Saturday, a shorter block, faster block on Sunday, backed up with rest on Monday mm. so he could absorb the big weekend. And boom, double digit. But yet most people will hire me and they go, well, I hired you to bust my balls and you're not doing it. Well, and soon. I'm just listening. I'm just yeah. listening. Great, great. You surmised it the best. But no, nobody wants to listen because this guy's doing this and this girl's doing yeah, this. Yeah, and then you're worried like, oh, are you going to justify my job and blah, blah, blah. That's it. And that's why I said and here you earlier. you a lot of that shit. Well, and that's why to me, I want to make sure that you know the why behind it. I want you to be empowered with the information. I want to guide you for as long as you want me in your corner. I'm always available as a consultant when you move on to other things because that's what I feel is important. I don't want somebody spending money with us for an indefinite period of time. Goals change. I get that. 
But like we have a guy right now that races moto that wants to go into triathlon. So we're training him for triathlons, but he understands the principles of it. He just doesn't know how far to swim and how often to run and all that. But like with moto is they go up to new bike classes. Hey, the demands of a 20, 125 is completely different yeah, than a 250 F yeah. and an 85 is different than, a, you know, and as absurd as that may sound while we're sitting here on the podcast, you see Billy Bob's doing the same thing this guy did and they're on totally different bikes and this guy hasn't hit puberty yet, but this mm. guy said do it because they're riding at the same facility and this trainer's not going to write eight so separate programs. the blocks at the same. Yeah. That's it. Well, hey, we just did an extra hour on top Sweet. of like just about almost being done. So Sweet. Can't, can't thank you enough, man. Hey, You're thank one you, of my brother. favorite guests to get on. And just, it's just, I love going deep. And I know that, I know that like, and I, I hope too, like people, it's like, I'm talking about the jujitsu stuff. Yep. It, it might not relate to everybody, but training's training. It is. And human performance is, is human performance, That's no matter right. what sport. And it's like, I apologize if it's constantly back to like me but i I don't know what everybody else wants to know you know what i mean i think everybody can resonate with what you're doing because you're a real dude you know what i mean doesn't matter somebody's trying to walk a first 5k or they they want to be well it all applies applies. you know like it's just fitness is fitness and health is health and the questions that i'm asking are based on uh what i'm going through at the moment and i hope that people can then apply that you know the sleep and the stress well and, you let's know. not forget and this isn't about you name dropping and f these people that put these nasty comments down there that you're name dropping they're all on your phone you're at their party or at their weddings you know for people that think you're name dropping i i'd love to just tear them up on their comments because they're absurd but here's the point you know some of the best athletes in the world across every genre of sport that's been dealing with these situations so for the mom that's sitting at home that's trying to walk a 5K, she needs to know you've got buds that are making millions of dollars racing motos, wakeboarding, skateboarding, BMXing, whatever it is. They've all had these issues. Yeah, it's, it's all the same stuff. Health and yeah. wellness goes across yeah. everybody. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that I, you know, and I hope everybody understands that was your comment, not mine, but I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Human performance, and that's what I love about my job. I'm very fortunate because I personally have been involved in a lot of sports, but then as an athlete, that opened my doors to work with other athletes in other yeah. sports. But, you know, my brother's a professional baseball player. I've worked with Bob, uh, Billy, excuse me, the Sovin brothers in wakeboarding yeah. world. Obviously, Dunge, AC, Bailey, uh, Treadle, Tickle, all of them on the moto side. If you want names, I can give you names. Yeah. If that's important to you. What I want people to understand, that's why I appreciate the platform with your podcast, is I want people to understand we're here to try to make sure you understand that you can't just take one nugget and say, yep, this is the gospel. Yeah, this is the secret You have source, to cross-validate yeah. everything that you're doing, whether it's stretch reflex to dehydration, whether it's strength-to-weight ratios to performance, why you can't sleep, why you're gaining weight, yeah. why you have adrenal fatigue. So always enjoy it, you know. Um, well, you're welcome anytime. Thank you, I brother. love having you on. I Thank really you so appreciate much. it. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Sweet, dude.